Greetings and good afternoon, everyone. I welcome you to the Saturday afternoon program of Tarn Rama. This is Cheryl, and I'm so grateful to be here to welcome you to the true planetary and galactic history, history, and true history, history of Nasara. Now, I pushed a button on my phone. I want to make sure everybody can hear me. I trust that at this point, someone would let me know if I wasn't coming through. And um, I want to wish everybody a, a, a glorious uh, Saturday. It is absolutely beautiful here in Michigan. We've had some awesome, uh, a few days of uh, awesome summer weather. So may the sun be shining where you are at, and infinite blessings uh, to us all as we close out this Easter week. Of course, it's the weekend of the Orthodox Easter as well. So many blessings uh, to everyone. Um, as we continue to work with the resurrection energies, let's go into our opening. So please take this time to go into your heart center. Going into the heart center, we call forth the full merchants and integration with our soul, with our higher self with our monad, with our mighty I am presence. Feel the divine grace coming through and integrating within you as we welcome every aspect of our divine presence through to our God presence and goddess presence. Take a nice deep breath. As we recommit ourselves to being the bridge between heaven and earth, the anchor for the new golden age and the open door that no one can shut, we call everyone in in unity consciousness to work with us. We do that through the following invocation. Please join me in saying, I am my I am presence. As my I am presence, I am one with the I am presence of all humanity. I am one with every man, woman, and child. I am one with every family member and loved one. I am one with all that is. And feel yourself expanding, feel your heart expanding, feel your pillar of light expanding, feel it fully connected to source, fully connected the heart to the heart of Mother Gaia, and fully connected heart to heart with every man, woman, and child. Having invited them in, we see them in their own pillar of light, filled with the Mother of Pearl Resurrection flame that we have been working with this week. Such a glorious frequency of renewal and restoration. We invite in for everyone, all of our soul extensions, planetary and galactic. 
all of our ancestors, all of our genetic lineage or ancestral lineage, all the generations past, all the generations forward, our spiritual lineage, our soul family and soul pods. And we welcome for one and all, all of our guides and teachers, our healing teams, our beloved guardian angel, our beloved twin flame, our ascension council, our mission council. We welcome the assistance of all the kingdoms as we are here to anchor heaven on earth, the plant kingdom, the tree kingdom, the bird kingdom, the animal kingdom, the diva kingdom, the elemental kingdom, the fairy kingdom, all of the kingdoms of nature, the whales, the dolphins, the unicorns, all magical kingdoms. We welcome all of the angelic realms from the angels and archangels through to the cherubim and seraphim and all angelic healers and healing teams. We welcome the Ascended Masters, the Brotherhood of Light, the Sisterhood of the Raisin Rose, the Order of Melchizedek, the Radiant Ones, all of the Enlightened Masters, all Divine Mother Emissaries, Divine Father Emissaries, all of the Planetary and Cosmic Hierarchy of Light, and all Ascended Master Healers and Healing Teams. We welcome our friends in the Galactic Federation of Light, especially those that we work so closely with, from Arcturus, from Pleiades, from Sirius, from Andromeda, from Chiron, from Venus, from Lyra, all the Christed ETs, all cosmic galactic universal healers and healing teams, all our brothers and sisters from the starry realms. And we welcome the assistance of the entire company of heaven, asking Mother, Father, God to overlight all that we do and magnify, magnify, magnify it 999 billion times, 999 billion times. All in alignment with divine will and divine law, <clears throat> individually and collectively for all as we ask for the highest clearing, cleansing, and raising of our frequency here today in the divine energies of this time. And we call forth all the rays, all the flames, all the universal laws, all the ascension waves. And with every energy and frequency, every prayer and invocation, every blessing, every grace, every dispensation, every activation, we ask that it be received individually and collectively through every cell, chakra, meridian, layer of our orc field, multidimensionally. Through the conscious, subconscious, superconscious minds of all. And we ask to easily and effortlessly digest and assimilate, ground and anchor, integrate and embody all that we receive with the greatest of ease and grace and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy, serenity and tranquility, balance and equilibrium, 
without resistance on any level, without discomfort on any level, without fear on any level, in love and light and laughter. Truly surrendering to divine love and light. We call in everyone and everything in our circle of support from the very first name that created it to every man, woman, and child, every pet, every animal, every family member, every loved one, every group, every organization, every business, every corporation, every nation, every military, every government, and the legislative aspect of each government, and all laws, <coughs> past, present, and future, and all of the lawmakers, all, all Congress people, all legislators, all council members, can be it on a national level, a state, a provincial, or a, a local level. And we call the same for the executive aspect of each government. And asking for the highest in divine order, the highest cleansing and purification of each one, individually and collectively. We can do this as a collective. We can do this through our oneness. So we ask for the highest in cleansing, highest cleansing and purification of everything in our circle of support today. <clears throat> First time those words came through. So, of the executive aspect of each government every president or prime minister, every leader, all cabinet posts, all department heads, everyone who works for that uh, branch in each nation, as well as all state and local executives, every governor, all the heads of each province, of each the mayors of each city, of all local governments, and the judicial aspect of each and every government, the Supreme Court, all federal, state, and local judges, and each in this nation and each and every nation and all court orders and judicial decisions and all cases, all prosecutors, all juries and grand juries and everything in our circle of support, every aspect of life, people's health, their finances, their well-being, their food, their water, their housing. And every aspect of our daily lives, all in our circle of support, our weather, our climate, all of Gaia, and all upon her. And we hold it all in perfection holding each condition of life as heaven on earth 
and we invite in all of the energy around the Easter holiday, all of the energy around Passover that's just been completed, and Ramadan that I believe is still ongoing, and all of the sacred holy days, the Festival of the Christ, the upcoming Wesak Festival, the upcoming solar eclipse new moon, and all of the energies that things that people are paying attention to at this time, we put it in our collective cup of consciousness for the transformation of the planet to truly anchor every aspect of heaven on earth on all levels of being this individually and collectively in this nation and in every single nation across the planet. We hold that perfection. And we invite in Gaia to receive all that we receive through her chakras and meridians and layers of her orc field multidimensionally, through her ley lines and song lines, through the grid system, the love grids, the light grids, the unity grids, all of the multidimensional grid system, through every portal and vortex and monument and sacred site and place of power, every stargate, every city of light. as we continue up this spiral of evolution along with Gaia, as she takes her rightful place as Freedom Star. Again, we hold Gaia in perfection as we, in this next week, as we near Earth Day. We're going to invoke the pink ray we call forth a pink array of love to fill us and surround us. And every man, woman, and child around the planet to see a, that vision. I call upon the Elohim of the pink ray to pour forth divine unity. I call upon the Elohim of the pink ray to assist me in accepting my Christ self I call upon the Elohim of the pink ray to pour divine love through my body. May the love of the Christ flow through me. May the unity of spirit work through me. I am a Christ of being. I am in unity with source. And so it is, and we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Can we invoke that unity consciousness? In turn around us, in turn around the planet, as we say, I am a Christ of being. Can please join me in saying this? I am in unity with spirit. I'm a Christed being. I am in unity with all that is. The light of my own being shines upon my path. I am a Christed being. I am in unity with all that will be. I hold the shining light of the source within my heart. I walk in unity with spirit. 
I laugh in unity with the source. I love in unity with my fellow beings. I am a Christed being. I am a bridge between heaven and earth. And so it is. Nice deep breath. Focus on the flame within your heart. Blazing high in through and around you. And we decree, I am a keeper of the flame. I carry it forth into every part of this world. I am a keeper of the flame. I carry it forth into every part of my being. I hold the flame of God high so that all may see the shining light of the divine plan. I am a keeper of the flame, and I carry it forth into many worlds, so that all may know the light and carry it onward. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Focus again on the resurrection energies. The mother of pearl light. As we affirm, I am the resurrection and the life. And I encourage you to use this for whatever it is that you wish to have resurrected and renewed. You simply use, I am the resurrection and the life. And fill on the blank. So join me in saying, I am the resurrection and the life of my perfect house. I am the resurrection and the life of my finances. I am the resurrection and the life of every area of my life. I am the resurrection and the life of the gifts of my divinity. I am the resurrection and the life of my crystalline matrix. I am the resurrection and the life of my DNA. I am the resurrection and the life of my eternal youth and beauty. I am the resurrection and the life of my perfect work. I am the resurrection and the life of my heart flame. I am the resurrection and the life of my perfect vision. I am the resurrection and the life of all of my relationships. I am the resurrection of the life of my joy and harmony.
I am the resurrection and the life of all of the abundance I can hold. And so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. So let us bring in the Ascension Ray as well as the Resurrection Ray. Asking to be resurrected, ascended, and free for ourselves, for all life. Mighty, blessed, adorable presence of the I Am. Do for all humankind whatever needs to be done now to make everyone aware of his or her blessed I Am presence. The host of ascended masters and of the necessity to make effort of the to the ascension. Great ascended masters of light and love, great cosmic beings and great cosmic light, charge humanity's consciousness everywhere with thy ascended master comprehension, eternal divine memory, all-powerful comprehension, all-powerful concentration, infinite patience, and divine love until every human being accepts the fullness of the ascension and comes through into victory. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the ascension in the light now made manifest. Great host of ascended masters, give us the full ascended master feeling of this now and raise us quickly into its eternal accomplishment that we may be prepared, return quickly, and render assistance without limit until all everywhere are free. All that we have decreed and asked for ourselves, we decree and ask for every human being on the planet and all who come here in the future that the whole planet may blaze forth the eternal victory and light of the mighty I Am Presence and sing the eternal song of joy, the ecstasy of light, and evermore be at peace. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our every call instantly. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath. See life transforming before you. And we decree, beloved, mighty, I am presence. Take complete possession of our entire consciousness forever. Make it crystal clear and pure as the ascended masters. Charge it with the Ascended Master's eternal divine memory and all-knowing, dazzling, fathomless, diamond-shining mind of God, thy blessed self in action. Make us comprehend perfectly all the Ascended Master's knowledge within these words and remember them eternally 
illuminate everything to us and tell us the ascended master truth concerning all. Show us the perfect thing to do each moment and make us do it perfectly. Cut us free from and consume everything that would confuse, bind, or limit us and our worlds from manifesting the full perfection of the ascended masters and the victory of our ascension now. Let every word we speak be a golden flame of divine love. charged with the power of a thousand suns to illumine the consciousness of everyone in the world in a whole, all who come here in the future. O thou infinite mighty I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic host, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Come forth in thy cosmic action of the unfed flame of pure divine love. And by the power of the three times three, charge our minds with ascended master clearness, eternal divine memory, concentration, patience, and the activity of the all-knowing mind of God, Goddess, the, all, the mighty I am presence and dynamic action. Through these our minds and bodies now and forever. Charge forth full ascended master consciousness, substance, and activity in everything we do. And keep it eternally sustained, that the fullness of thy perfection may forever express. This eternal truth of the I am presence shall be the only consciousness within humankind forever. Charge us with the ascended master's acceptance of this eternally sustained. So be it, and so it is. And we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Mighty, blessed, infinite I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic hosts, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. Come forth in the limitlessness of thy mighty presence and cosmic power into the physical octave of earth. Charge into the I am of everyone the fullness of the ascended masters' love, light, wisdom, power, infinite patience, kindliness, humility, reverence, gratitude, purity, spiritual integrity, and honor in everything we do now and forever, eternally sustained by the ascended master's obedience, self-control, management, marvelous directing intelligence, insight, foresight, inspiration, discernment, discretion, diplomacy, peace, poise, and praise. Charge us in our worlds with ascended master love and pour it through us with the power of a thousand suns to blaze forth with such irresistible force that all unlike itself is instantly consumed, perfection made manifest, and all set free wherever we move, and to whom our thought is directed. In the fullest perfection earth has ever known, make each of us and our I am an ambassador from the ascended host of light. We call to the I am presence of each one to take control of his or her mind and body, 
produce perfection and hold dominion. Help us to be the vehicle of light that you would have us be. Do thou our own I am presence. Hold our hands, go before us, clear the way. Make all things harmonious, prosperous, successful, and perfect. Charge forth in through and around us such an invincible protection and almighty perfection that we move wholly untouched by anything but ascended master perfection in all our experiences eternally sustained. We thank thee thou dost always answer our every call instantly and infinitely, keeping it eternally sustained and ever-expanding. So be it, and so it is. And so we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. Take a nice deep breath as we call forth blessings on this nation and all nations, all in divine order. Mighty blessed, beloved, I am present, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light and great angelic host, great beings, great cosmic light, and great presences who guard our beloved Americas and every nation in the three Americas, all in divine order. Come forth in thy full power of the unfit flame, the three times three in the cosmic light. Take possession of the Americas, their governments, and their people. Direct their resources. Direct their activities. Give them invincible protection, limitless supply, infinite cosmic light, almighty ascended master consciousness, infallible directing intelligence in all they do, and the fullness of your power of divine love acting everywhere in the physical life of all the Americas. Produce your perfection, hold your dominion, flood them with your life substance, and let The Americas stand as nations of ascended masters releasing their light to the rest of the earth until all humankind is free. To your beloved United States of America and all the Americas, we say, America, we love you. America, we love you. America, we love you with a love that is infinite, eternal, and almighty. Our love shall guard guard you with invincible power forever, forever, and forever against anything that is less than the Ascended Master's perfection. The light of God that never fails shall rule forever within the Americas. And so long as the stars remain and the heavens send down dew, so long as the Americas remain the land of light and love. I have spoken in the name of the mighty infinite I am presence. I have commanded by the power of the unfed flame and the three times three and the cosmic light. And so it shall be established to the people of the Americas forever and thus extended to each and every nation and all people across the planet. And so we thank thee. We thank thee. 
We thank thee. And so be it. And so it is. We call forth the purest of light for ourselves and for all on the planet. Again, invoking the highest frequencies that we may all be filled with infinite light. Mighty infinite I am presence, great host of ascended masters, mighty legions of light, great angelic hosts, great cosmic beings, and great cosmic light. In the mightiest victory of love that the earth has ever known, blaze through us thy cosmic light. Thy light, light, light. Thy limitless, shadowless light. The mighty, eternal light of God that never fails in its most instantaneous, dynamic action. Sweep it through us with an onrush of a mighty torrent, carrying to the sea of, of, of oblivion every limitation of the children of earth. I am a child of the light. I love the light. I live in the light. I serve the light. I bless the light. I worship the light. I am eternally supplied by the light. I am protected by the light, healed by the light, and forever sustained by the light. And I am the limitless outpouring of all light until its radiance comes through my flesh, illuminates everything I contact, and keeps it eternally sustained. Mighty I am presence, charge all of our music and decrees with St. Germain's, the Christ, Nada's, and the great divine directors, ascended master consciousness, instantaneous activity and fulfillment of our every conscious command of the I am, the supreme source of all light. We thank thee, thou dost always answer our every call instantly. So be it, and so it is. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We call forth the amazing ascension flame, the white and gold of ascension, along with that resurrection flame to flood the planet at this time and magnify the maximum that we can receive individually and collectively. In the name of the victorious presence of God, Goddess I am, I call to the masters of light from the entire spirit of the great white brotherhood. Beloved Goddess Purity, Beloved Serapis Bay, the brotherhood of the Ascension Flame at Luxor and Telos, Beloved Queen of Light and Beloved Angels of both the Resurrection Flame and the Radiant Ascension Flame. Flood every particle on earth with oceans and oceans and oceans of violet fire. The Mother of Pearl Resurrection Flame and the White and Gold Ascension Flame. Purify, illumine, and raise the consciousness of all life and all kingdoms evolving here. Let thy flames blaze, illumine, and expand like the light of a thousand suns. Purify our minds, our memories, and feeling world from all blockages and negativity. 
Purify our bodies from all diseases and weaknesses. Purify every aspect of our world with the snow-white radiance of the ascension flame purity, as well as the mother of pearl resurrection flame. Saturate and purify until we become crystal clear. Transforming all we contact with the radiant light of the ascension flame. Affirm with me. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Blaze the radiant ascension flame through us. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet fire. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet fire. Flood and saturate the earth with oceans of violet fire. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire and resurrection flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire and resurrection flame. Flood the earth with the radiance of the ascension fire and resurrection flame. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom. Cut us free to be with thee in the realms of eternal freedom. Cut us free to be with thee in to the realms of eternal freedom and infinite perfection now and forever. Infinite perfection now and forever. Infinite perfection now and forever. So be it, beloved I am. So be it, beloved I am. So be it, beloved I am that I am. Take a nice deep breath. We're calling in the golden light of abundance and eternal peace. And all frequencies of abundance, assisting all the other rays, all the other flames, to bring in the abundance of every good thing for ourselves and for all humanity now and forevermore. Feel free to decree with me through all levels of divine consciousness we decree. I am, I am, I am. The eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light, now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. I am, I am, I am the eternally sustained manifestation of God's infinite supply of money and every good thing I require to assist me in my service to the light 
now made manifest and sustained by holy grace. In deep love and appreciation for my glorious gift of life, I consecrate once more my heart and soul to be the open door for the patterns of perfection from the causal body of God until the new earth is manifest and all life evolving here is holy, ascended, and free. (coughs) It is done, and so it is. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. Beloved, I am. And so it is. Again, we give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We give thanks for this. We ask for all of his work to be sealed in the highest frequencies of the platinum light of unity by Archangel Metatron, filling this planet in all her life with such amazing violet flame frequencies Mother Pearl Resurrection Frequencies, White and Gold Ascension Frequencies, and the Gold of Eternal Peace and Infinite Abundance. Filling us with all of the energy that we require to move forward from this moment forward to create heaven on earth, to fully bring in the new golden age and all of the blessings and transformations that it brings. Once again, asking to do this with ease and grace and peace and joy. I extend these blessings to all of you, and I thank you for your divine service here today. I invite you to further service each and every Sunday at Monday for the Ascension Meditation and Activation Call they're all unique. Unique, unique combination of invocation and visualizations and meditations, activations, updates on the energies and the uh, astrology that affects us at this time. Just uh, unique each and every time that we meet. And we invite you to be a part of our family of light that is working to anchor these energies, anchor heaven on earth. Again, we're very focused on uh, the energies of resurrection and ascension at this time. And as we celebrate the um, Festival of the Christ last week and the upcoming full moon will be the Wisak Festival, the Festival of the Buddha. And then the Festival of Humanity. And so we have, um, this is the most powerful and holy time of the year. We have so much assistance supporting us at this time. So I invite you to join us every Sunday and Monday evening. We start at 8.45 p.m. Eastern Time. That's 5.45 p.m. Pacific Time. We have about 25 minutes of greetings. 
We have about 20 minutes of update from Tarn Rama. And then we start our work in earnest. So that's truly when the call begins at 9.30 Eastern, 6.30 Pacific time when we are anchoring the energy, creating heaven on earth by all that we do. Now this is a teleconference call. I'm going to give you the number that we're using at this time, but there's all kinds of numbers. You could probably find a local number if you contact me. I have numbers all across the U.S. I have international numbers. You can get on by the Internet. And I believe there's even an app. I don't use it, but there is an app for free conference where we do our calls. And so you're welcome to get that information. Contact me by email, emailing me at Cheryl Croce, C-H-E-R-Y-L-C-R-O-C-I at AOL.com. And I'm going to give you that main number that we're using now. It's area code 480-660-2228. Again, 480-660-2224. And I've said before, I really like the 222 in there because the 222 represents both resurrection and ascension energy. Our access code is 946-7441-POUND. 946-7441-POUND. And we'd love for you to join us. And if it's your first time, especially, or if it's your thousandth time, (laughs) it doesn't matter. Say hi. Come and say hi. Let us know that you're with us, where you're from, if it's your first time. We love and appreciate all of you. And we are so grateful for your divine service. So we want to, at this time, thank Tar and Rama for their divine service over all these many years. We want to thank Greenberg for her service. We wish you an infinitely blessed week ahead. I won't be with you for Earth Day, so I'll see you in two weeks. So that means you have to connect with the Ascension calls. So infinite blessings, may magic and miracles just absolutely manifest for you throughout the days and the weeks ahead. We've got this amazing eclipse series coming up starting on on Thursday this week. We've got so many holy days coming up in the the next couple months. It's just going to be an amazing time. This is an amazing time of the year, this this time of spring and, and renewal here in the Northern Hemisphere. And um, again, I wish you every blessing and the abundance of all good things. So thank you very much. I'm going to pass the talking stick with all of these amazing frequencies to my sister, Rainbird. Um, I love you, Rainbird. I love you, Rama. I love you all. And I'm going to pass the talking stick. Infinite blessings. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for your divine service as well. And we all love you too. And so we're so grateful that you come 
each week to do these meditations. Lots of gratitude. So I'm here to do the housekeeping as we are a listener supported radio program. It's all of us that make it happen. And uh, so we need contributions for CBS radio for our fees there. And this week we need $241.25 to complete last week's commitment. And then we need $316.25 to complete the week ahead. So we're needing $557.50 for BBS Radio. So this is a good time to make those contributions. And it's pretty simple to do. It is just go into your heart space, see what is yours to give, and then go to bbsradio.com. And there you'll see the schedule for the different programs. Look for the schedule for Radio Station 2 to find this program. The True History, Hersey, and the Sarah and Galactic Origins. It'll be listed at the 3.30 hour. Um, and that's Central Time. On the schedule on Saturday. So just click on that icon that's there and that takes you directly to our account with CBS Radio where you can make that contribution in any amount. And again, thank you for your generosity. We have two programs on Radio Station 1. So on the schedule, you'll find them at the 8 o'clock hour on Thursday and on Friday. The Thursday program is the Night at the Roundtable with the panel. Click on that icon. That takes you to our account. And then on Friday, the hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And you click on that icon there at the 8 o'clock hour. So there you go. That's how you do it. Easy peasy. So let's make it happen. We're, we don't want to be behind, and we feel that way right now. <laughs> uh, so let's let's get caught up, and uh, thank you. Thank you for taking that action. We're grateful that we get to meet each way, this way each week, and, and you all are a part of it that way. So any amount helps. So... Just do it. Just do it. Let's make this happen. And then we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs. And this week they need money for living expenses, for food and gas, and they need the $496.50 to pay ET. All the bills have been covered so far, so lots of gratitude for that. And so let's... Let's work on that bill with ET this week. Uh, so here's how we make a donation to Tara Rama. You want to access Rama's PayPal account, and you do that by going to the web address, rainbowroundtable.net. And there on the home page, uh, there's a menu grid. Click on that, and near the bottom of the list that drops down is the donate link. And... Click on that, and that links you to Rama's PayPal account with Rainbow Roundtable, at, and uh, that there's where you can make a donation in any amount using your bank card. And if you want to access the friends option, if you scroll down, you see a little heart there. That's the friends option. You know, ask you to put in the email, and the email you want to put there is as follows: Coran K O R A N. 9999 at hotmail.com. 
So that should make it happen. And if you have any problems, let me know. <laughs> but, um, this is the way it works. So here's here's what we want you to do after you make a donation is to send Rama a note that you made a donation in his email for that, Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999-39 at Comcast.net. Let him know what you sent and when you sent it. And then as you need it, the mailing address is Rob D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z, Post Office Box 280-280. And that's in Santa Cruz, New Mexico, zip code 87567. And I'll repeat that, Santa Cruz. New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information. And so much gratitude for all of you, for all the ways that you show up in your life. So 13, thank you, honey in the heart. And I'm passing this talking stick to you, Tara and Rama. Greetings. This talking stick has all the frequencies and all the rays and lots of fairies and feathers and magical creatures. So greetings, Tar and Rama. Here comes his talking stick. Greetings. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, the, the, uh, Request for assistance, I just wanted to announce. We will write it tomorrow and put it out there tomorrow. And then Micah will have something uh, in that request for assistance. That's a opportunity for abundance. And it's very unique, so... Uh, Take a little time and check it out and um, yes, and may the new energy field that we're in now inspire us. Oh. What do you say, Rama? Yes. I okay. agree. So you wanna tell us what you learned today. You had a report, right? Yeah. Um, I talked to the, uh, by text, the two high venerable lamas that know his holiness, and they sent me a picture from this Buddhist society on Twitter where there are light beings coming through a portal in the sky, and you could see the beings in the portal. It's very amazing. And they are just saying that the multiverses are merging with this multiverse or this local realm and it's getting very interesting because the solar flares, whatever they're doing, they're helping to change this reality as many realities are coming together and there are beings coming out of these realities and I am sure many of them are 
like what Cheryl was just, you know, talking about in the decrees. These beings have been here forever, and it's time we meet our family. <laughs> So, anything else before we continue here? Oh, in the news, on the bigger picture, three nuclear power plants are going to be shut down forever, or as the story goes, they're uh, going to be turned off at midnight tonight in Germany, and they are going nuclear-free. Oh, before we continue, I just want to make sure, everybody, that we are so grateful for Cheryl and her work. Yes. And as well for Rainbird. Yes. And the Mayan work, the Mayan calendar work. And this uh, fifth dimensional age of Aquarius. These are bodies of work that are highly uh, inspirational and would and can and does uh, transform all things to the higher dimensional light. And I think I'm going to mention it right now. Shira has on Sunday evenings and Monday evenings uh, nine o'clock Eastern, six o'clock, um, Pacific. Um, she has a approximately, uh, three and a half hour from about, well, sorry, seven, seven to ten. Yeah. So that's three, three hours. Yes. That we, uh, do planetary ascension world work. ascension work and peace. Uh, work on the planet. And we will invite you now, and the number is area code 425-436-6260. Again, that's area code 425-436-6260. And the PIN code is nine four six seven four four one pound. Again, that's nine four six seven four four one pound. And so here we are. We have one more uh, announcement. I would say to work and do the global peace network work. Uh, our our um, <laughs> Our uh, fifth dimensional consciousness and higher teacher of love and light, and that is um, uh, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, everybody. Um, uh, she brings through something called a message to light bringers. April 13th is one for tonight. We'll read that uh, to bring a close to the show. 
uh, her name is Caroline, Caroline Oceana Ryan. And her reports are all encompassing. Let's put it that way. So you can go to ascensiontimes.com and you'll see many things there. So, all right. All right, Ralph. So, uh, we're going to play something very interesting. This is a message from Aurora Ray. It's a computer generated voice. Uh, so, listen with 10 ears. Well, read what the, what it's called. Energy update for humanity, light versus dark. Uh, and then the title of that one is Energy Update for Humanity, The Battle for Light, Unmasking the Dark Forces. There you go. Here we go. Energy Update for Humanity, Light versus Dark. universe is a unified, loving whole. Everything in the universe is connected through energy, and everything vibrates at different frequencies. As you know, when two things vibrate at the same frequency, they are drawn together and are capable of forming a relationship. That's why people with similar interests find it easy to get together. Similarly, when two things vibrate at different frequencies, they are repelled by each other. We live in a world where we are constantly bombarded with low-frequency energies that keep us trapped and unable to connect to higher dimensions of ourselves and others. Consequently, we live on a planet that is filled with disharmony and suffering. We live in a dualistic universe, which means that we have two opposite energies that interact with each other. They are called dark forces and light forces. The dark forces are represented by fear, worry, doubt, uncertainty, lack of confidence, and other negative thoughts. These forces do not want you to be successful in life. They want you to be fearful of your future so that your mind can't focus on anything else. The light forces are represented by love, compassion, and empathy. These forces are positive thoughts that want to help you succeed in life. Your subconscious mind will listen to either one of them but it will not listen to both of them at the same time. The dark forces have been working overtime to get us stuck in a limited consciousness that only allows us to perceive about 5% of our reality. They have been doing this for thousands of years by manipulating our minds through the media, education system, politics, religion, food, and money supply. The primary goal of their control system is to keep humanity enslaved in a state of delusion by 1. Keeping us enslaved by fear 2. Ignoring our intuition 3. Interfering with spiritual development 4. Possessing control over our perception of reality The dark forces had been ruling the world for eons of time, actually since their fall from grace. They are the source of all the negativity in this world. The dark forces are a very small collective group of extremely intelligent and technologically highly advanced beings who have turned away from the divine source and used their power over humanity to create wars, 
control through the media, among other tools, and maintain control over you by controlling your food supply. These beings commonly only exist on this planet in low vibrational third dimensional human bodies. These bodies are created through genetic manipulation, cloning, implants, and other forms of mind control. All humans were originally beings of light with amazing abilities such as telepathy and telekinesis. But over time, these abilities have been stripped away by these fallen beings in order to keep us under their control. In order to free ourselves from this form of slavery, we must first be able to identify them when we see them. We must realize that they do not have our best interests at heart, but rather that they seek to gain more power through our ignorance and fear. The force of darkness manifests as fear. It feeds on fear, and it seeks to create fear in you. You have had many experiences that prove to you that there are dark forces manipulating your life. You have discovered this for yourself, which is the first step toward defeating them. You know now that your unconscious mind is not your friend. It is filled with fear, and it will lie to you. It will tell you that you are powerless to change anything or even to think clearly. The news media is a powerful tool used by the dark forces, but most people don't understand this yet. When the news media reports a car crash, a robbery, an earthquake, a plane crash, or even an act of terrorism, they are doing more than just relaying information to you. They are planting ideas in your mind that create negative emotions such as anxiety, anger, depression, and grief. When they show images of war and violence and killer storms on TV, they are putting ideas into your unconscious mind that generate feelings of fear sadness and helplessness the truth is that the light forces have won a major battle with the dark forces in this war over light and darkness on earth although the war has not ended yet it did not happen overnight it took hundreds of years but we are now living in a new era where information is free and people are no longer burned at stake for their beliefs a whole new paradigm has come into existence since then Science as we know it today, with its method of testing hypotheses by experimentation and observation, rather than by resorting to authority, tradition, or superstition. A whole new worldview has come into existence. Instead of trying to fit all the pieces of the puzzle together, according to what some say is true, we look at all the available evidence and try to draw our own conclusions from it. This has completely changed our society. You are a divine, magnificent being, and you are here to make a difference in the world. You have an important mission to accomplish, and you can accomplish it. You can make all your dreams come true. You have many obstacles in your life that are preventing you from fulfilling your dreams, but none of those obstacles are real. They are illusions. They exist only in your mind. Your subconscious mind is creating those illusions for you. It is trying to protect you from harm by making you believe that those illusions are real, but they aren't. Once you understand that all these things don't really exist and that they exist only because you believe in them, you can change them into something much better for yourself by raising your consciousness. Once your consciousness is raised to a high enough level, what we call enlightenment, 
all these illusions will disappear from your reality. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, ambassador of the Galactic Federation. dimensional platform. Right, Ron? Yeah. Okay, we're going to play a song. <laughs> this is uh, what was going to be played on Thursday night. Oh, yes, a penny selection. All right, let's hear that. Yeah. It's... We all will recognize this song. Yes. Yeah. Here we go. Hey, uh, oh, my Do it in the 
Thank you, Penny. That was worth a listen. That's good. Okay, so we're going to begin now, Rama. Tell us, tell us what you're going to play here. This is called "What's Up on Planet Earth" with Greg Graydon and um, Karen Curry Parker. How many minutes is that now? Uh, Forty-seven minutes. 47 minutes. Here we go. Again and again and again, our guests have shared with us research and contemplations about how we are at a vital evolutionary crossroad. We have outgrown the old ways of creating, reached the end of materialism, and learning new ways to create that are rooted in less tangible ideas and metrics. We're discovering that vibrations really do create and that the new metric of value in the future won't be how much money or things you have, but rather how much well-being you've cultivated and how much you have to share. Our guest today, Greg Braden, has been sharing information about the science of global cycles and transformation for more than 25 years. Greg Braden is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, researcher, educator, lecturer, and internationally renowned as a pioneer bridging science, spirituality, and human potential. He merges modern science and the wisdom of our past to reveal real-world solutions to the issues that challenge our lives. His research has led to 15 film credits and 12 award-winning books now published in over 40 languages. This episode of Quantum Revolution is a little longer than our usual episodes but I know that you'll want to take the time and really hear Greg's answers about what's up on the planet Earth right now and what is your role in helping evolve the world. You're listening to Quantum Revolution with Karen Curry Parker, exploring new frontiers in consciousness, science, and evolution. Join us in intimate conversations with cutting-edge scientists, spiritual leaders, artists, disruptors, and visionaries who are working towards reframing the narrative of our future by healing the rift between spirituality and science, reclaiming creativity, and laying the foundation for a new world. And now, here's your host, Karen Curry Parker. Hello, I'm Karen Curry Parker. Welcome to Quantum Revolution. It is an honor today to have as my guest, Greg Braden. He is, as you know, the author of many best-selling books. I think probably in my world, one of the greatest thought leaders who has an enormous capacity to bridge the seeming illusion between science and spirituality. And we're going to be talking today about the future of the world and what exactly is going on on the planet today. So welcome, Greg. It's exciting to have you here. Oh, Karen, I am so excited to be with you. This is our first time together. I'm not sure why, and I'm happy to be with you today. I'm coming to you from a studio just outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. I don't know where you are. Where are you broadcasting from today? I'm broadcasting from my parents' office in Houston. So. 
we're in the same geographic boundaries then, just right down the road from Santa Fe. Right, so. right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and you just opened the door to a big topic. Where's the world going? Where would you like to begin with that topic? <laughs> so I'm actually going to begin with amusing. So one of the things that my listeners know is that I'm pretty obsessed with language because to me, language gives us a template that starts to construct what we end up building in the world. I was thinking the other day about the word apocalypse. It got me searching, what's the opposite of an apocalypse? And as it turns out, there isn't actually a word for the opposite of an apocalypse. If you look at the Urban Dictionary, apocalypse is kind of a new word. We all kind of have a sense of what that means. And I think that a lot of movies, film, entertainment, conversations, people, my own children, I have children in their 20s and 30s. I think a lot of people really feel that we are potentially skirting on the edge of an apocalypse in the way that it's portrayed in science fiction. And I am curious, based on all the work that you've done on how to consciously steer things in different directions, the patterns and the work around patterns that you've looked at, all the work that you've done, what do you know is going on on the planet right now? Wow. (laughs) You know, there are so many different ways to dive into this question. I'll just begin. I'm a scientist, an earth scientist. I'm a geologist by degree with a very strong background in the life sciences, marine biology, marine geology, marine chemistry, math, physics, computer science. The computer science has really become important over these last few years. I say this because it's it's a multidisciplinary background that's given me the ability to stay current with the new discoveries from the scientific community. And those discoveries are coming fast and furious. For example, the peer-reviewed journal Science is released every 30 days. And there's so many new discoveries that are happening so quickly, they now release a weekly addendum to keep the scientific community current on the new discoveries. And then they also summarize many of those in the monthly journal. We've asked science to tell us who we are. We've asked science to tell us where we've come from. We've asked science to tell us about the origin of the universe, the origin of our planet, and the origin of our species. Where do we come from? Science is doing a really good job of answering these questions. The problem is there is a reluctance in academia to accept what science is telling us. There is a reluctance in mainstream media to report on what science is telling us. The reality, Karen, is that there's a battle unfolding on many levels. We all know there's a battle for our thoughts. That's no secret. There's a battle for our beliefs, what we believe about ourselves and our relationship to the world. That's no secret. There's a deeper battle that is less recognized by many people, even in our genre. And it is a battle for our very humanness and what it means. What is our potential in this world? And what role do we play in the unfolding of the events that we're all seeing in our lives? So as a scientist, and I'm a systems scientist as well, so I tend to look at the big picture to understand the context and then to zero in on the nanosecond of our lives right now to see where that fits into the big picture. There is a convergence, a rare convergence of natural rhythms and cycles that would be occurring whether we were on this planet in the present form or not. We know about some of those rhythms. Climate, for example, is a rhythmic cycle that we're going through right now. And when you look in geologic history, 
through the ice cores in Antarctica, you can see the ebb and the flow of carbon dioxide, the ebb and flow of temperatures. Humans have only been here for 200,000 years. You can see well beyond into the millions of years those natural rhythms already existed. We're not causing it. We are contributing to some degree, and we need to accept that and acknowledge that and be responsible for that. But climate in and of itself, that would be enough to turn the world upside down, just the implications of the climate. We're also living the convergence of a series of economic cycles. I'm going to make a distinction between economies and finances. Economic cycles are the way that populations share the vital resources of life. Food, energy, water, medicine, communications, defense, things like that. We are living a convergence, the end of one cycle and the beginning of the next of an economic cycle. I had the opportunity a few years ago with my dear friend, my colleague, Dr. Bruce Lipton, who wrote the book, The Biology of Belief, and is one of the grandfathers of epigenetics. He was performing epigenetic experiments in the 1960s before there was even a name for it. We were invited to speak to the United Nations, and they asked a question very similar to what you've just asked, what's happening, what can we expect, and what can we do to prepare over the next few years? So what I'm saying to you, I shared at the UN, the third component surprised the people at the UN, and that is the cycle of human conflict. We are living a very pivotal point in natural rhythms of human conflict. And they said, well, what do you mean rhythms? Doesn't conflict just happen spontaneously when it happens? It certainly may. But what the science very clearly shows us is that the way we respond to crises is largely driven by magnetic fields of the planet, of Earth, magnetic fields of the sun. And the relationship is very simple. When the magnetic fields are high, we are more cooperative, more willing to solve problems together, less aggressive. When the magnetic fields are low, just the opposite of that is occurring. It may be no surprise to your audience and my global family and our community, we're living the lowest point in the magnetic fields in this cycle. It doesn't mean we must have conflict. It means that we are vulnerable and susceptible to conflict. However, when you look at the rhythms and the cycles, they're very clear rhythms and cycles. The great wars of the past have always happened and they've always ended at the tops and the bottoms of these cycles. Here's the good news. We are also living the greatest opportunity for peace right now, because when we recognize where we are in the cycles, it is an opportunity to consciously extend the olive branch of of peace and to communicate clearly and to become really good listeners. And I'm saying this because it's not only between nations. This is between people. This happens at the family dinner table between parents and children. It's even happening with us on an individual level as we struggle with our own inner crises, our own inner extremes that we're all going through. We're all feeling pulled in different directions. Those three factors alone are creating an environment where we must go through change. And the way to go through change in nature's way is that the patterns, the systems must give way to a higher order. And when they give way, we call that chaos. And what we're witnessing right now It takes a generation for this to happen. It doesn't happen like nice and neatly. It'd be nice if we all end one generation and and then wake up in a new generation with the changes, but it doesn't work that way. It takes one generation. And if you can just imagine how strong the soul strength, the soul compass of a generation 
to be able to navigate one world that is collapsing because it's unsustainable and a new world that's emerging, but it's not here yet. And we're living in both those worlds and we're trying to be healthy and happy and have some semblance of an intimate, healthy relationship and success and abundance and joy in our lives without getting lost in the fear of the unknown. That's where we are right now. So we said this to the United Nations. We'll probably never be invited back because <laughs> this isn't what they wanted to hear. <laughs> of course, within that context is the battle that we're talking about. There are those power structures that have chosen to capitalize upon this environment of extremes and chaos to try to implement their own vision of what the world should look like and what our lives should look like. And the problem is there are multiple competing visions with multiple competing agendas. We are witnessing this play out real time on our televisions and our radios. I don't watch TV anymore. Most people don't, I don't think. Certainly on our radios, we're, we're, this isn't something that's going to happen like years down the road. We're in it right now, Karen. We're in it. And the only way through it or out of it is to go through it. And the question is, do we come through it with a soft landing or do we come through it with a degree of suffering and hurt that I believe is unnecessary, a harder landing? So I think as we can, number one, just become aware, this is not business as usual. We're living a time of extremes. It's not going to last forever. It's a brief, intense period of time. We have this little window of opportunity where we get to recognize what works and what doesn't and what doesn't work. Rather than clinging to those ideas and fighting to keep those current in a world that changed, we can bless those ideas and let them go and make room for the beautiful new world that is emerging. And there's a lot of good news and a lot of beautiful things that are happening both in the scientific community, both within what we know about the human body and what we know about the world around us. It's not being supported. Science has been hijacked. And the data is being cherry-picked. It's been hijacked by religion, by corporations, by politics, by academia. And we're seeing this play out as well. So I want to thank you. It's through communities. You are a hub for your community. And it's through communities like this that we can responsibly and truthfully and honestly and accurately share the ideas. I'm just going to say this because I could go on and on this. I think it's really important to share these ideas with kindness. When we discover something new, it's not about making somebody else wrong or making them bad people. It's about sharing what it is that we do know, we do understand, and how we can embrace and implement it in our lives in a healthy way. Because there's so much hurt that's unresolved in the world, and that unresolved hurt becomes fear, and that fear is expressed as hate. So we see the hate, what we know, is that we're actually seeing people that are deeply wounded. And it's our global family. So as we can share these ideas kindly and responsibly, I think we begin to build the foundation for that new world. So you asked me a short question, what's going on in the world? That was a long answer to an overview. And now we can tie into that. I totally figured you'd fill that time. I really respect your insights and your brilliance. And I love the synthesis you just gave us. Over the past few years, we've had many thought leaders, many people who've spoken to the UN who have said very similar things that 
we have come to the end of a growth cycle in a system and that this chaos is actually a sign that things are shifting. And I personally believe that it's a sign that we're shifting towards a greater potential to the fulfillment of the human story. And I think the human story has the potential to have a really beautiful ending. I want to pull out a couple of things that you said. I like to ground our conversations here on Quantum Revolution in practical ways. I would say that the bulk of our listeners were probably born sensing that this is a time of great shift. I would say a bulk of our listeners have felt a certain responsibility to midwifing this shift. I would say that hands down the bulk of our listeners, if not all of them, are people who have wide open hearts and who are deep empaths and have a huge inner sense of knowing. And I think they struggle. And I think they struggle primarily because of what you said, that they are really between two worlds. They still have to go to the grocery store to get their groceries and have an income and do regular materialistic life, right? And they also have this knowingness that there's more available, there's more possible, there's something else brewing. My first question for you really beyond are we headed towards an apocalypse is what do you say to people who know that their job is to walk into the room and be the person who's regulating the room, who's regulating and influencing the energy of the room, but yet they're overwhelmed by their internal sensitive connection to the pulse of the shift that feels so hard. What do you recommend to people where they find that middle ground where they stay connected and they don't lose connection to their own power and truth? It's a really good question, Karen. You mentioned the grocery store. You know, I live in a rural community in northern New Mexico, and I'm out of the state and out of the country more than I am here. And I do my own shopping for my trips. So when I go to my little local co-op to prepare for an upcoming trip, this is where I get to connect with my community. And a lot of them do not know everything that we're talking about. But what they do know is this. I'll talk to them in the aisles in the produce section, you know, and haven't seen each other for a while. What's going on? And and what they'll say is something is not right. Things are moving too fast. We are being pressured to make decisions too quickly without having the information of what those decisions are all about. This is agricultural. It's health. It's finance. It's everything. So what they're saying is we don't know what's going on, but we need to go back to the basics. And what they're doing is they're pulling their kids out of public schools homeschooling, they are learning to be more self-sufficient, not to the point of excluding everything else, but just taking care of themselves on a little bit deeper level, growing some of their own food and making preparations in the event of a breakdown of things like electricity and lights and heat and, you know, things like that. We're living in a time of extremes. It makes sense to expect the unexpected. Maybe it didn't, you know, years ago. I connect with my people in in that way, and this is what they're seeing. The bottom line for me, I think, is for us to realize that we are absolutely not what we have been told, and we are so much more than we've ever even allowed ourselves to believe and accept. I think most people sense there's more to us, but even when they sense that, they'll reel it in a little bit because they'll say, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want my ego to come into play or something. And I'm just going to say, as a scientist, from a scientific perspective, We are a highly advanced, technologically sophisticated, soft technology. So we're not a technology of computer chips and sensors and wires. We're more than that. We're neurons and cell membranes and ion potentials that move across cell walls. And the beauty is that we self-regulate. We are the only form of life 
that we know of today that has the ability to sit down the moment in time and consciously choose at will, on demand, to self-regulate our own biology. And what that means is that we can awaken a strong immune system on demand, that we can awaken longevity enzymes that we all have on demand, that we can become resilient to change on demand, that we can awaken deep states of intuition, deep states of cognition, of super learning, super reading, super memory, and so much more. And the science supports all of this. So there is a battle. And I mentioned this. There's a battle playing out. And this is what our community is feeling because we're being told in through two generations now in academia and through our mainstream media that we are powerless victims of a world that we have no control over and that we are flawed. Our young children are being taught that carbon-based life is flawed that our ability to empath and to emote and feel the feelings actually impairs our logic and our thinking and our decision-making. So if we are victims, we need a savior. And the savior that's being touted in our world today, especially our young people, is technology. So we're being told that we need technology. We need to replace our bodies. We need to replace cells in our bodies and systems in our bodies with computer chips and chemicals in the blood and wires under the skin and sensors. This is what we're being told. So this ultimately is the battle for our humanness that we're talking about. So the answer to how you win that battle and the answer to your question of what we do is the same. And it's a beautiful and simple answer. By becoming the best version of ourselves, we have won that battle. When we accept the deep truth of what it means to be human and the full capacity. And we're still exploring. We don't even know what it means to be human on the levels that we're talking about. What we will find, Karen, is that we feel less of an urgency to incorporate that technology into our bodies and less of a desire to go there because literally, and I'm going to say this, we are the technology, all of the external technology. I'm a high-tech guy from 1970s working in the energy systems in the 80s, Cold War years, Star Wars defense. That was my project when I was in the defense industry, SDI, 1990s communications industry. Amazing technology. And I love technology. And there's nothing wrong with applying it in a way that helps our lives to be better. But when we begin replacing our own biology with the technology, this is where it's a very slippery slope. We have never developed a technology in the world out there that doesn't mimic what we already do in the cells of our bodies, except we do it better. Every technology, everything, and I talk about this in the books and the videos. So when we begin to embrace the deep truth of our own humanness, we have now transcended it. You're not even fighting the battle. You're rising above the battle to claim our own humanness. And I think this is the way we navigate This time, because if you don't know who you are, if an individual doesn't know who they are, then they will place their sense of well-being on the world around them. And when the world around us is good, there's no problem. When economy is good, stock market is good, jobs are good, health is good, nations are at peace, everything's great. But if your sense of well-being hinges on the vulnerability of what's happening in the external world, and that world starts to go awry, We're living a world of chaos right now. This is where the suffering comes from. We've got to have a rock-solid anchor 
a spiritual compass and an emotional anchor that says, this is who I am, and I know who I am, and I know what my potential, I know what my capabilities are. And once you do that, once you do that, it frees you. It doesn't change what's happening in the world. It changes your relationship to what's happening in the world. And we can watch the world. We can watch an unsustainable world collapse and bring in the beautiful new technologies, new sources of energy, new kinds of finance, businesses based on cooperation and sharing rather than competition and conflict. We know how to do this. Every organ in the human body is now documented with the ability to stop the damage, to repair what's happened, and even reverse the damage. Even organs that we were told could not, spinal cord tissue, brain tissue, heart tissue, pancreatic tissue, it's got to be given the proper environment. And that environment, the most important, it could be nutritional, it could be diet, exercise, all of that, but the most important is the inner environment, the perceptions the emotions, the way we see ourselves, and the umbrella for all this, Karen, that we can call this, it's our story, our story. Our story is the way that we've been taught to think of ourselves. So we live our lives based upon our story. We solve our problems. We heal our bodies. We choose our relationships. We choose our politics. We build our society, all based upon our story. And what we're witnessing, Karen, is an entire generation that's being faced with a challenge We're being told that the story we learned is not 100% accurate. It's wrong in so many places. And that there's a new story we're being invited to embrace. And everyone learns differently. Not everyone's going to embrace that story in the same way at the same time. So the best way what our people can do, in my experience, is you'll never convince or persuade friends and family of the kinds of things that we're talking about now because that's true (laughs) everyone has their own they're called media silos everyone has their own trusted source of information on facebook or youtube or twitter you go to the family dinner table and there's the parents and the kids they've got different sources of information that they believe and they are really entrenched in those beliefs so you're not going to convince or persuade anyone but what we can do is we live our lives by example When we live in our lives, what we have come to understand about our bodies and our world and our emotions, other people will recognize that. And what they'll see is that people who've embraced these truths, they're happier, they're healthier, their lives are more fulfilled. And then they'll ask, why did you solve that problem in that way? Or how come you're not afraid of the new pandemic that's coming down the road or whatever? Why aren't you afraid of that? And that's the doorway. That's the invitation to share what we now understand knowing that everything we understand can change in a heartbeat because science is made to be constantly updated, constantly changing. It's not static. And that's the reason why our young people, they're still being taught Darwin's theory of evolution is the source of our origin when the evidence doesn't support it. They're being taught we are the product of a dead inert universe when the new science is showing a universe is alive, it is conscious and even intelligent. The James Webb telescope is sending us data showing us intelligence in galaxies that are actually creating super jets to move them in their location to avoid damage from pulsars coming from stars or supernovas or whatever. I mean, it goes on and on. A new human story is emerging, and it's a beautiful story of hope and possibility. And when we allow ourselves to embrace that story, Based upon the science, the real science, not the pop science that you see on 
legacy media. We've got some popular scientists out there that are perpetuating really bad ideas. The real science, it gives us a reason to change our story. And within that reason, we become the best version of ourselves. And I think that's all we can do. And when we do that, we've defeated the agenda. We've defeated the ideas that are trying to convince and persuade us that we are flawed and that we need something outside of ourselves. We don't need the artificial intelligence and chips in our brains because we are so much more than what that AI can do. It's fast, but it's not scalable. We can scale beyond any known limits right now. So again, we could go on and on with this. And I'm very passionate about it because it's up for all of us right now. And I want to say to you, Karen, I think this is a really important conversation and I'm looking at a timer and I'd like to take this as close as I can to my next interview. So I'd like to continue. I don't want you to feel the pressure to end immediately here. Thank you. I appreciate that. I would like to just do a quick summary of everything that you've said so far, because I think it's so very important because I do think that in our communities, I sometimes hear people wanting to find these very complex solutions. And I keep saying, and I'm hearing you confirm this dream, which I'm grateful for, is that right now in front of us is the job, the main job to birth this new world, to replace outdated systems that are no longer functioning and are no longer rooted in what I think is a new primacy that says all life is inherently valuable. And that when we believe that all life is inherently valuable, then the new systems we build will be completely different. That we will look at our fellow siblings and say, oh, you're valuable because you exist. You don't have to prove it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to have a degree. You don't have to know a certain person or have a certain number in your bank account. That when we can start embracing that idea, we start telling a different story. And that our responsibility right now is to begin to take back control of our own personal narrative. And I think first and foremost, starting with recognizing that we are irreplaceable, vital parts of a cosmic plan, and that each and every person on this planet has never been here before, will never be here again, is inherently valuable. And that taking control of that story retelling that narrative, being sovereign over your own story is at least step one in birthing what's coming next. Is that a good summary? If you had given that summary before I gave my conversation, I wouldn't have given my conversation because what you said was so so right on. Oh, well, thank you. I'm a huge fan of Buckminster Fuller. I think he was a brilliant visionary. Me too. Me too. I never got to meet him way ahead of his time. Of all the things that he gave to this world and he left for us, there's one statement that he made. And I probably say it to myself at least a couple of times a week. It comes up for me. And what he said is you'll never build a better world by fighting the things that you don't like. If you want a better world, find a new model that makes the old model obsolete and people will follow the new model and the old model will fall away. And I believe that. And it's so powerful. Now, we all know there are times we have to fight, but fighting means different things. It doesn't mean you have to have a battle with another person. We can resist in ways without engaging in the dense level of anger and hatred that is keeping so much of our planet stuck in this field of anger and hatred. One of the ways that we resist is a beautiful example. When we take responsibility for our own bodies, and that's really, I think, 
where most of us are feeling the changes are so big. What can we do? Well, what we can all do is take responsibility for our own bodies. And we begin to understand that the human body is literally highly advanced, technologically sophisticated, soft technology. And I could go into, I'm just going to share, I'm going to go off script just a little bit here. And I'm going to introduce an idea that really anchors how sacred we are. This is unscripted, obviously, and I'm rehearsed. We had no idea what we're going to talk about. And in my bio, one of the statements in the bio is that one of my books and one of my achievements is the discovery of intelligent information encoded into the human genome. As a senior computer systems designer during the Cold War years, part of my responsibility was pattern recognition software. And when we began to look at the human genome when it was first published, Back in the early 90s, it was obvious there were some kind of patterns in there. And to make a long story very brief, I released a book in 2004 called The God Code. And it walks you through step by step, literally the recognition. I'm not going to say discovery because it's always been there. So the recognition of an intelligent message encoded into the DNA of all carbon-based life. I'm going to preface this. When I did this in 2004, it sounded like a pretty weird concept, data stored in DNA. And what I want to say right now is that this is a leading edge technology. The Japanese pioneered this, and now everybody is doing this. What they found is that DNA is a better storage media than a flash drive on your computer. It's denser storage information, requires no energy to maintain it other than the life of the DNA. and it will last forever as long as that life form replicates. So they're encoding entire, the Library of Congress is now encoded into certain forms of bacteria that will sustain radiation. If we ever had a nuclear attack, the next generation has all the information that they need by pulling it out of that bacteria, and we have it right there. So the idea of data in DNA is now accepted. It wasn't when I published in 04. And the bottom line to what I found after it took me 10 years to find this is that we literally have the first layer of the DNA in every cell of every human body literally has a message that translates into the root or the core languages of humankind. Biblical Hebrew, Arabic, cuneiform, and Sanskrit. And the message is the same and all. And that literally says God eternal within the body. God eternal within the body. Now, I have my own speculation, but as a scientist, I can't tell you who put that there. But what I can tell you is it's beyond a random chance that this message is there. When we talk about the human body and the sanctity and the sacredness of the human body, what I can say as a scientist is somewhere in our ancient past, there was an intervention of genetic mutations that has given us the ability for empathy and sympathy and compassion and to self-regulate our bodies in a way that was given to no other form of life. All the indigenous traditions tell us this, but that's not science. Now, science is seeing the mutations in the genome. They can't explain them. And now those mutations, when we translate that portion of the DNA, it literally says that there is an intelligence underlying our existence. We are not what we've been told. We're more than we've been led to believe. And when we embrace 
the truth and live what that, what does it mean to be God eternal within the body? How do we think differently about ourselves and our fellow brothers and sisters? And how do we solve our problems differently? And I apply this to my life every day. When I have a tough phone call with a producer for an event on the other side of the planet, and we have to cancel it because of COVID, for example, you know, something like that. How does God eternal within, not not the little Greg that has all the programs of unworthiness and my human flaws, that's my programming. But I can transcend that. How does God eternal within the body? How can I love myself and love this person to a higher solution without making somebody wrong or without making somebody hurt? That's God eternal within the body. And we begin to think of ourselves differently in that way. And it's beyond the scope, I know, of what we can really do well in that brief podcast. However, we're anchoring ideas in this podcast that give people the reason to look deeper. And the resources are there, my books, other people's books, other podcasts, other authors that you're having on this podcast are sharing the ideas that all reinforce that we're much more than we've been led to believe. And when we embrace that, that is how we navigate in a healthy way through this little window of extremes from a world that is unsustainable and is collapsing into the beautiful new world that we know is right there on there. We know this world exists in our hearts. So now what we're doing is we're using our minds to bring this world to fruition. Okay, so part one, get control of your story. Make sure the story you're telling is the true story of who you really are. And part two is now start practicing God eternal within the body and take that into the rooms that are dodgy and chaos filled and transforming and bring that energy in as the template for what's next. Yes. Can I give a concrete example in the few minutes that we have remaining of how? Yes, please. One of the most powerful discoveries in medical science and in biology in the last few years, in 1991, scientists, peer-reviewed journals revealed that they had discovered about 40,000 sensory neurites, specialized cells in the human heart. Now, they've always been there. They just didn't recognize it. They're like neurons in the brain, but they're not in the brain. They're in the heart. And this opens the door to a vast array of possibilities because these neurons in the heart, it's a neural network. We think, feel, remember independently in our heart from our brain. But here's where it gets interesting. We have the ability to harmonize these two neural networks. We can harmonize our heart and our brain in a process that's called coherence. And when we do that, we begin to think very differently. We hear criticism differently. We react less violently to criticism. We become conscious listeners and we are harmonizing and tuning every cell, every organ, every system in the human body in coherence. Optimum coherence is a low frequency, 0.1 hertz. When we can create 0.1 hertz between the heart and the brain, we are laying the foundation for optimal health optimal healing in our bodies. The way we do this is three simple steps. One, we focus our awareness, move it from our mind into our heart center. And one way to do this is gently just touching the area of the heart. Your awareness will always go to the place where you feel the sensation. That's the first step. Second step is we slow our breathing to activate parasympathetic nervous system, the relaxation response. And you want to exhale for a period of time longer than the inhale. So for example, maybe four counts one, two, three, four on the inhale and six, one, two, three, four, five, six on the release. Step two. Step number three 
is with the focus in the heart and the slowed breath focused in the heart to feel the feeling of a positive emotional experience. Pretty much 100% the feeling of gratitude will work for everyone every time. There are others you can experiment, but gratitude. And when you feel that gratitude within the conditions that you've created with the breath and the focus, you are sending 0.1 hertz through the neural network from the heart to the brain. And that is creating a very powerful physiological state of coherence. Three minutes will drop the cortisol stress levels in the body. It will increase the DHEA levels over 100%. And DHEA is the precursor to every hormone in the body. It opens the door. You'll have a stronger immune response, longevity enzymes, greater heart rate variability, which means greater resilience to change just from three minutes of heart-brain coherence. The Institute of Heart Math in Boulder Creek, California, pioneered this work. I'll invite my community, my global family, and Karen's family, if you want to check out HeartMath www.heartmath.org. They're good people, good research. They're dear friends. I've worked with them since 91. And they're pioneering this kind of research. And this is one example. This is one example of soft technology because we self-regulate. We're not taking a pill and we're not waiting for the world to do it for us. We choose to become the best version of ourselves. And this is one technique that opens the door to doing just that. The other piece that gets added to that is your creativity goes up exponentially. And so when you're sitting in a situation where you think, I don't know what to do, your capacity to find resolutions to the challenges facing your life or the challenges facing humanity goes up exponentially when we create from a place of coherence. Well, we do. And, and the reason the reason for that is because it opens the door to deep states of intuition. The peer-reviewed science, Karen, this is amazing. Peer-reviewed science says that the physical human heart, I don't have the quote in front of me because I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but the quote, I'm going to paraphrase, it says that the evidence suggests that the physical human heart is coupled to a field of information that transcends the limits of time and space. It means that through our hearts, we have the potential to reach beyond the limits of physics. So this is why when you have a prayer, in your living room for your son or your daughter, your loved one on the battlefield in Afghanistan, for example, or Syria, halfway around the world, your prayer doesn't have to travel to get there because on the level that that prayer is being created, we are linked to this field of information, this underlying field where there is here. It's already there. It's entanglement is what it's called. It's all about entanglement. When we begin to operate from that perspective, it gives us the reason to lift ourselves out of the conventional and traditional struggle, which is what's playing out in the mainstream media between political parties or the war that is being pushed upon the world. The world doesn't want the war, but a few power elites are pushing for war. We're seeing that. We're seeing people suffer from that. On this level, we rise above that, yet we influence the physical reality of our everyday lives. And I think this is what Buckminster Fuller was talking about. You find a new way where you don't need, you don't need all of the external stuff because you are the technology. And then when you awaken that, you've heard the term knowledge is power. What you're doing here is you are empowering your community because this is knowledge that opens the door to direct experience of what it means maybe for the first time to be human, to be pure human and to live that in our lives. 
Beautiful, beautiful. Greg Braden, thank you so much for giving us such a generous peek into the brilliance of your mind and the knowledge that you've been studying, gleaning over all these years. I appreciate your time and your wisdom so Um, much. Karen, you know, I I appreciate your trust. We've never worked together. So there's a level of trust that comes when you invite me into your community. And I want to thank you for your trust today and allowing me to share very freely. I don't know about you. I feel like that time just went by really quickly. Does it feel that way to you as well? It did. And my hope and my intention here is that for any of you who may be listening, who get scared or worried or frightened about what's going on, that you found a nugget that can give you a sense of hope and peace and maybe confirmation that we are absolutely headed in a very beautiful direction. So thank you. Thank you for being part of that message, Greg. And thank you for being here with us. If you want to learn more about Greg Braden's work, you can visit his website. It's Greg Braden, and that's Greg with two G's, so it's G-R-E-G-G-B-R-A-D-E-N.com. You can, of course, get Greg's books just about anywhere. They're easy to find, and they're dense and full of rich information. And for those of you who really want to go even deeper in everything that we talked about today, please do check out all of his work. Greg, thank you so much for being here with us. What an honor. It was definitely well worth the wait, so I appreciate you so much. Karen, thank you so much. And there's a man working behind the scenes that helped us out today. Mark, my brother, I want to thank you for all your support and helping us out as well. I want to thank our community for sharing a part of our your day with us. And Karen, I look forward to our next. We are basically living systems. Systems have limits. Eventually, a system will reach the limit of its growth and effectiveness. Because you are a living, breathing system with one job, to grow, you eventually outgrow yourself. Think of your life story as being kind of like the carapace of an insect or the skin of a snake. You're inevitably going to outgrow it. When we outgrow our story, if we're not consciously exiting rooms that no longer fit us or blowing our old life up with great intention, life tends to do it for us. The proverbial rug gets pulled out from under our feet and we get laid off, divorced, have a health crisis, or other such things. We are in a cycle on the planet that is the result of inevitable growth. The crisis we face is simply a symptom of our having outgrown our old systems. We are shedding our old skin, so to speak. But just as we can face at times in our personal life, we are at a global crossroads. We can be deliberate and aware steering the path that we take as we grow forward or not. Our attention and intention influences how we walk the path of our growth and the quality of the future we create. The world is looking to you to be part of engineering the way forward. It starts first with you healing the karma of your self-worth, the value you place on yourself so that you can create with intentions and higher frequencies of energy that support the peaceful and sustainable evolution of the planet. Please remember, you are a vital, irreplaceable part of the evolution of the world. If you need help remembering the once-in-a-lifetime cosmic event that is you, please visit quantumalignmentsystem.com and get your free quantum human design chart. I'm Karen Curry-Parker. Thank you for joining me for Quantum Revolution. Thank you for joining us on Quantum Revolution with Karen Curry-Parker. 
For more information on how to change your world and to hear more about our guest today, visit quantumrevolutionpodcast.com. Make sure you follow us on your favorite podcasting platform so you don't miss a single episode of Quantum Revolution. We'll see you next time for some more groundbreaking conversations with Karen and her guests. How will you impact your world today? Wow. Really. Thank you, Rama. I will read this next one. This is another one, everybody. It's called Practical Tools for Mass Awakening with yours truly, Greg Braden. How does living with our fullest human potential help us access our divinity? Watch episode 13 of Quantum Minds TV with Dr. Teresa Bullard W-H-Y-K-E and distinguished guest, Greg Braden. To learn more about how being human helps us to access our divinity. Whether we look at spirituality, indigenous traditions, or, quote, the simulation, unquote, all of them invite us to discover the best version of ourselves. The best version of ourselves is the fullest extent of our humanness and our extraordinary potential. We must tap into our fullest human capacity to support mass awakening. And so this is 40 minutes, and let's do this one now. I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-Weig, and this is Quantum Minds TV. Welcome to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. Now, today, I'm very honored to have Greg Braden joining me. Greg is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, scientist, and pioneer in the emerging paradigm-bridging science, social policy, and human potential. A simulation of the idea that is very much a modern-day concept, but it could also, as you're saying, it gives us a new language or maybe a new metaphor to use to compare, uh, whereas in past traditions, you know, they use the metaphor of the dream or, you know, the, the metaphor of, of something else. And, and in the movie The Matrix, I think they picked up on this idea of the simulation. And, you know, you have your your kind of programmed reality that that is the illusion, um, and yet it's really happening and then you have this you know getting out of that simulation or out of that matrix and you've got the 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 real world you know and and where you have real autonomy and real ability to to choose for yourself and so it's disconnecting from that 
programmed sort of consensual reality story and shifting into a, a more sovereign story, a story where you know that you have the ability to create your life, that you have the ability to shift your own software and to change the expression of your DNA and, and so forth. So maybe we can kind of come back a little bit to how, how do we do that within yeah. Um, you know, within epigenetics, for example, but also, you know, you've mentioned the power of words and uh, mantras and, and vibrational energy to influence the DNA. There's so many keys that we have where the power's in our hands to, you know, adjust what's going on inside of us that then allows us to create a, a better way of life, a better reality for ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I think, and I just, I threw in the simulation because what it has done, it has included an entire genre of engineers and scientists that felt excluded for so many years in these conversations that weren't necessarily on board with the spiritual language or the metaphysical language. And I've had conversations, I've had them in my audience and they say, wow, you know, I never thought of it. And now, now they're on board with it, but it doesn't make any difference. Whether you're talking about spirituality or indigenous traditions or you're talking about the, the simulation, all of them invite us to discover the best version of ourselves. And the best version of ourselves is, is the, the full extent of our humanness, uh, the extraordinary potential that, that lives within us as our humanness. We all learn differently. And, and that's the beauty. We all learn differently. And so different language will open the door for different people at different times. But we're all working toward this best version of ourselves. And what you're doing is, and I, I so appreciate the platform here to, to be able to share this, because it, it is very different from what we've been conditioned and led to believe when we begin to see the potentials within us. So for me, I mean, there are, we could do a whole program on this. I think one of the most fundamental potentials is the understanding uh, that we have a neural network in our heart as that is separate and independent from the neural network in our brain. But we are unique in the fact that we can harmonize those two networks at will, on demand, when we choose. This is a mind blower. Two separate organs with two separate neural networks that we can harmonize into a single potent system. And that system, when we do that, it opens the door to deep levels of our potential, to an enhanced immune response on demand, to awakening longevity enzymes on demand. And it's not just about longevity. If you are living a long time, it means you're healing along the way. So deep states of healing. It opens the door to deep levels of resilience to change in a healthy way. And our, our world is changing so fast. So who doesn't want that resilience? To, to deep states of cognition, super learning, super memory, super recall, and, and so much more simply by utilizing this extraordinary, this soft technology, uh, in a way that we typically don't think about using it. So for some people, it's a very different way of thinking. For some people, I say, right on, man. You know, I've, I've always had a feeling that we could do this. And this state of awareness that's called coherence is very familiar to us when we're young and as as babies and as young children until we're conditioned out of it through our environment, through our culture and family. Well, well-intentioned, but as as we become enculturated to function in the world, 
we uh, typically will leave this natural state of coherence. And that's why it feels so familiar when we return to it. Mm. Well, if I, if I may, so, you know, let's get into some practical things here because, you know, the brain, if we're trying to find a place of coherence within our brain, there's multiple tools that we can use. There's meditation as one. Music is another one. Singing and chanting is another one. All of these things will, will really create that harmonic state of our brain, even like playing chess or doing strategy games, you know, that, that harmonize left and right hemispheres. Tai Chi, Qigong, you know, these kinds of movements, all of these will help, you know, create that harmonic brain state. And then, you know, you mentioned bringing it into the heart and the heart state as, as heart math. And you've been talking about it's very much that place of compassion, gratitude, empathy, um, joy, you know, the, 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 the exuberance and imagination of, of a child, you know, just really coming at it from that open hearted state. Um, and then there's, there is a third, uh, you know, nervous system in our, in our body, which is in the gut. And we have so much, uh, so many neurons within the gut and the gut is responsible for producing like large majority of the serotonin that then is sent uh, to the brain to affect our mood uh, and to affect our sense of, of balance. You know, our biochemistry gets balanced there. And here it is, you mentioned breath before, you know, and, and breathing in that deep belly breathing helps to bring that harmonic state into the gut. And what I find fascinating is that these three centers, the, the, the third eye, the heart, the gut, the, the, the second chakra, these were in like the ancient um, uh, martial arts systems were considered the, the three chi centers or the three, they call them dantians or tandans, uh, where there's wisdom, there's life energy. And so harnessing these technologies within our bodies uh, through all of these practices uh, that are part of the ancient traditions. And yet now we're seeing the modern science coming in to, to collaborate with uh, and corroborate that, yeah, these are, these are important tools that we can use to awaken. I, absolutely. And, and I love every, everything you're saying. And I, I think it's important, I've found this with our live audiences, to let people know we are always in some state of coherence. Mm-hmm. The, the key is, and we're always in some state of healing. The key is to optimize that coherence, to optimize the healing. So we now, there is a science to this, and we know that the optimum signal from the heart to the brain to establish optimum coherence is a very low frequency. It's, it's 0.1 hertz. And, and it's no accident that it is this frequency because when you look at the field, magnetic field resonance law, is, this is where I get to be a geologist. I love this. <laughs> when, when you look at the, the magnetic field resonance of the planet under our feet, so this, this is not the Schumann resonance in, in the cavity between the surface and the ionosphere. That's, that's something separate. This is a, a fundamental, it's called the, the field line resonance of, of the planet. When you look at that map, uh, the first spike that you see is it's not it's not zero and it's not point two. It is exactly that point one hertz. So when we harmonize our heart and our brain to point one hertz, we're actually harmonizing our biological body with the fundamental magnetic of, of the planet we live on. If we go to another planet, we might have to, to do another another frequency. Point one hertz. This is where our healing begins. Now the beauty is that coherence is not limited to 
the heart and the brain. Once it's established between the heart and the brain, because it is coherence and it's optimum, uh, it is influencing every system in our body, including the, the neural network in the gut. So the gut uh, is very much a part of this, and it, it is harmonized as well. So this is interesting. 1991 is when the scientists, the scientific community, found the neurons in the human heart. Uh, it was published in 94 in the journal Neurocardiology, 1994. Uh, I think it's Harvard University. Once the scientists found those neurons in the heart, they said, huh, where else might they be? And what they found is that there are sensory neurites pretty much in every organ of the body. Now, the difference is they are not developed. The neural network in the other organs is not developed to the degree that it is in the heart. So the heart and the brain, when we harmonize those and bring them into coherence uh, through three steps, focus, breath, and feeling, when we harmonize those, that coherence radiates, it extends and brings the entire system into this state of coherence. And we are also bringing our bodies into coherence with this fundamental frequency of the planet. By, by the way, uh, whales communicate with 0.1 hertz. It's so universal and military submarines, which is why it's the problem for the whales. But it's because it is such a universal frequency. Mm. So, so how do we do that? Three steps. We focus our awareness. We move from our brain into our heart. And you can touch your heart gently a little bit to do that. Slow the breathing uh, a little bit slower than usual, but breathe longer on the exhale than on the inhale, which is, is what stimulates the parasympathetic nerve, the relaxation, the parasympathetic nervous system. But number three is where we really establish this coherence, and it's with uh, an emotion. And when we can feel on demand the emotion of gratitude or appreciation, care, or compassion, and those are the four words that work most successfully for most people in the English language. Those are there others who you can experiment and see it works for you, but almost every time gratitude will do it, appreciation, care, and compassion. When we do those three steps and so we harmonize these neurons in the heart and the brain, that is the answer, I think, to the question. You're talking about practicality uh, because we open the door to an enhanced immune response to the longevity enzymes, super learning, super cognition, resilience, all those things. And that's passive. Just by doing those three steps, those are passive benefits. Now we have active benefits where we can take advantage of that coherence and go into altered states, deep states of awareness, access the subconscious for uh, affirmations and things like that. So it's it's a gate, gateway, and, and it begins in the heart. As it, uh, so many indigenous traditions, I don't want to talk them quickly because I feel like we're going to run out of time, but so many of the indigenous traditions from the shamans in, in the Yucatan uh, and the Andes of Peru and when I was in Tibet and certainly the aboriginals and uh, uh, when I'm with uh, the Bedouin in Egypt, they all begin these processes in, in the heart uh, and with breath. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, that I think is is one of the keys to practically applying this inner technology and and the alchemy is part of this because we are changed 
in the presence of our coherence. We are changed biologically and we change the, the way we feel emotionally. Well, it's so interesting, too, because in the fetus, the very first organ that starts to operate is the heart. And and so and then it it starts to uh, create a harmonic with the mother's heart. And so and then the ear and the brain start to be programmed by that early heartbeat within the fetus. And, you know, so you have the heartbeat of the mother, the breath of the mother, the heartbeat of, of the baby. And, and and these are programming and sending the signals up to the brain for it to be developed. And, you know, so these are the early rhythms. And then for it to also have this point one hertz resonance with the fundamental frequency of the Earth's magnetic energy, um, and that is, you know, like tuning into that heartbeat of Mother Gaia as well. Mm-hmm. And isn't it that this 0.1 hertz also is a resonant energy that runs through the vagus nerve? Is the, the vagus nerve kind of, is that main nerve that connects the, the brain and the heart and the gut and all the organs? It's, and it's, like the, it's like the super highway. It begins right at the base of the skull and goes down uh, into the, the, the base of the spine. And it has so many access points. When you look at the uh, at the vagus nerve, it has access points out to the eyes. And so there are eye movements that can stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. Uh, it has access points to the, to the mouth. And that's why when you smile, you're actually triggering that, uh, that relaxation response into the lungs. That's why the breath is important. Into the genital area. And that's why many of the ancient uh, tantric practices also tie tie into this so it's it's like the super highway of of the information yeah. uh and that's why it's been so so important and you know so many traditions yeah. yeah well what i love is that these ancient traditions without knowing the science about it they through experience learned the tools and the methods that again the power was in their own hands to harness these uh, you know things within us and they didn't know the, the the ins and outs of what was going on in the body but they did know from an experiential level the impact that it was having upon us and they saw not only was it having on them as an individual at a subjective level but they saw that as they taught those same methods meditations chants and you know working with different musical instruments and so forth, the breath work, all of these things, it passed them on through the generations and saw that, yeah, these tools work for everybody when they use them. And uh, and so that's, again, speaking to that inner technology that is the best technology that we can learn to harness. Well, it is. It is true. So now I'm going to come back the other direction. We live, because this isn't happening in a vacuum, we live in a society where we're being conditioned that we are flawed as a species, that we need something outside of us to be healthy in our bodies and to be successful in life. It's a great way to drive consumerism. (laughs) Well, it it is. Uh, And technology is being touted as the savior Mm -hmm. and uh, the replacement of biology with technology. So I'm going to make a distinction. There are different levels of this. You know, if, if we use contact lenses, that's an external technology that, that helps us in the world. And, and I think that's fine. We begin replacing skin and organs and tissues and, uh, and neurons with artificial intelligence on computer chips embedded into the tissue. That's a whole different story. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and what the science is, uh, just, I'm um, just research the articles on this. I didn't know we we're going to talk about it. I don't have them here, but the science is very, very clear that 
we have the the biological adage is use it or lose it. So if we don't use our systems and if we don't use the neurons in the cells, our body assumes that they're not needed and they stop producing them. So we now know, for example, that we produce new neurons in the brain up until the last breath of life. We used to think it was a fixed number and, and we know it's not. But we also know that when a, a new neuron is produced, it must be engaged in a meaningful way within two weeks of production or it will atrophy and die mm-hmm. because it's not being used. So, so now think about it. we got three, three year old kids. They wake up in the morning. They eat their Captain Crunch, you know, crispies or whatever it is for breakfast. They go sit in the living room and they put on a VR visor, you know, a virtual reality visor. And for hours, they are watching uh, colors, intense colors that they would never see in the backyard. Mm-hmm. And they are seeing sounds and sights. But here's the key. It's all being done for them. So they are observers rather than using their imagination mm-hmm. and their creativity. We did when we were kids to make forts in, right. you know, in the backyard and to, and to make alternative realities of experience. And now the studies are showing, first, the visual cortex is thickening in the young people, which impacts their cognitive abilities, and not necessarily in a good way, uh, but their developmental abilities, their socialization with other kids, naturally, uh, is waning because they're, they're not doing it. But they, uh, their cognitive abilities, their cognitive development is, is being impacted because they are not being stimulated to do these things on their own. This is yeah. the first, gener- first generation where this has happened. And so I, I think that we have to be aware of this so that we can allow technology to serve us rather than become enslaved by the technology in a way that many people, like Ray Kurzweil, says by the year 2050, we will have synthetic bodies. And if we are operating in synthetic bodies, then we've lost the DNA antenna that tunes us to our divinity. Mm. And I, I don't think Ray Kurzweil is thinking in, in, in that way, or maybe he is. And, and you know, there's a whole <laughs> Ray conversation. Ray Kurzweil just wants to live forever in a machine, you know, by transferring his brain into the machine. So, well, this is the trans. He doesn't believe in the eternity of, of the, the no. consciousness beyond the body. Um, you know, even when people, you mentioned the user lose it, even when people, I, I think everyone can, you know, who have, has had glasses can relate that, you know, at the very beginning, you might need the glasses because your eyes are starting to fail. But then as you get used to the glasses, it's like it actually, you know, the eyes, it becomes harder and harder to focus on its own. Uh, and it relies more and more on the glasses. And then we have to get, you know, greater and greater prescriptions. And, you know, with the, with the brain, the, those, those neurons that are wired, if we stop using those neural pathways, they will be pruned, right? And they will be cleaned up because they're not being used anymore. And and with the kids, you know, even even before the virtual reality stuff, just the personal devices and and those saturated colors make the the brain think it's candy. Uh, and and the people who you know are behind so much of the software and and the developments of these technologies. 
the parents know, like they know they don't want their children growing up being addicted to these technologies. And so they're putting their kids in schools where the technologies are not being used and they're putting limits upon how much they allow their kids to get on them. Not that, not that we can't use technology, but I think in the developmental stages of, of a child and the wiring of the brain, which is all the way from, you know, the fetus all the way up until at least 25 years old. And then we're still, we, with that plastic we're still constantly able to rewire our brain. And yet, you know, there's a certain point where we can have a fully developed human engaging with these and having enough self-control and, and will and discipline to disengage with the technology and, and live a real human life as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a... It's a frightening point that we're at, uh, but there's also equally, I feel, the possibilities within technology to harness it and create a much better world as long as well, it comes in. I, I, I agree, Teresa. What it's doing is it's pushing us to, for the first time to understand who we are. And uh, it, it is it can be a frightening time. It's also a very exciting time because now we're understanding the human body and human consciousness in ways that uh, that we we never have before. You know, cloning. The cloning is a perfect example. And I think many of your uh, your viewers and in our community are familiar a little bit with cloning. The first clones the, was the sheep. Dolly was the one that was, you know, made national news. What a lot of people don't know is the clones look like they are successful at first. So. So the clone of Dolly looked and acted like Dolly for a while, or now they do it with, with bovine, bovine uh, cows as well. Uh, and there's a mystery that has surrounded the cloning process. And this is forcing scientists to understand better who we are. And the mystery is this. The clones appear to work and function perfectly at first. Something happens, they begin to break down, and they typically live about 50% of the lifespan of the original sheep or the original cow. And scientists, they don't understand. They say, well, look, the DNA is exactly the same. How can it be? This is what the piece they're missing. In the DNA, in, in the cell, there's DNA in the nucleus. And there's DNA outside of the nucleus, the mitochondrial DNA, and they are tuned together and they are also tuned into the field. All right. When the clone is created, they take one of those cells and they pull out the DNA in the nucleus. They take that out, the original DNA, and they put in the DNA from another another being in there. It's no longer tuned to the mitochondrial DNA, it's no longer communicating with the field mm -hmm. that is holding it in place. It, that, and it loses that communication, that, that mm -hmm. breakdown. Mm -hmm. That's forcing the scientists to, to grasp a non-physical process mm -hmm. that is influencing a DNA that they have never wanted to access in, in the past. And this, and the same thing would be true for us. If we're replacing our DNA with synthetic bodies, synthetic organs, synthetic skin, and it's just a brain in a synthetic body, we're no longer tuned to that part in the field. This is where our divinity comes from, our ability to transcend the limits 
uh, the, the perceived limits of, of what it means to be human. <laughs> and we're at, at the critical crossroads. I mean, it's this generation that's happening within this generation. These decisions are being made. Mm. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's, it, we owe it to ourselves to, uh, to know what it means to be human, perhaps for the first time mm-hmm. and to embrace the deep truth of our humanness. And then from that empowered perspective, make the choice. What role does technology play in our lives? How much of ourselves do we give away to the technology? Mm, so, so good. Uh, you know, so I love what you said there about the DNA and the mitochondria being tuned into the quantum field and, and in a way entangled with the, each other and they inform. And it just again comes back to that, uh, the evidence that's showing how the DNA is very much connected to the quantum field. It's like this bridge between us. And the quantum realm. And, um, you know, I love what you said about us, you know, really getting to know who we are as human. Um, and, and a big, you've dedicated so much of your life and your career to helping move forward this awakening of human consciousness and this shift, you know, in, in the collective, uh, by bridging the science and the indigenous wisdom and, and yet very practical things. Um, and, and, you know, not only do we want to awaken at an individual level, but we want to also awaken at a collective level. So what do you feel really needs to happen for us to access that that critical mass point of people waking up and choosing to steer the course, you know, with this yeah. this tipping point that we're at, to steer the course towards the the reality of what we can create as humans versus the dystopia. I think well we're bringing it full circle coming coming back to where we began. I think the the old idea of critical mass, I think it takes on a different significance with the new ideas of us living in a quantum reality mm-hmm. to where it is less about the sheer numbers of people that embrace the ideas and more about the quality of the ideas that a relatively few number of people can, can embrace on the quantum level. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a, it's a very different way of, of thinking for some people. Uh, but I think this is, this is where we are right now. Everyone learns differently and we are so diverse in our experience. And we are so blessed, Teresa, to, to have the time to devote to just having this conversation day when many of our brothers and sisters are just trying to live through the end of this day. Uh, by us living in our lives, what we are claiming in this conversation. We are uplifting our brothers and sisters everywhere. We're, we have to anchor these possibilities into the field to make them accessible, more accessible to others who may not be thinking the way that we are right now. I mean, anybody can, can do this, but by us bringing these ideas, crystallizing them and focusing upon them and embracing them and living them in our bodies and we finish in just a few minutes, we're going to finish and we're going to go walk out into our world. How do we live in the world? What we're talking about here. And every time we do that, we're making it more accessible to our brothers and sisters in our global family who may not have the same perspective. Uh, they don't have the luxury of spending a couple of hours having this conversation. Uh, and living by example, I think, I think is a lot, a lot of that. A lot of it comes down to something that people don't like to hear as personal responsibility. But as we take responsibility 
for our own lives rather than asking a higher authority, a government, to take care of us, for example. We, as we embrace the sovereignty of what it means to be human and live that in, in our lives, uh, personally, I think others benefit from us doing that collectively. And I think this is the way, mm-hmm. the way that this new world emerges. I mean, realistically, uh, I'm an engineer and I'm, I'm an optimist and I'm also a realist. <laughs> realistically, we're in it. We're in a change. And the only way out of it is to go through it. Mm-hmm. And realistically, I think what will happen is we are witnessing two parallel societies emerge. One is all in on all the technology and everything. They're just hook, line, and sinker. They're in. And another part of society, and these are my rural neighbors and my rural community at my little co-op where I do my grocery shopping. They're not plugged into that tech. They don't know everything that's going on. But what they do know, something is happening in the world that doesn't feel right. Mm. And the way they respond is they say, we need to slow down and go back to basics. We're going to teach our kids, take them out of public school and teach them the values that we want them to have. We're growing some of our own food. So when the supply chains break down, you know, we're not as impacted. This is how they're responding. So two parallel societies. And we're going to do what humans always do. We're going to check each other out. And we're going to say, who's happier? Who has stronger relationships? And the answer to that question is what will bring our communities together. And I think this is where the unity comes from. The answer to that question is what people are going to say. They're going to say, I want what they're having. I want that happiness. I want that sense of well-being. I want that health and healing. And and they'll begin to mimic the, the lifestyle that is informed by the consciousness that we're talking about right now. And I think realistically, this is what I see happen. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense if I say it that way? Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting because it, it also almost gives a new context to what happened during a couple of years of the COVID-19 pandemic where the world shut yeah. down, couldn't go to work, the, the, the usual distractions of being out and about and, and the busyness, especially in, in the urban type of living. Um, you know, the, we, we had the un plug life slowed down for a bit and it gave you know there was of course the 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 tragedy of the deaths and everything that was happening but amidst it it also forced people to slow down and to to regroup themselves and uh to to reevaluate what is important and you know and then when we are forced to only be able to connect through zoom for example and and digital you know and, and there's all this isolation it, it reminded people of the value of actual human connection uh real relationships going out and spending time with the kids outdoors you know doing something fun rather than just putting them on the video games i mean there was real human value uh and that was re-emerging and a re-evaluation of purpose a sense of like what do i really want to do because now people don't want to even go back to work or get back into the grind <laughs> well one of the things i i know we're seeing that one of the things that revealed was in the hierarchy of human needs mm-hmm. uh, water is still number one we need water and air obviously food has now fallen down that hierarchy you can go for a couple of weeks without uh without food but what they found is that community mm-hmm. moved up in the hierarchy. 
community was more important than food. And people that didn't have that connection, uh, sadly, many of them took their own lives because they felt so isolated and so alone and so powerless. Uh, and, and so what we find is that community, we've always known that was important, but now we know why it's important and that it's become more important than ever. Mm-hmm. And, and localization, as we go through a time of extremes where formally we are being uh, urged into centralized living. So rural living is being discouraged. People are being urged to go into large population centers uh, and to live in very densely packed large population centers. That's what's happening in in media on the one hand. But on the other hand, what people are finding is that localized living, localized living is the way to to move through these times of extremes. So so what does that mean? It means uh, localized agriculture, localized food, farm to table, which a lot of people do localized economies, localized finances, localized sources of energy. Uh, and and all of those, I think, contribute to the community that we're talking about. And that community is based on uh, ultimately our humanness and what it takes to to be fully human and to be happy and to be healthy and fulfilled. Wonderful. So, uh, Greg, I want to thank you so much for, you know, joining me on Quantum Mind City. There's so much more we could have talked about, and I would love to at some point hopefully have you back on. Uh, there's, you know, some deep conversation that we can continue to get into in, in multiple directions. Uh, but I just want to see if there's any final words that you would like to leave people with in terms of, you know, what's most important right now for them to, to be able to make that shift. Yeah, well, thank you for that opportunity. You know, I um, I am a huge fan of Buckminster Fuller. Uh, he was a man way ahead of his time, a visionary. I, I wish he were still with us today. Mm. He, I think he passed in the mid-1980s. But he said something, uh, and I have worked with people who knew him and worked with him di- directly. And he, he said something that touched me so deeply. I, I say it to myself pretty much every day. And what he said was, you'll never change the world by fighting against the things you don't like. So if you want a new world, find a new model that makes the old model obsolete. And people will follow the new model and the old model falls away. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Now, I totally get that there are sometimes the warrior in me has to fight sometimes. And we all we all know that. But ultimately... There is a, a new world that's trying to emerge. And I think if if we can become the best versions of ourselves and live that in our families and our communities and our everyday lives, we've won the battle without ever having to fight because we have claimed the deep truth of our humanness and the deep truth of our power. And I think ultimately that's all we can ask of ourselves at this time. So that, that's what I'd like to say in closing. I love that. Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, that brings us to the end of this conscious conversation with Greg Braden. And Greg, thank you so much for sharing your vast experience and insights with us. And I'll look forward to at some point having you again on Quantum Minds TV. Greg and Teresa, uh, show number two. And I look forward to that as well. Thank you for sharing me with your community and for trusting me and, and having this conversation. It's an important conversation, and you are such a master 
at what you do and at leading this conversation. I'm honored to be with you, Teresa, and I, I do it again in a heartbeat. And now, stay tuned for a bonus video with Dr. Teresa Bullard as we take a deeper dive into critical mass and coherence. One of the things when it comes to reaching critical mass that, that you know, we've often heard about is, okay, it's the 100 monkey effect, so maybe it's like 10% of the population or 3% of the po- world population that we need to up-level, to awaken to a higher level of consciousness in order for us to create that tipping point or that critical mass point within the collective that has awakened. And then that can snowball uh, or ripple out into the rest of the collective to also awaken. But what you just said there about really it might not be a hard percentage of the population, for example, or an exact number of people, but really it's more about our connection in and our ability, the quality of our ability to access the quantum field as individuals um, and the maybe we can say it's more going to be a critical mass of the measure of how much coherent energy can we put into the collective field as individuals and then as groups um, so if i you know as an individual can can reach an, a coherent state and then if i can you know really sustain that coherent state for longer periods of time and even live in a coherent state. Now I'm contributing more energy and coherence into the field than if I'm only achieving coherence in little blips, for example. Um, and then if, if I know how to not only reach a coherent state, sustain that coherent state, live from that coherent state, if I know how to amplify that coherent state, which is something that we really learned how to do within the mystery tradition, uh, and, and this is something I've learned within the mystery school and, and through the process of initiations and so forth. These are ancient spiritual technologies for how to amplify, how to accelerate our, our growth and our ability to have an impact on the collective. And then we learn the tools for how to create that coherent state. Now we can reduce the number of people who are needed, and yet we can really work on the quality of, of the people who are really putting in the effort to achieve those coherent states and then put that into the collective field. And if we can then create a resonant effect amongst those individuals who are doing it from a, a quality level, like there's a whole new realm of possibility of, um, you know, what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness because if we don't have to reach 10% or 3%, maybe we can become, as individuals, we can become that shift. We can become that critical mass uh, for our own impact into the collective field. And yet, having said that, we're not lone rangers here. We're not here to, you know, no man is an island. Uh, we're not here to do it on our own as an individual. We're here to do it as a collective. So we are here to co-create this experience, which is why it's so important that we come together in communities of coherent people who are ready to work together to create a resonant and an amplified effect uh, that then can impact into the quantum field. So that's giving me a lot more hope uh, that we can indeed achieve this shift in collective consciousness when we learn how to really access a quantum conscious state. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard White in collaboration with Blake and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music was created by
Carlton of Even Load Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy. Okay. Okay, wow. All right, this is uh, the next one we're going to do. This is uh, called Alchemical Evolution. Yes, I'm going to read this, and you'll get there, honey. And it's, uh, okay, author and alchemical artist, Marlene Sevenbremer reveals how hermetic philosophy and alchemical principles can help us liberate our authentic creative selves offering her own experiences and expertise. Bremer explains how we can transmute alchemical energies to gain intuition, gnosis, meaning self-knowledge, and creative expression. Explore the complicated yet beautiful symbolism of alchemical arts. And Marlene Seven Bremer is an uh, is the author of Hermetic Philosophy and Creative Alchemy, The Emerald Tablets. Also, <clears throat> the Corpus Hermeticum, and the Journey Through the Seven Spheres. And this is forty five minutes, and well, let's get started. Mm. different forces as we see in the hermetic worldview they're associated with the planets they work upon us unconsciously these aren't masses of rocks moving through the solar system they have conscious intelligence just as Gaia Earth has herself the more conscious that we can become of these influences and sort of form a relationship to these archetypal energies that the planets represent the more agency and control we have over our own destiny. I began to just apply some of these different ideas into my creative practice. What you did is so powerful and beautiful because it gives the representation for the rest of us to be able to to see visually. We can slowly begin to purify, in an alchemical sense, the contents of our own inner world and the contents of our mind. Many of you have heard of the word hermetics, but it remains a lofty concept. Marlena Seven Bremner has taken it upon herself to articulate these texts into one beautiful volume of work, driven by artistic renditions of what came from her Dark Night of the Soul. Welcome. You've done such beautiful work here, and there's a tremendous amount of depth to it. Thank you. And really, it's like if someone wants to take hermetics on, I can't think of a more wonderful place than, you know, the standard on Amazon, uh, Corpus Hermeticum, anybody can do that. But I love your book. This is beautiful. I would like to first start out because you're, you appear to be quite young and clearly you got on your path early. You lived around the world, military dad. Mm-hmm. But some, let's talk a little bit about your time in Germany and what happened later in life that 
really caused you to go through what I mentioned earlier, kind of a dark night of the soul, so people can get to know you a bit. Yeah, well, I was born in Germany, but didn't live there long. We left when I was about four, but I think it was a pretty um, formative experience growing up those four years. That imprint Mm -hmm. of your being, being born there. Yeah, and Frankfurt, where I was born, was also a very important alchemical um, city in after the Renaissance, and a lot of really important books were published there, so... Um, it feels significant that that's where I came into the world. Mm-hmm. Um, Born on that dirt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I grew up in a in a household with a very artistic mother and a very scientific kind of um, atheist father. And we didn't grow up with religion because they both rejected it in their own ways. But my mom was quite the spiritualist. So there was a lot of that influence mm-hmm. for me growing up. And um Felt very connected with nature as a child and interested in, um, the polarities from a young age, interestingly. Like, yeah, that, you know, that, that would kind of lead you right toward hermetics at yeah. one point or another. It was inevitable. Yeah. But what was it? And on what level were you interested in polarity as a very young girl? Well, just the very basic relationship between the sun and the moon. Like mm-hmm. this would feature in my artwork quite often. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, the union of the opposites just sort of seemed like an important concept. And I don't know why that came to me. Um, but, you know, it was sort of an unconscious thing going on at that point. And as I developed and studied different spiritual traditions and different healing modalities, um, I eventually came to find polarity therapy. Mm-hmm. And I was living in Olympia and I found a teacher there. Olympia, Washington. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And started studying and practicing polarity therapy, which is largely based in hermetic principles and these ideas of um, the elements forming the human body and the energy of the caduceus and the chakras and um, complementary and complementary mm-hmm. types of coming together for alchemical you know, transformation. Yeah. Yeah. And essentially helping people to return to their connection with source Mm -hmm. and to find balance between the polarities rather than being pulled by attraction and repulsion back and forth between forever till we die. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So that was my introduction to hermetics. And it was during the time that I was still studying polarity um, that I was also introduced to alchemy and as you mentioned, I went through a very dark night of the soul. Um, things were kind of just thrown upside down for me overnight. And um, I didn't know how to help myself anymore, mm-hmm. even though I had all these tools and I was going to school for energy medicine and had all this uh, wonderful healing energy around me. It was like um, an emotional shock, trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was an emotional shock and a trauma and felt like my entire nervous system had been rerouted basically overnight. Yeah. And so all of the things that used to help me self-regulate no longer helped. Mm-hmm. So I had to find a different way through this um, because going on long walks, meditation, going to yoga classes, all these things that had been helpful would actually trigger panic and anxiety. This whole notion of what happens when you go into an emotional shock and the way it affects the nervous system mm-hmm. and then the way the nervous system in turn starts imprinting the subconscious mind and starts creating these patterns. And it really can become very illogical. Like you said, things mm-hmm. that used to make you feel good, you try to move, move through that and 
like you said, you start to feel panic stricken. It's like, how has this been turned upside down? And we'll talk about that in a moment. Continue with your experience. Yeah. So at the time I, um, was just coming back into my artistic practice. I'd given it up for a long time, went to school and was studying energy medicine, but I decided that I wanted to start painting. So I started to teach myself how to oil paint. And specifically, I didn't want to be influenced by too many other mm-hmm. artists and stuff. So I made a point Good to not look at a lot of art and yeah. to not like take lessons, but to just learn the basics. And um, from there, everything else was trial and error. And I was also deeply immersed in my initial studies of alchemy. And this was through the lens of Carl Jung. So a very psychological perspective on the alchemical art. And I began to just apply some of these different ideas into my creative practice. And it was through that that I was able to take these dark things that I was experiencing and transform them and able to take things from my own unconscious, express them outwardly in this sort of spontaneous way. Yes. And then a dialogue began to unfold between me and my work and between the paintings and my inner world. And it was a very healing, transformative process. And, you know, for me, this was a very difficult time and it took several several years to get through. Mm-hmm. But by the end of it, I had completely um, changed. I'd become a much more grounded, integrated person. And you had an offering for the world through the alchemy of your own yeah. experience and work transformed into art. I mean, yeah. really amazing art. Yeah. So everything that I've written in the book is really based in that experiential knowledge that I gained through that process and through going through these different phases of transmutation, going into the dark night of the soul, which in alchemy is called the Negredo. Mm-hmm. And it's associated with death and with the color black and with the planet Saturn. And so these very heavy, like Saturnian energies, also with the metal lead. And it's this process of going inward and confronting the darkness within ourselves, but also acknowledging it and integrating it. So we we don't just see our shadow and push it away and reject it. We integrate it and it becomes a part of us and a power that then we can hold. Well, the darkness and that pain informs. Mm-hmm. It tells us what has yet to be healed, what's out of balance, right? Yeah. And so pushing those feelings and emotions away is, I find, very detrimental. It'll find you. Mm-hmm. It will come find you one way or another. It might mm-hmm. take, it might decide it needs to settle somewhere in the body. Oh yeah. You know, it come maybe haunt you in the next lifetime, but you can't get away from it. So what yeah. you did is so powerful and beautiful because it gives the representation for the rest of us to be able to, to see visually. You know, for me, it's a process of like a child, feel everything, mm-hmm. just get it out, just feel everything in the moment and, let it pass where you're crying and then you're laughing. Yeah. However long you need to so that it, it literally can be released, but you've taken it a step far further, which I think is why you have all these amazing beings around you. You came here to do important work. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about a little bit because a lot of people right now, a lot of people are suffering right now. They're in anger. They're in angst. They're in confusion. It's like, because mm, tr- we are going through a transformative process as a species and we're trying to kind of punch our way out of a paper bag a mm. lot of times. So let's talk about what you mentioned a little bit ago. You had you had this experience that started trashing your nervous system. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about looking at it in the con you can go to Jung Hermetics, but in 
the context of what happens when we have trapped, trashed our nervous system through excessive trauma, anger, sadness, etc., and how that starts leaching into and then affecting other parts of the mind complex. Mm. Well, yeah, these different forces, as we see in the hermetic worldview, they're associated with the planets and they work upon us unconsciously. So the planets are affecting us whether or not we're conscious of it. But if we're unconscious of it, which many people are, then we're being pulled in these continuous states of attraction and repulsion. And they are driving us um, and basically determining our fate. And the more conscious that we can become of these influences and sort of form a relationship to these archetypal energies that the planets represent, the more agency and control we have over our own destiny and the more creatively we can engage with reality and with our life. Yes, because it does have an actual effect on us and our own little personal complex Mm -hmm. that we carry around. The whole, um, the axiom as above, so below is really quite literal to what you're speaking of. Exactly. So if we were able to, rather than look and look at the model in your, you know, seventh grade astronomy class of balls and sticks Mm -hmm. and saw each one of these planets as a massive archetypal being, that each represents an opportunity for growth, learning, and experience mm-hmm. in our solar system mm-hmm. and affects us directly on Earth like benevolent teachers, even Saturn, even Pluto, mm-hmm. as benevolent teachers. And then I like to take it down to the personal. So you get a hit physic. I mean, you get a hit emotionally. Now you're, you're, electrical and nervous system is all trashed. Now it's starting to rewire some kind of a memory, an event in the subconscious, which mm-hmm. is going to come back and keep influencing you until it has been transformed, such as what you did. If you care to explain that a little bit more so people understand what happens after trauma, and you can turn to Jung if you want. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think often what happens is we have these traumatic events And yes, we keep getting pulled back to them in different ways in order to heal them and integrate them. And another thing that happens is we reject the parts of ourselves that we don't want to see, that we don't want to look at. And then we end up projecting those outward into the world. And so we see the enemy everywhere outside of us. And we encounter all these problems in our relationships and in our work life and um you know, these negative expressions of things that are actually within us that we've completely rejected. And until we're able to reclaim those shadow aspects and recognize them as parts of ourselves, we're going to continue to do that and they'll just keep popping up in new forms. And so that's one way. And I think right now, whichever of the planetary um, beings, archetypes are influencing us the most. I think we have some good Saturn happening right now, a fair amount of that mm-hmm. affecting people. And maybe you can explain that a little bit. Um, we really are going to find ourselves in this kind of angst for the time being. It's, it's, that's what the time is calling for is to, like you said, look at the uncomfortable stuff in us and around us. Mm-hmm. And I think just to mirror what you said. So if we're seeing a lot of enemies, if the world has become our enemy and that person who believes that is our enemy, mm-hmm. um, that's something that we re- need to go inside for. Yeah. And also just to see where we're getting stuck mm-hmm. in certain mental loops, because, you know, our thoughts do influence reality. They do influence the experiences that we have. And so if we're continually um, having a certain conversation in our head, 
And, you know, oftentimes that'll be a, a negative conversation um, or a certain thought loop that we're stuck in. Those things are more likely to come into being because we're putting more energy into them Absolutely. and spending more time focusing on them. Um, but we can also look to these archetypal planetary energies. And so say we're stuck on some sort of um, scarcity kind of mentality which people are right now a lot of people are yeah and i myself have gone through this many times Mm -hmm. and it's for me it's something that i still work through you Mm -hmm. know this isn't an easy thing to do but we can slowly begin to purify in an alchemical sense the contents of our own inner world and the contents of our mind so this is both emotional and mental and sort of these cyclical processes if we think of air and water within a vessel you know and uh, a distillation taking place, for instance, where the water is heating up and the vapors are rising and then they're condensing and cooling and you get the the essence being extracted from that process. Mm-hmm. So we can do that within ourselves, within the vessel of our body, where we continually clarify and refine the contents of our inner world. And this is a process. It takes a lot of time. It does take time. And I, you know, I'm all for, for doing what you can by way of getting to the grounded kind of 3D level of things and looking at it from that possibility mm-hmm. to say, okay, if all else fails, what's left? And then from the what's left yeah. place, start rebuilding and building from there. And that there's, I've always found a kind of freeing that uh, a freedom that occurs in taking into consider worst worst case scenarios for example mm-hmm. cons- considering them yeah. and and then then the scarcity subject changes it becomes altered mm-hmm. it might be that one's vision of what they thought their life was going to look like may not look like that in the moment that's ego for the most part mm-hmm. if we let go of that and say how can i be safe and happy and productive and mm-hmm. let go of the egoic vision of it you'll find there's a well of creativity of how that can happen. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so then the scarcity starts backing off. And once that backs off and the fear backs off, all the creativity pops in and mm-hmm. you end up with, you know, beautiful work like this, for example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was going to say, while we're in that little arena, before we go to your artwork, um, can you talk a little bit about the nature of Saturn influence, a little bit about mm-hmm. the nature of Venus influence? Because you do have yeah. some influences in this book, in the art. Yeah, so Saturn um, has to do with limitations and heaviness and inertia. Saturn's a very slow-moving planet, and it's considered to be cold and dry because of its distance from the sun and the moon. And so it has these effects upon us, cold and dry. And when we think of the first stage in alchemy being associated with Saturn, the negredo or the blackening, um, it, it can feel like a dryness, you know, like a coldness, like you're um, like you're not feeling supported. There's exactly. no warmth and yeah. no incubator there. Yeah. yeah. Like you're just kind of shivering in the cold and yeah. the dark and waiting for some kind of light or some warmth to help revive you, you know. But that's a such an essential part of the process Yes, is to be able to sit with that discomfort. And like you said, to look at the worst case scenario and to just say, okay, what's left after that? Yeah. And in that process, we can get in touch with something um, 
that's eternal within mm-hmm. us, that essence of who and what we are. And I think that's really the gift of Saturn is um, once we can kind of face our mortality and all of our fears uh, and limitations, then that opens up a whole world of possibility. Absolutely. And freedom. So if we can imagine Saturn as a benevolent teacher mm-hmm. again, it's like sometimes we have to go and, you know, take a little algebra. It's not yeah. all art class all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And Saturn's <laughs> also about discipline. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Dedication <laughs> and being able to see things through. So there's many positive qualities. Yes. So that's Saturn. the being Saturn. Let's mm-hmm. talk about the being of Venus. Of Venus. Well, Venus is associated with the heart chakra and with the heart in general and with love and the metal copper and the propensity toward union. So essentially Venus represents that force in the universe that brings things together, that coagulates and that binds. And she helps us to connect with um, beauty and our aesthetic sense and our values and also money and finances. Um, but everything that makes us feel luxurious and, this, you know, helps us to feel the splendor of being alive and the joy of creativity, the joy of being alive. Yes, the, certainly one of, I think most of people watching this right now, Venus is definitely one of their famous, their mm-hmm. favorite planets, no doubt mm-hmm. about it. And what well, you were going to say something? Oh, but they all have their dark side. All yeah, the let's talk about the yeah. dark side. We don't, I don't know that we want to touch on the dark side of Saturn because the light side is hard mm-hmm. enough, but let's talk about the dark side of Venus. Well, the dark side of Venus might be experienced by someone as um, jealousy or envy mm-hmm. or um, pride. Um, and there's a lot of mythology going along with Venus and her more ancient forms in the Sumerian and Babylonian mm-hmm. Ishtar and Inanna, who was also a warrior goddess. And in some cases, in some of the myths, you know, very vengeful and angry. Mm-hmm. And I love the myth of Inanna. And I talk about this in the book mm-hmm. because she basically hasn't acknowledged her own shadow side. And so she feels compelled to go into the underworld um, to meet her dark sister, who's Ereshkigal, the queen of the underworld. And in the process, she has to give up all of her power. She has to give up heaven and earth and be stripped of all of her seven powers so essentially um, going down to the bare essence of who she is and in her nakedness, um, kneeling before the queen of the underworld. And she's judged down there and turned into a rotting piece of flesh upon the wall of the underworld and not allowed to leave. And basically she goes through the whole death process and um, while she's facing her shadow aspect in the form of Ereshkigal. And in order to leave, she has to call upon divine aid, but she can't just leave. Someone has to take her place. And so um, she goes back up to the upper world and trying, you know, tries to figure out who's going to take her place. And it ends up being her husband who has taken her throne and shows no sign of grieving for her death or anything. So, <laughs> okay, there's the dark side. That's the dark side of Venus. <laughs> Venus. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, with that, uh, because I think this, this we're going to go to your artwork now okay. and take people through your artwork mm-hmm. because I just think they're going to be enchanted by it. But we're talking the first piece we're looking at is called the death of the profane. And it speaks to what you just said, the putrefaction. Mm-hmm. Without that, there is no generation. So mm-hmm. explain what we're seeing with this skull 
and with the blossoms and the snakes coming down in the top, Mm -hmm. we see the sun and moon. Tell us what we're seeing here. Well, this is sort of like a mirror for people to gaze into that confrontation with mortality Mm -hmm. and, you know, memento mori, remember death and and like Inanna having to go through this exactly. process of becoming, well, putri- putrefying, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And we see sort of in the painting, um, a depiction of the caduceus, mm-hmm. the interweaving serpents of the active and passive energies of the body. And these are forming a sort of, um, Ouroboros around this skull mm-hmm. and around this golden circle, which represents the fullness, the wholeness of the moment that we all exist in, and this especially is, when we can confront our fear of mortality. Yes, and highly symbolic in a hermetic sense, all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Okay, and now we come to Concordia Oppositorum, right? Yes, Concordia Oppositorum. Um, this is a sort of truce between the opposites. They between are the light and the dark. Between the light and the dark, between chaos and order. Or you could even say this between Saturn and Jupiter, who I see representing those forces. And they are not locked together. They're each in their own Ouroboros shape, but they're intertwined and they can let go at any moment. So they're sort of agreeing to be at peace. But they seem to consume each other at the tail. A little bit, yeah. Is that more just locking together in their own wholeness? Yeah, they yeah. lock together in their own wholeness. Right. Yeah. Okay, so I want to take a moment now before we go to the next plate, because I was going to ask you to go into the light and dark of Jupiter. Oh, yeah. The light and dark. Because everyone loves Jupiter. It means, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I have money coming my way. <laughs> and we bring everything down to its most base levels, yeah. base materials. So yeah. tell us about Jupiter. Well, yeah, that would be the light side of Jupiter. Yeah. Expansion, Mm -hmm. joviality, joy for life, um, money and riches, Mm -hmm. growth, all of these wonderful things. Uh, but the dark side of Jupiter would be, you know, a tendency towards excess or gluttony or Mm -hmm. lust. And Jupiter is associated greed, greed as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jupiter is associated with the sacral chakra and this is our water chakra and this has to do with relationships and emotions and creativity and sexuality. So the negative expressions that can come when that chakra is out of balance are associated with those negative qualities of Jupiter as well, the dark side of Jupiter. Mm-hmm. So yeah, again, lust. Right. And greed and, mm-hmm. and envy, um, mm-hmm. coveting. Yeah. So, you know, and, and anyone along the way, since we're talking about this in the truest sense, these are entities. These aren't masses of rocks. Mm-hmm. Moving through the solar system, they have conscious intelligence, just as Gaia Earth has herself. Mm-hmm. So if we look at that, anyone can go and look at their chart and see how their Venus is situated mm-hmm. right now or their Jupiter or Saturn is situated in their own chart as we move through these times cosmically. Yeah. You know, and this is this is helpful to have this understanding of the light and dark. And you can kind of tell if there's mm-hmm. a trine or a square there where you're. Mm-hmm. You know, Jupiter is, for example. Okay, so here we have the composition of the waters. This is beautiful, very powerful. Tell us what we're looking at here. Well, this was this painting took about eight months to complete, and for me, it was the first time that I allowed myself to paint something spontaneously. So it wasn't premeditated. I didn't plan it out. I just started applying paint to this large panel and seeing what emerged. Mm-hmm. And as forms and faces and things started Lots to Lots of faces in here, this little mm-hmm. owl up above. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. As they started to emerge, then I could sort of say, oh, that looks kind of like this. And that makes me think about that. And it would be influenced by dreams that I was having and experiences that I was having while I was working on the painting. So it was very much a process of discovery and unfolding. Yeah. In fact, you have here, it's it's described as the dissolution and Mm -hmm. upwelling of the unconscious, merging the inner and outer world. Yeah. And that's a technique that the surrealists used to Mm -hmm. access and express the unconscious was to paint or to draw in a way that was very automatic and unfiltered Mm -hmm. and allowing the unconscious to express itself um, just as it is without regulating it with the conscious mind. Without overanalyzing it, mm-hmm. up in the upper right corner, we have an urn with water, it appears, mm-hmm. pouring out of it. We have a little owl just mm-hmm. to the left of that. What is this urn representing? Well, that whole right side of the painting kind of represents the the inner world and the role of the priestess and the connection with the divine. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the left side of the painting is more about the body and nature. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the, the whole painting is about the integration of these things. And so that priestess is receiving the divine waters of the cosmos, mm-hmm. of the heavens, and she's receiving it into her own crown. Mm-hmm. Okay, now we'll go to the light bit. This is one of my favorite ones. I just love it. It makes me happy to look mm-hmm. at it. It brings about feelings for me of happiness. The light bearer. This is called the cross rose in the garden of Venus. And it, and the explanation for it is the light bearer points the wanderers to the waters of renewal and away from the tail of the scorpion. Mm-hmm. So this is a Venus themed painting. Many people were, will recognize her symbol there on the altar cloth. Yes. And um, Lucifer, the light bearer, is another name for Venus as the morning star. Mm-hmm. And so in that role, she's sort of guiding us. She's heralding the dawn. She's guiding us out of the dark night of the soul. And that's another role of Venus is, you know, while she does make this underworld journey, when she goes through her retrograde phase and disappears for a time, she also draws us back into the light. And so this painting is sort of about that role of Venus as the light bearer and the choice that we have to either go into the garden of Venus or to go towards the tail of the scorpion. Yes. And... (laughs) I think most people can just feel the weight of those words. Okay. (laughs) Here's Venus again. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now this one is more like the Anonymous story you were telling. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're talking about uh, the book of blue vitriol, Mm -hmm. right? Venus descends into the underworld to be reconciled with her animus. And tell us as we go into this, what the rabbits represent in this. And here we see at the bottom, uh, a bunny with her little offspring. Mm. Well, rabbits are associated with Venus and also with the moon. Venus has to do also with generation and multiplicity. Mm -hmm. And so you see the the seven children, the seven baby rabbits there with the mother who's sort of in the underworld. And then the the male rabbit, Jack Rabbit, is more connected with this archetypal father figure that's represented in the rocks Mm -hmm. behind him. Mm -hmm. I think I chose the rabbits because... I've been seeing a lot of jackrabbits in New Mexico. Oh, yeah. It was a new creature for me uh-huh. to encounter and to work with spiritually. So I wanted to honor that in a way. And the painting itself brought me on a complete underworld journey. Um, I started it. Yeah, with you can Venus. see elements of the underworld and you can mm-hmm. see the skulls and, mm-hmm. and the and the ancient decrepit exactly. bony hands. Exactly. Yeah. So it started when Venus was the evening star, when she's associated with 
more with um, being a lover. Mm-hmm. And then as I progressed with the painting, she disappeared and went through her whole retrograde phase. And um, when she reemerged, that's when I completed the painting. So it was like going through the entire underworld journey with Venus while completing the painting and um, painting all of those spooky rocks. Yes, and yes, expressing indeed. that darkness. Yes, that's not the one I would choose to put on my wall, but some <laughs> people would. <laughs> so let's yeah. talk a moment. You just mentioned it, Venus. And, mm-hmm. I mean, in retrograde, what we always think of Mercury in retrograde, and mm-hmm. kind of what that does to screw up our, you know, our meetings with people and deals we've made and flights and so forth. Mm-hmm. What what happens when Venus is in retrograde? I think when Venus is in retrograde. Um, we, it's helpful to look at the last time that she was in retrograde and to look at what sign she's retrograding in and, you know, to reflect back on what was going on in our life the last time she retrograded mm-hmm. in that sign or the last time she retrograded in general. And it will often, I think, have to do with love relationships mm-hmm. and relationships in general mm-hmm. and different healing to go we, back and revisit things. Yeah. Healing that we need to do. Yeah. Um, Related to the past and yeah, looking yeah. back, kind yeah. of like with Mercury is a, a looking back and a review. It's kind of where we tend to learn everything. Yeah. Mercury in retrograde can make things very inconvenient. Phoenix and Venus in retrograde really kind of can take you more to the mat mm-hmm. in reviewing things that are, are have yeah. caused, yeah. like we talked about earlier, trauma and so yeah. forth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now we go to plate six in your book. It's called emergence. And the anima emerges from the desert chalice as the spirit ascends from the corpus. And that looks like a self-portrait. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, many of them are pretty much mm-hmm. self-portraits, whether they're yeah. figures or animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this was one of my first successfully completed paintings. It, it took me a total of three years. Not because it took that long to paint, but because I had to let it sit and gestate. and Come back to it. Mm-hmm. And... It was very much about me learning how to express my own creativity and to kind of come out of um, this. Emerge from the desert. Emerge from yeah. the desert. Yeah. It, almost infertile soil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And well, to allow that to be expressed. And then uh, up above you have a little monkey. Yes. So the monkey represents the ape of the mind. Oh, the monkey mind. <laughs> the monkey mind. Yeah. <laughs> I do not. Now that's my least favorite part of being human. <laughs> the monkey mind. Yeah, I don't like to indulge it. And I mean, this is something that I think is we have to learn how to manage. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I was younger, I would experience more monkey mind. Now, when it happens at all, it's just to me almost grotesque. Yeah. Because it's one of the loops. Yeah. And exactly. it's, I feel like I want to run as fast as I can to get away from that. And many, many people at different phases in their life, especially if there's trauma, mm-hmm. um, something shocking, unexpected can end up in monkey mind. Mm-hmm. Trying to reconcile it. So for you, besides doing your artwork, what would you have to say by way of uh, words of wisdom to people who find themselves locked in the same dialogue over and over in their brain, monkey mind? Mm. Well, I mean, I think finding a way to express that outwardly and mm-hmm. to get it out of your mind. So I think writing can be really helpful mm-hmm. to just write those thoughts Absolutely. out. And that can help you see how ridiculous they are a little yes. bit, you know, to <laughs> yeah. get them outside of yourself. Yeah. Um, but also I think meditation is mm-hmm. really just such a crucial part. Of Absolutely. Being. Of calming um, it. Yeah. Learning how to simply breathe and to tune into the body 
and to what's actually present with you in the moment. Because all of these stories and these loops that we're running through, these mental loops, they're not actually happening. It's all right. in your mind. So if you can just tune into what's actually present, you know, look at the, the physical world around you, feel your body, feel your energy. These things can help us kind of deactivate that. I agree. And I think also another tool um, is if we go into the feeling that we have, Mm-hmm. Well, the monkey mind and the loops are going. Mm-hmm. There's something in us that's oh, yeah. getting something out of it. And it, it's usually something a little darker. Mm-hmm. Um, if we can stop ourselves for a moment and when we're grinding on this thought, mm-hmm. think of where is this taking us in our body and in our emotions mm-hmm. and look at it and say, ah, I'm now yeah. in a habitual pattern because some part of me is being fed that's mm-hmm. liking this stuff. Yeah. And sometimes we like to feel pain and we want to feel pain. Mm-hmm. And so to recognize that and say, mm-hmm. do I want to keep feeling this? Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, sometimes that feeling of pain is more familiar and more comfortable exactly. than what it would feel like to just be calm. Exactly. And so and we so get addicted we keep, to that. Yeah. We get addicted yeah. to those feelings. Yeah. Yes. Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Here we go. The Lord of utterance and justice pierces the scales of the crocodile. This is called the transfiguration of Toth, squaring the circle. Yes. Um, this one has a lot of imagery from Olympia, Washington, where I lived, the Capitol Lake and the Capitol building. And I would spend hours walking around that lake and reflecting on hermetic principles and looking at the sky and the water and the reflections of the above and the below. Well, your earrings right now, the onk, which you featured prominently. Mm-hmm. 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 Um, so, yeah, that was sort of born out of that phase in my life. And I wanted to do a depiction of those. Um and I wanted to sort of represent them in the three aspects of the Egyptian Thoth, the Greek Hermes, and the Roman Mercurius, um, but also to make it sort of a self-portrait, you know, because I was um, forming a relationship with this deity, with this energy, and wanting to experience it through my body and through my own energy field. And so that was what happened with the painting, even though I initially wanted to do sort of a traditional portrait of those it ended up being this sort of surreal spontaneous painting um which was far more effective in a magical sense than if i had just done a a simple traditional portrait yes i agree with that very powerful and again very central to hermeticism Mm -hmm. this being who is essentially the cosmic archivist or scribe Mm -hmm. for knowledge Mm -hmm. right Yes, the God of wisdom. That's right. Yeah, and all the sacred mm-hmm. art. Yes. Okay, now we're here to the gates of paradise. Of course, everybody likes this. <laughs> Who doesn't? The gates of paradise, the two peacocks. Tell us what this heaven and earth gates of paradise means. Mm-hmm. We see a gentility. We see beauty. We see the energy rising, pointing upward. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about that. Well, it's a very Venusian painting, mm-hmm. and it's centered around the heart chakra. And so all of the the plants and the herbs incorporated in the painting all have different correspondences with the heart chakra and with the heart and with the circulation, circulatory system, all different medicinal and healing mm-hmm. effects. And so that painting for me was about healing the heart mm-hmm. and opening the heart and connecting the above and the below through the heart because the heart chakra is the 
the center point between the upper chakras, which, you know, connect us with our cosmic source mm-hmm. and the divine and the lower chakras that connect us with the body and our physicality. And where it said the spark of life exists and when it withdraws, we're dead. Yeah. 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 It's kind of simple. Yeah. <laughs> That's the breath of life, the center yeah. of the breath of life, the anchor for the soul. Okay. Now when we go to plate nine, it kind of comes together, right? We're talking about the conjunction of the sun and the moon mm-hmm. where the whole picture, very in your face, literally comes together. Fierce. Yes. And gentle. Well, this is an interesting one because it's through the lens of Jupiter, but it's about the conjunction of the sun and the moon. So I think this conjunction of the opposites, the masculine, the feminine, positive, the negative, the active and the passive, they take place for all of the different planetary energies. Mm -hmm. And as we go through life, we kind of confront these different aspects of ourselves and, you know, learn how to bring them to balance. And so for me, that painting was bringing Jupiter to balance and finding that perfect union of the expansive and contractive qualities of Jupiter Mm -hmm. represented by the lion and the unicorn. Mm -hmm. Very powerful. And the one thing I wanted to talk to you about is, is your art. I mean, each piece has its own uh, emotional impact on an individual looking at it or mental impact, either one, Mm -hmm. uh, spiritual impact. And you can find it, you know, you're that you're attracted or repulsed. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about something else entirely, because I'm kind of seeing a rise of it. and, And there has been for a long time, for decades now. But a rise in what I consider to be truly profane art mm. and kind of um, not just a symmetry because yours is very, it's, this is symmetrical. Your art is always representing both. Mm-hmm. It's symmetrical and asymmetry and truly what dark, um, almost grotesque imagery and such that's coming out of the psyche right now mm-hmm. through a lot of artwork and, and it always has. Mm-hmm. It just seems like there's an abundance of it right now, even in some of the, a lot of the stuff coming out of Hollywood and films. What happens when you put asymmetrical kind of grotesque art out for the public, mm-hmm. even though it's your own journey? I mean, well, which I you have not done here, by the way, you're in, in, in it has beauty within it, within each theme. I think for some people, it's really necessary in a cathartic sense to express that darkness and to acknowledge it and to give it form. And I think it's also therapeutic for others to view it and to observe it. So I don't necessarily see that as... You don't have any judgment around it. No, yeah, well, I, don't I have do. Any judgment. Obviously, you can tell I do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think as artists, we are charged with um, inspiring and uplifting and to me as a hermeticist, you know, conveying divine principles mm-hmm. through the work that I do. And I do it for myself, but my ultimate hope is that it's helpful to other people but you're, and that it's not just for me. Right. And everybody has a right to express what they wish. And on that note, mm-hmm. the, the, here you write, a magician is a master of their divine will. That's what a true mm-hmm. magician is. So the question is how to tap into and listen to mm-hmm. divine will. Well, we can't be a master if we can't hear it. Exactly. So if you've got that monkey mind rolling, yeah, exactly. it's going to be kind of hard. <laughs> so learning how to invoke stillness and to create space within ourselves so that divine aspect of ourselves can inhabit our body and can be there. 
But so long as we're all filled up with these stories and ideas about who we are and how the world is supposed to be, that divine essence is going to have a hard time, you know, expressing itself within you. So making space within and helping to helping yourself to um, release these stories that we get so attached to. Very well put, because it's as simple as that. The fact is the subconscious is there. It feeds itself and it's there to protect us. Mm -hmm. Incarnation to incarnation, it travels with us with all the experience that we've ever had. So, of course, we're going to see a thing that has harmed us in the past and be fearful. But we don't have to tell ourselves stories about it day after day, lifetime after lifetime. Yeah. Because in that, where the soul is trying to speak through is much more subtle, Mm -hmm. much more beautiful, whispering through all the time to us. And yet, if all this has a grip on us, we can't hear it. Exactly. So I think you put it beautifully. So being still enough that we can hear it. And the other thing is expressing ourselves artistically Mm because a lot of people think oh yeah she can do that she's talented um i don't have any talent talk about the value you see in finding your way to art even if you feel you don't have talent Mm. well the way i see it we are all creators that is our gift as human beings each and every one of us that doesn't necessarily mean we're all going to be artists um I think it's great if we can find an Maybe artistic way to crayon. express ourselves. Exactly. Yeah, draw a circle. We don't have to it. do it for money. We don't have to do it for other people to see. Yeah. But, and we also don't have to make physical, visual art mm-hmm. or music or sculpture. We can make our life into a work of art. We can be creative about the way that we live our life, about that we arrange um, all of the different aspects of our life and relate to them. I agree with that. And back to the physical art, there is something that happens and is released. The Waldorf system, I think Rudolf Steiner really captured this a great Mm -hmm. deal in his anthroposophical Mm -hmm. educational system. And that has to do with, doesn't matter who you are, when you draw a circle, something is happening. When you draw straight lines or lines that cross or a square, something Mm -hmm. is happening within the being. So I think it's worth it to pick up a, you know, watercolor set or crayon or whatever mm-hmm. and just let your hand doodle and see where it goes because it is tapping into something deeper mm-hmm. that's trying to express itself yes yes and in, if it's really ugly just don't show it to me <laughs> <laughs> we can learn so much about ourselves by yeah. just allowing that expression to come through without absolutely judgment. absolutely yeah. so when you were a little kid were you in that did daisies or did you do snakes or what, what did you do when you were a little kid when you were doodling um, I really like to draw big cats. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Big cats, trees, the sun and the moon. Yeah. Yeah. Rivers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Sometimes that helps us know you a little bit better. <laughs> That's wonderful. Well, you were def- definitely born to do what you do. And so thank you for your due diligence. And mm-hmm. sorry you had to go through such a tough dark night of the soul to get there. But it's been very valuable for others to see the expression of it. And valuable for me as yes. well. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much, Seth. Thank you, Regina. For those of you looking to understand hermetics more deeply, hermetic philosophy and creative alchemy would be a wonderful place to start. A great course of study. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds. Well, we... We experience those three teachings 
integratively, I hope. <laughs> I mm. sure did. What do you think, Rama? Oh, the symbolism uh, between what Greg Braden said and um, this lady. It's about all these archetypal beings that are showing up now to show us the way. And uh, I'm just, uh, it's going to be quite interesting because how we meet and greet each other on many different levels. And, you know, the galactics already know our thoughts before they even get here. So, place of eye with fire, we come in love. <laughs> well, also, we are we are that, too. Yeah. And recognizing ourselves is the... And knowing who we are is, seems to be right on the table all the everywhere we look at the moment. Yeah. I have, like I've said many times at the Galactic Councils, I have met and talked with many different beings that don't look like us, and they're all under the banner of love, as Astar has said. And lots of wisdom. Yes. <laughs> so we're going to read uh, from uh, Aurora Ray's message for today. Uh, Galactic Ambassador of the Federation, of the Galactic Federation. So we'll begin here. We come to you from the stars to help transform every one of you into a fifth dimension being so your light frequencies are raised to the highest possible vibration, thus creating a strong shield for this planet. We are here because of your growing consciousness. Many people feel us and our presence. The Galactic Federation. The Galactic Federation. Dear beloved ones, Greetings. We are the Galactic Federation. The Galactic Federation is a community of millions of civilizations from different galaxies that live in higher con- higher dimensions. The main purpose of this federation is to bring all humankind into the fifth dimension to live a happy and joyous life. After centuries of living in a separated society, we have understood that there is only one way for all humankind to coexist in a happy and joyful place. We have decided to take the decision of communicating with each other in order to transform our ways and start living together in harmony despite our differences. We come to you from the stars to help transform every one of you into a fifth dimension being. So your light energy frequencies are raised to the highest possible vibration, thus creating a strong shield for this planet. We are here because of your growing consciousness. Many people feel us and our presence. 
We have been watching your development on planet Earth for a long time now, including your transition from simple life forms into intelligent creatures capable of space travel, and we have to admit that we are very impressed. You have been aware of us too, yet you have lacked the knowledge of how to see us, even as we watch over you at this very moment. We are always there among you at all times, living together in harmony with the world, without without needing much attention from your from your side our technology is so advanced compared to anything now that the first contact has been made we are trying to find the best way to introduce you to our technology and knowledge and social perspectives if you wished if you wish so we want to share with you our advanced technologies which have enabled us to go back and forth in time and also into other planets that we have discovered and which have helped us to even more to excuse me to even move our supreme beings into the photon belts where they transform themselves into light beings. It is our desire and pleasure to inform you and share with you the exciting and incredible developments that we as a civilization have made in time travel and space exploration technologies. This knowledge will strengthen the positive relationships we share with each other we have come to help you achieve a higher level of consciousness and awareness also it is important for you to be healthy and balanced physically and mentally so that you can enjoy your true potential as a human being and as a civilization Our advanced technologies are intended to make you physically fit. People of the earth, our technologies will assist you in quickly recovering, regaining your youth, your health, your attractiveness. You are cordially invited to become younger using our age-reversing machine. Our device will rapidly increase your body's production of telomerase. Oh, telomerase. An enzyme. An enzyme that slows, that slows the rate at which your cells grow old. Your cells will then be able to recalibrate dormant DNA strands, thereby reversing your biological age. Who doesn't want to be younger, healthier, more beautiful? In just a few minutes, you can have a new body. You can have a body that is 20 or 40 years younger than your current body. 
This technology can take any person at any age and reverse them back to their true age in a few minutes. It does not matter how old you are. This technology will start reversing your age right away. As you are 40, 60, or even 100 years old, it only takes a few minutes to revert you back to your 30s. This machine will not affect your memory. You can carry on everyday life, even after they have changed to a younger age. As you become young, you will experience the life of a young man, woman, slash woman again. You'll feel revitalized and have a brand new chance. A, a new chance to trans transform into the person you have always wanted to be. Your minds and bodies will be much better than before when you were young. You can take much longer walks, enjoy yoga, swimming, running, etc. Age reversal is an amazing technology that allows the human body to restore itself back to its use. You'll be, you'll be surprised to learn that a few wealthy people on the planet are already secretly using this age reversal technology and spending a lot of money on it. They never want to reveal it to the rest of the world because they intend to enslave everyone on the planet. They can't make money by using so-called treatments if everyone is healthy and young. Yet we want to reveal the secret to everyone on the planet. This benefit must be available to everyone because we realize that you are all our brothers and sisters as well as valuable human beings. In fact, it is your birthright too. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. Aho, Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. I'm sure to be continued. We'll be hearing more. So we're going to take a little break right now. And we'll be back 10 minutes or so, 10, 15, uh, with our brother Richard and a look at the stars and, of course, music. And then two other friends, Kay Pacha and Tanya Gabrielle as well. So see you in a little while, everyone. Satnam, Namaste, Namaste. Master talking stick to you, Richard. Hello, hello. Hello, Richard. All right. Well, let's take a look at the solar system and uh, it's. Uh, it hasn't changed a whole lot from last week. Except right now, Moon's conjunct Saturn, which is at 5 Pisces. And Pluto is still at 1 Aquarius. And Neptune is at 27 Pisces. 
and then we get to the action. The action starts at. I'm going to get my glasses updated. Yeah. Chiron is 17 Aries. And then the Sun, Jupiter. Jupiter, 23 Aries, and the Sun at 26 Aries. So we've been doing Sun conjunct Jupiter this week. And we'll be doing it uh, until the end of the month of Aries. All right. Four more, four more days of sun in Aries. All right. So Chiron, conjunct Jupiter, conjunct sun, conjunct north node in five Taurus. All right. Mercury at 15 Taurus, conjunct Uranus at 18 Taurus. Venus has moved up to 6 Gemini, and Mars has moved up to 11 Cancer. So, the only active trine is Pluto trine Venus, and the only active square is Saturn square Venus. And then Pluto, Pluto sextile Neptune, Mercury sextile Mars, and that's about it. So everything is concentrated in that zone of uh, from 18 Taurus back to uh, 16 Aries. So you've got one, two, three, four. You got five planets in a in a zone of 29 degrees of arc. Wow. Yeah, well, that's that's pretty concentrated. That's like a super stellum. Lots of fire. It's very, very energetic. And depending on where it is in your chart, it can be very troublesome. Uh-oh. Are there any questions? <laughs> Can you give an example of what might be troublesome in somebody's chart? Uh, yeah. If uh, if you've got a if you've got a Scorpio ascendant. Or, uh, say, a Scorpio Venus, or possibly a Scorpio Mercury, or a Scorpio Sun, you, you have, you have to deal with the Uranian Mercury energies in opposition to Scorpio. Yeah, okay. I see. Uh, right? Yeah. Unless you're, unless you're an advanced human, you've, 
probably already dealt with it because, you know, uh, we all deal with oppositions to our to our sun sign once a year, right? Right. We we all we all deal with oppositions by the sun or Mercury or Venus every year. So if you if you if you made friends with those energies, then just say hello again. Right. Right. But if you're, you know, it's like, I, I see, my my niece is a Taurus, all right, and my my friend Bill, his daughter is an Aries, you know, and 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 she just had a birthday, so when he came back from visiting her for a little birthday party, he was explaining to me how. Uh, her work environment is very aggravating, right? Because one of her jobs is to schedule Zoom meetings with the various, you know, folks and scatter wherever they're scattered, you know. So scheduling uh, is what's on her plate, you know. And and then uh, and then uh, they uh, she and her she and her boyfriend they had to, they had to kick out a pair of roommates that were being uh, irresponsible and and very you know uh, troublesome. So mm-hmm. I mean you know if, if it's in you, so she may have she may have Aries and Taurus. Uh, up there in tenth house of career or eleventh house of of general friendships and, and other general associations, tenth and eleventh house. If you, you got if these energies are in tenth and eleventh house, that could be really troublesome. Yeah. Because uh, besides the seventh house, which is your more personal relationships. And is ruled by Aries, but uh, ruled by Libra. But Libra is the air sign, and it's the sign of equilibrium and balance. If you haven't got equilibrium and balance, then you may have too much energy from Jupiter and the Sun. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you if you uh, let's see here, the three gunas. You remember them from your uh, mm-hmm. Indian philosophy. Yeah. yeah. Which ones? Uh, well, Rajas is activity, and Thomas T A M A S is inertia. Right. 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 And I forget, the other mm-hmm. one is Sattva, I think. Yes. And anyway, yeah. so, uh, okay, thank you very much, computer message. All right, let's go listen to Kai Pacha. Okay. Okay, let's do it.
Hola, it's Kaipacha with the Weekly Pele Report for April 12th of 2023. Can you believe it, man? April 12th already. Wow. Well, I tell you, this is a lot of water. <laughs> oh, man. Check it out. This is amazing. Uh, my beach is gone. And it, it's, a, it, it, this is a lot, this is a lot of water. <laughs> what can I say? Man, oh man. Let's talk about the moon. Luna. Speaking of water, the feminine. Changing, moving, flowing. Endlessly down to the ocean of oneness. Oh, yeah. Right now, that moon's in Capricorn. But uh, by tomorrow, Thursday, she's moving into Aquarius. It's going to bump into Pluto. Uh, today, she opposes Mars. Trines Mercury and uh, Uranus down there in Taurus. Squares Chiron and then bops on, right? Tomorrow, she's going to square... Sun and Jupiter, and then when she's in Aquarius, she's going to trine Venus. Yeah, you remember that nice Venus trine Pluto last week that I talked about? Well, Venus is moving on. Uh, you know, she's uh, uh, cruised into a uh, Gemini, like I said, and she is going to be squaring Saturn. That's on Friday. Venus, square, Saturn. I'm going to talk a little bit more about what that means. Uh, in the meantime, the moon is moving on Thursday, Friday. Uh, the other thing with the, yeah, and Saturday she goes into Pisces and uh, bumps into Saturn, has a little moon Saturn chit-chat, cruises on and squares Venus over there in Gemini trines Mars and then by Monday moves into Aries so this is you know this is our third quarter moon closing in on the sun it's the the final quarter phase so she's going balsamic balsamic you know goes into Aries on Monday and uh, moves along uh, you know to uh, square Mars in Cancer conjunct Chiron, uh, and then by uh, Wednesday uh, comes around and we are going to have a total solar eclipse. Yeah, total solar eclipse on the 19th at 29 degrees, 15 minutes of Aries, just 10 minutes away from Taurus. So I'm going to be talking about that one. I'll read you the Sabian symbol on that, but I really want to talk about eclipses today because I'm not going to get a chance to do that, uh, you know, before the next Pele report. So let me look at the camera. All right, let's talk about eclipses. <laughs> let's talk about the sun and the moon. And they are called the luminaries in astrology, and they're they're way different. It's, this is not so much 
Well, it is more yin and yang, not so much masculine and feminine, because it goes far beyond masculine and feminine. It goes far beyond Venus and Mars. We're talking about the sun, which is a star. And, you know, there's billions of stars. And they they are the source of light. The, the sun makes its own light. Everything else reflects it. Right? All, you see all those planets out there. Venus, Mars, Saturn, Jupiter, the, the moon... They're all reflecting the light that comes out of nowhere, comes out of itself. I mean, it is magic. <laughs> the sun creates its own light. Come on. Right? They haven't figured that out. <laughs> so... As the source of light, it's also this, you know, it, it emanates, it, it, you know, shines its rays and warms the surface of the earth and so that things can grow. So, you know, we, it is in many ways the source of life. And then we have the moon, right? The moon reflects the light of the sun, just like the earth, if we were in a spaceship, it would be reflecting the light of the sun. And life grows. The plants, the animals, the humans, the mycelium, you know, it all is growing here. So this, it's, life is abundant in these waters and and it's just so amazing that, you know, the sun is 400 times larger than the moon. And the moon is 400 times closer to Earth. So in the sky, they appear to be about the same size. I mean, <laughs> that's how we have eclipses is that the moon, which is 400 times smaller than the sun, actually comes in front of it on a new moon a couple times a year when it lines up with the moon's nodes and completely blocks out the light of the sun. We have a total solar eclipse coming. And that is that it's going to completely... It's called annular because you will be able to see a little ring around the sun because the moon is, is far distant from the earth at this time. Her orbit comes closer and farther, speeds up and slows down. It's very, very loony. <laughs> but this is, a, this is so powerful because the sun is like, it is the solar creator of energy and it, and it symbolizes in astrology consciousness it is our conscious action to you know to create to emanate to express ourselves this is our sun this is our consciousness and the moon reflects 
it is light. So we have light and life. And this light and this life and this conscious and this feeling instinctive subconscious occupy equal, you know, they're, they're equal size to us. They're, they're, they are an equal part of our life experience, our inner experience and what we express. This is this sun, moon, the luminaries playing back and forth and back and forth with each other. And so the moon comes and we have these moon's nodes, the dragon's head, the dragon's tail, Rahu and Ketu. And they, they have no physical mass. There's no, there's, there's nothing there. They are nodes, points where the ecliptic, which is the orbit of the earth around the sun, meets the orbit of the moon around the earth. And so when the moon comes around to the north, it's rising. And any planet, not just the moon, right? Venus has nodes, Mars has nodes, all the planetary bodies have nodes where they go up, and you know where they rise north of the ecliptic and south and then go south it's called the declination you can have a north and south declination of all the planets you can do a chart of all your nodes not just the moon's nodes but this is very important because in particular twice a year these nodes go around every 18.6 years and what we'll see is actually there is a 19-year cycle. It's called the Metonic Cycle where you will have an eclipse, not just an eclipse, but these moons, the new moons and the full moons, they fall on almost the same degree every 19 years. And... At that opposite degree, almost every nine to ten years. So, this, you can look back to what's going on. Okay, you know, April 19th, guess what? In uh, May, May 5th. Oh, no, 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 no. April 19th of 2004. What were you doing back in 2004? <laughs> there was an eclipse at 29 degrees, 49 minutes. The, the, this total solar eclipse is at 29 degrees, 50 minutes. So there was an exact total solar eclipse 19 years ago to the day, April 19th of 2023 to, to 2004, one minute off. So it's, this is a, this is a, this is really powerful. And of course, in between then, okay, in October 18th, okay, of 2013, what 
were you doing in 2013? October of 13, there was a lunar eclipse. So the nodes were reversed, right? At 25 degrees Aries, 45 minutes. Now, I will say that it is necessary for you, if you really want to feel into these eclipses, it, you'll feel it more when it's touching a planet or an angle or a house cusp in your chart or a powerful point like the part of fortune or the vertex or, you know, something like that. Uh, it, it, you know, otherwise, you just want to kind of note whichever house this is in because it's getting really amplified right now and I want to read to you about these eclipses because a north node eclipse like we're having now the north node is at four degrees Taurus and anything within 18 degrees of the nodes is an eclipse it could be partial okay but this one is total because it's close enough where the moon will completely cover the sun but I want to read to you Alexander Ruperti's uh, Cycles of Becoming. I know some people like this when I read, and I, I, I enjoy reading. <laughs> Since the moon is conjunct her north node, she is the positive factor in this kind of an eclipse. New lunar faculties or powers are to be built into the personality and a new type of adjustment to circumstances is demanded. The obstruction of the sun by the lunar disk, which takes place in all total eclipses, whether of the north or south node variety, becomes the dominant factor in north node eclipses. The moon absorbs as much as it can of the solar power normally directed toward the earth and depending symbolically on the degree of totality of the eclipse in this case it's total <laughs> quantitatively reflects nothing the lunar factors therefore will dominate the consciousness accentuating the ego needs expediency, opportunism, selfishness, and the emotional needs born of the past, the compulsion of habits, and automatic behavior is strong. For the solar spiritual vision is for the time being eclipsed. So the ghosts and goblins come out of Pandora's box because the light of the sun that like really brings in right consciousness gets blocked. Now we're going to also have a lunar eclipse a couple of weeks from now in Scorpio, 14 degrees Scorpio. If a lunar eclipse follows a north node solar eclipse, 
the moon will then be conjunct her south node. And the sun will be the positive factor. The lunar emphasis gives way and a reactionary effect due to a reinstatement of the solar will and purpose is possible. The compulsion of the past, the strong egocentricity, and the karmic forces aroused during the North Node solar eclipse, which is coming up next week, right, may slowly recede into the background or be effectively neutralized or fulfilled. During a lunar eclipse, as the Earth passes between the Sun and the Moon, the Moon is symbolically cut off from the light of the Sun. There is a temporary obscuration of man's psychic nature, our feelings, and our personal psychological capacity to adapt to circumstances. Karmic forces or inhibited or repressed psychic or emotional energies can overwhelm the consciousness momentarily as one faces his dweller on the threshold. The fruits of his psychological complexes. So, you know, it's... The results will differ in each case depending on the psychological strength of the individual. In the best of instances, this confrontation can lead to a liberation from the past, weaknesses, to positive fulfillment of karma and a dissipation of the dweller on the threshold. In any case, however, the experience tends to be a bit frightening. You see, this is a new moon. And these eclipses serve to kick us in the butt. They get us out of our ruts, of our emotional, habitual, child programming, past life, you know, habits. You know, the way that we have always been gets disturbed and we need to adapt to life in a new way. And like I said, these eclipses mostly affect the geographical and sociological activities going on on the planet Earth. They're really not so personal unless they're hitting a personal point in your chart. Yeah? So I got, you know, the nodes right there at 16 degrees of Taurus and Scorpio. Uh, That lunar uh, eclipse, you know, coming up, uh, I think it's on the 29th of uh, April. Sometime around there. Eh, doesn't say. But anyway, facing all of our 
karma, facing our habits, facing... Karma is nothing but the consequences of past actions. And we know that actions are the results of beliefs, hopes, wishes, will, forces, as well as subconscious emotional needs, fears, insecurities, jealousies, etc. So wherever we're acting from comes back to us so that we can consciously assimilate and self-discover, evolve, see the results, the fruits of our actions. So these, these eclipse times, you know, this eclipse season that we're in right now, you know, it's an opportunity to really liberate ourselves, but it requires changing ourselves. It requires as comfortable as we are in our identity, in our roles, in our relationships, in our jobs, in our lives, as secure as we are, uh, we need to evolve. We, we need to change. And so we'll, we'll be finding, of course, we know that society is changing and the economy is changing. And, you know, so many conditions, you know, in the external world are changing that it's, you know, creating and bringing in a lot of change for us, too. Now, what today's mantra is about and this week's mantra is about is that we also want to be looking at this Venus, which is love which is the heart force, which is in square to Saturn. But before I move into that, I want to just really look at this moon cycle. Because I spoke of that we're in this balsamic moon. And just like when that moon reaches her north node, she comes up to a new moon. It's like she comes up to the sun. And she reaches for the light. She gets a new message, a new purpose, a new intention, a new desire, you know, a new apple. And she brings that apple through the crescent, first quarter, gibbous, and down into earth like the life. So that, you know, it, the intention gets grounded, gets realized, gets manifested, gets incarnated into earth reality. And that itself, that half of the cycle, okay, is, you know, this bringing from nothing into something, the idea into the creation. And then from that full moon, to the disseminating, the third quarter, the balsamic, back to the conjunction, which is we're in that final phase now, this brings back all of our creations, all of our hopes, fears, what we made, what we felt, uh, you know, what we did in our relationships, 
you know, how we loved or how we, you know, our, our pain. And it's, and it's a letting go. It's a shedding. But it's also a redemption. So it's a, it's a return to spirit. And it's a letting go of anything that is separating us emotionally, psychologically, you know, in our feeling life, in our memory life, so that we can return back to that solar source of light again to do this cycle. This happens 13 times a year. Yeah? But particularly with these moon's nodes. So this being a north node eclipse is really about setting future intentions of what you want to create. And you will realize those creations nine years from now and then 18, 19 years from now, you'll understand why and what that was all about and, you know, what the karma, you know, was all about with that creation, with that relationship, with that business, with that art, with your putting yourself out there. And it can be great applause, and it can be really appreciated, and, and you can be leaving a legacy for the future. Or it can have been, you know, depending upon the, the strength of your will, the strength of your personality, uh, you know, your, you know, your development of your skill set. It, it can also be nothing. It can also dissipate where nothing was really created and, and there's no fruits. There's nothing to bring back. There's nothing to bring up to the altar. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's real, you know. <laughs> a lot of times you can look at it like a, a, like a, a baby to midlife to old age, you know, and your, and your old age is the result of what you, you know, yeah, it's, it's like, yeah, from zero to 42 or something, you're building, 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 building. You know, you know, 42 to 84, 85, a full Uranus cycle. And, you know, you're, you know, you're releasing, but you're gaining more wisdom. You're gaining the understanding of whatever, everything that you put out there. So... Now coming into the Venus-Saturn, okay, the important thing that you want to understand is with this whole cycle, it happens with all the planetary pairs. So Venus was conjunct Saturn January 23rd at 24 degrees of Aquarius. What have you got at 24 degrees of Aquarius, okay? Venus conjunct Saturn sowed a new seed. That's a new seed that wants to Saturn form, structure, materialize, incarnate with boundaries in time and space and form and structure, love, relationship. Uh, you know, 
a new value, a, a, a new priority, a new way of, of self-acceptance and loving yourself, wanting to receive something new, something beautiful, wanting to like really make our lives more beautiful. This was a seed that was sown with that Venus conjunct Saturn in January. And now three months later, she comes forward, right? She comes out in April and that first quarter square, 90 degrees, she's got to break out of the past. You've got to say goodbye to old patterns, old habits, maybe an old relationship, tear up an old contract, let go of an old job, let go of, you know, limitate, limit, limiting belief systems, let go of fears. In order to break, in order for this new seed that was planted in January to now come forward in a new, more formed, structured, more real. So it's time for a shift, right? You know, now is, it's, it's, how can I say, you know, it's time to maybe make those plans or make, uh, give, Give form, give routine, give structure, and you will face your resistance. You will face your fears. You, you, you will face, oh, I want to be, you know, the Aquarian rebel, and I want to be free, and I, I want to be liberated, and don't fence me in, and blah, 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 blah. But Venus coming around, you know, to square that Saturn says, well, you know, anything that is going to last needs something so this is a good time you know to make a commitment this is a good time to you know take the responsibility this is a good time you know to learn you know new skills or new job I you know new new things and bring new people and invite more into your space that is new and it's going to put more pressure on you. You're going to have more responsibilities. You're going to have to, like, really... This is a time to buckle down and buckle in. And, you know, really strengthen the will force to make shit happen. <laughs> and not be in victim. It's happening to me. I, I'm getting pushed down the stream and the river and I can't control it, and I'm going to drown, and that, 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 that. you got to learn how to swim. <laughs> you got you to take some lessons, man. you got to use your muscles, okay? you got to kick. Uh, you got to move. you gotta, you got to make it happen. This is what this time period is about, you know, and, and, it's, and it's really, you know, breaking forth. Bringing something new that's never been seen under the sun. And you're going to bring it down and you're going to make it real. Not just at the full moon lunar eclipse. 
but nine years from now. So, think ahead, baby. <laughs> now, speaking of Saturn in form and Venus square Saturn, look how this all relates, man. The Sabian symbol for the 30th degree of Aries where the eclipse is. A duck pond and its brood. The realization of natural boundaries. After the, what we, what is shown here is that every form of activity has its limits. And that even the consciousness that has been able to get a glimpse of universal order has to bring down to its own karmic field of operation the message of harmony it has heard inwardly. Peace and inner contentment with one's essential destiny is required to meet the everyday world. The mystic may experience flights of imagination and transcendent vision, but he must return to the concrete earth and to his task in his social environment. Extensive as the latter may seem, it is still very small compared to the galactic field. It is indeed a duck pond compared to the ocean. But it is there that the substance for concrete action has to be found. And every effective activity has to be focused. Thus, the boundaries imposed by the very nature of this activity have to be consciously accepted. Yeah, we're in a little duck pond, okay? We're here on little planet Earth. We're in our little communities. We're in our little families. We're in our... We, we're limited, man. We're not... We're not running the show. But when we accept these limitations and we let go of trying to control the universe and we simply control our thoughts, our minds, our actions, our desires, right? And we function and we act, you know, within our field of activity and we accept it, and we, we, we become at peace with it, that, yeah, my sphere of influence is only this big, and maybe it's just my bedroom or my living room or my house and my yard. I mean, I, you know, maybe I'm just not, you know, maybe I'm only affecting 10 people, you know, whatever, but you know what? That's my, that's my stage. That's where my play is being enacted. And as I do my best and I discover, you know, new skills and new capacities and new talents in myself, 
maybe, you know, that duck pond will expand, but it's enough for me to know myself. We, we are given enough to evolve. The universe provides us with everything we need <laughs> to evolve when we need it, exactly as much as we need, and yeah, baby. Ow! It's all good. <laughs> so, you know, what we want to do is, my mind is clear. My will aligned with that from up above. I will not stray or turn away, but remain an agent of love. Clear the mind. You know, the worry, the fear, the memories, the future hopes, wishes, and dreams, these take us out of the now, out of functioning, out of clarity, and we can lose our alignment. So we're being called in. We're being called down. We're being called back to ourselves. And as we align, not ego will, but thy will, the will. The, what does love want? What does life want? I'm an agent of life. I'm an agent of love. This, so it, it's now about, you know, from the new moon to the full moon. Well, I mean, now this week we're in the balsamic, right? I mean, this is just like, let go. Clear the mind. Erase the chalkboard. And prepare yourself for this eclipse. Because you're going to get a new seed. You're going to get a new relationship, a new impulse, a new desire, a new destiny, a new identity, a new ego. So the more you can clean yourself out this week, the more you'll be free to like really be renewed next week. My mind is clear, my will aligned with that from up above. I will not stray or turn away, but remain an agent of love. <laughs> yeah, baby. Song for this week. I don't know, the song that's been coming to me is just Operator by Jim Croce. Uh, whatever. This has been coming up a lot for me. Maybe it's coming up for you. Namaste. Aloha. So much love. Uh, yeah, I keep forgetting to tell you about all the stuff going on, man. I just posted, uh, I'm doing, speaking of love and Venus, composite charts. Part three of the astrology of relationships is open and online available. It's going to be the first weekend of June. Awesome. If you want to learn how to read a composite chart, check it out. The links are below on the YouTube. They're on the website, New Paradigm Astrology. I'm leaving for Greece in a couple of weeks. Uh, 
the Chiron workshop and uh, the Athens workshop. There's a couple spots. It's going to be amazing. Check that out. What else? The school. The school. Uh, you know, I'm working with over 400 students now, and we are doing a lot of astrology on Telegram. We meet almost every Sunday on Zoom, and it's a great group of folks. If you want to know more about everything astrology, check it out. Again, newparadigmastrology.com, and talk at you later. Talk. Take you, All right. All right. Now, I've been looking at this uh, eclipse chart, new moon chart here. It happens to be uh, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time on the 19th. All right. So... It'll be uh, earlier in the evening. It's going to be on the other side of the planet from the United States. We won't see it. Well, no, probably not. I don't think so. But the thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the, uh, the new moon eclipse is going to be almost exactly square Pluto. Right? Pluto's at one Aquarius. That's, you know, that's uh, square to one Taurus. Right? So it's only two degrees, less than two degrees from an exact square. Okay. So Pluto is going to square this uh, this eclipse, and uh, depending on uh, how Pluto acts in your life, I mean it could be it could be absolutely fine and wonderful and happy and joyful, or it could be deadly. So uh, yeah, sorry, but that's. That's the way it is. And uh, let's see here. And Mercury, Mercury will be uh, sextile Mars. That's not too bad. Uh, Mars will be up at uh, 14 degrees on Thursday, Wednesday there. So uh, that's not too bad. But I don't think I don't think he mentioned it, and I wanted to. Uh, he did mention Saturn square Venus, but he didn't mention Pluto square the eclipse. So throw that last little nugget in there for you, and we'll talk to you next week. Okay. Okay, Richard. It's All right, Thomas. Tanya, if you wish. Yeah, well... Okay, here we go. All right. 
Hello there, it's Tanya Gabrielle, Wealth Astrologist. Welcome to your weekly Astrology forecast for April 10th through the 16th. Now, in this forecast, we cover selected highlights for the week and how we can navigate the stars and numbers in the best way possible. And in this case, the first and only highlight, and it's a very important one, is happening on Tuesday, April 11th. Now, 11 is a very key number for April this year because in 2023, April resonates to the number 11. It's an 11 universal month. And I have a whole star code podcast on that number and April. You can find that at my website, tanyagabriel.com. So April 11th opens the 1111 portal, which is all about present moment awareness, truth, psychic awareness, intuitive downloads. Your full presence is requested on this day and, of course, for the whole month, but in particular on April 11th. So this day is exciting. You're mastering a lot of things. 11 is a master number, and you're mastering what motivates you. So look at what motivates you, and you want to master what it takes to make that manifest. Okay, this is very important to be totally present and receive the stunning insights through your intuition to guide you and inspire you towards that manifestation. Now, on this day, Venus trines Pluto and the Sun conjuncts Jupiter. So we have both benefics, Venus and Jupiter, activated in harmonious transits, which is super exciting. Venus trine Jupiter really takes you deeply into love and passion and magnetism and basically manifesting abundance and understanding that abundance is about love is you know it's about everything that makes you feel nourished and fulfilled and so nothing is superficial when Pluto and Venus get together your friendships become real your intimate relationships are profoundly real and very heart-centered And beauty and creativity are really recognized for their deep power to heal. It's very powerful, this transit, very incredible. And then on the same day, the sun conjuncts Jupiter. Now, this conjunction was already activated during the Libra full moon on April 6th, and now it comes into exactitude. So very exciting. This is optimistic. It's happy. It feels fortunate, you feel lucky, you feel fulfilled and grateful. It's wonderful for financial flow and this general sense of abundance, of course, and just feeling grateful. Gratitude is truly activated with this Sun-Jupiter connection, the Sun being your inner light and the Sun that gives us life and Jupiter being the planet of gratitude, expansion, fortune. So anything you want to start now with the conjunction, it's a new beginning, good new projects, uh, growth in your finances. Just enjoy this magnificent day. It is extremely lovely and one of the main highlights of April. And to explore Venus more, Venus is a huge planet right now because we're entering a time where the divine feminine is returning and getting into balance with the sacred masculine. So both are acknowledged. And to discover more about Venus and Mars, go to venusmarscode.com. There's so much in that free masterclass. 
that you can discover about these two planets and why they are so important. The number 13 for Venus, Mars's change from aggressiveness into assertiveness, the spiritual tools of how we are moving from the end of the Mayan calendar and the origins of the Mayan calendar, which happened in 1221-2012, and how Venus and Mars are directing us into this new 26,000-year cycle. There's so much here. It's all free, and you can watch it all at venusmarscode.com. So have a beautiful week, and I will see you in next week's forecast. Lots of love. time to take a little break and come together in our uh, time on our conference call. And Rama, you want to give us the numbers? Um, 720-716-7301 and the pin code is 353 863 pound. Okay, how about one more time? 720-716-7301 and the pin code is 353-863 pound. Okay, everybody, let's do this break and we will be right back here at the top of the next hour at BBS Radio, best radio there is. And let it be um, as the song goes. Speaking words of wisdom, Mother Mary, Mother Mary comes to me. Comes to me. Let it be. Okay. Um that reminds me of that one phrase. I'm just going to say it real quick. It's uh, it's an amazing phrase. Oh, I don't have it in there. Mm. Maybe it's in this one. It's just a, a magical phrase. Um. One of Caroline's wonderful guests impressed me with this phrase. Um, Here we go. Real quick. Um, Her name was Jennifer Ruth Russell. And she said, Mother Mary said, said, said to me in her heart, in my heart, I am the high archangel presence 
Unicorn Master. I'm going to just look at unicorns in a whole new light every time I see one. <laughs> um, have you seen a unicorn in real life, Rama? No. Well, there's more to come, I guess. More to come. All right. We'll see you on that conference call, everybody. Come and join us. Namaste for now. See you at the top of the next hour soon. Come and join us first. Aloha. Oh, well, now we're ready, I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so, um, Akashic Enhancement of Psychic Abilities, that one, huh, Rama? Okay. Okay. I'll read this while Rama's looking for the story. Akashic Enhancement of Psychic Abilities. This is another Regina Meredith, two in a row. How, How can we pull from the Akashic Records? To enhance psychic abilities. Bonnie McCliss is a psychic medium and Akashic Records reader who began developing her gifts as a young child. Through her experiences, she awakened to an interdimensional highway of entities and knowledge. As a medium and guide, McCliss describes the potential we each have to awaken to psychic dimensions around us. Mm-hmm. Bonnie McCliss is a psychic medium and hypnotherapist. She is the author of the book, The Other Side of Normal. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Um, and this is 36 minutes, so we will begin now. Okay. Here Dealing with so many, actually, just this interdimensional highway. If you have felt out of sync with the normal world around you, you're not alone. Our guest today, Bonnie McClis, felt very out of sync with the world, only to find that she was just psychic. So, welcome, Bonnie. It's Thank good you to have you with me. me. Yes, I'm excited. Yeah, so gosh, you had a rough ride. I did. Oh I my really did. God. Yes. A psychic yes. as a little kid 
I mean, I've interviewed a lot of people who were psychic and has saw things when they were a little kid. But what happened to you is just crazy because you were literally singled out and almost kind of tortured as a result. Right. So right. let's just dive right into your life as a little kid and the things you were seeing and how your parents and the world around you reacted to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It actually, in hindsight, when I think about it, I'm like, I don't really know how it it's was, horrifying. Yeah, how I survived. But um, at the time of the experience, you know, I just was, you know, mostly just trusting what I was told uh, to a certain extent. But so, you know, early on, it was quite natural for me to have these um, conversations or these experiences. Uh, my earliest memory would be these lights that would hover over my bed at night when I was little, almost had like an angelic kind of choral sound. Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful. And I would tell my mom, and um, of course, as parents do, she would say, oh, it's just your imagination. You know, you're mm -hmm. such an over, over imaginative child. Um, so that was beautiful. And then from there, I had, you know, the classic psychic child, imaginary, a friend exchange. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, that was fairly accepted. Uh, my mom, bless her, she tried so hard. Um, she made dolls when I was young to try to embody all of my Well, that's friends. actually very supportive and mm -hmm. sweet. She was. She tried. She really was just kind of guided by the medical community. And I think right. that's when things got a little off track. So, you know, as, as I just stayed this kind of wide open child, when I became, you know, early adolescence, around, you know, 11, 12, I started to scare the adults around me. Because when you're a little this. kid and you have little mm -hmm. imaginary friends, it's cute. Yeah. But by the time yeah. you hit puberty, it's not really cute anymore. They're no, scared. No, right? no. Such They're a like, quick shift. is she crazy or yeah. what? And, yeah. and so you had this time in your life, though, where you were very comfortable with your quote, imaginary, in other words, not other dimensional friends right. and guides that were speaking to you yes. and, and keeping you company in life. Yes. And then you started interacting more with other children and you thought, well, that's strange. They're the ones that the guides feel totally normal mm -hmm. and simpatico. It's the kids that feel a little odd. Yes, that's exactly right. Yes. And then at that point, you know, I had that odd man out, had a hard time mm -hmm. making friends, which I think was another indicator that something uh, different was, you know, something was setting me apart. Mm -hmm. Again, I think as human beings, you know, we just know what we know. It's hard to know where we're different until we meet that contrast, mm -hmm. until we meet that kind of, you know, fear of it. Um, so, you know, as I, as I got older, my mom brought me to a series of doctors um, and they all had their different ideas, but really at the end, uh, the last doctor said, I, you know, gave me the diagnosis of early onset schizophrenia. Because oh. you were talking to people that weren't there. Yes. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. someone on the street who yes. has lost their bearings seemingly. Yes. But the thing is, a lot of the people on the street who have lost their bearings are also dealing with yes. other dimensional beings talking to them. Right. And feeling the emotions. Mm -hmm. I think as a child, it was, mm -hmm. I could feel, um, such extreme emotions, which I think a lot of people right now can relate to that. Mm -hmm. um, and I would just have these, just these, these cry fits because I could feel the pain of, of another. So again, they could not understand why I would have these, right. uh, you know, emotional mood swings. Because there didn't seem to be any stimuli for it in right. your other right. dimensional world. Right. Exactly. What kinds of experiences were you having at that time when you say you would take on the emotions? What kind of entities were you? 
dealing with? Were you interacting with? So many, actually. Um, I think when you're that open as a child, it's just a smart smorgasbord. You know, I believe mm-hmm. it's just this, uh, just this d- interdimensional highway. So it was everything from, I think now just non-human forms to, you know, spirits to just these just pockets of human pain and energy. And again, as a child, you know, you're trying to find your own identity and find your own voice. But, you know, mostly early on, I noticed a lot of the pull would be from, uh, deceased loved ones or right. earthbound spirits That's what uh, that would definitely have a message or a call. So now we get into the early teen years where you've mm-hmm. been diagnosed. So then what happens? The doctor that I was seeing at the time thought that uh, it was just kind of a culmination of events that I should go into a facility. Um, so they went ahead and placed me into a facility, putting me on heavy, um, heavy drugs, heavy antipsychotics, um, which the the psychic visions changed drastically at that point. Um, you wrote about red eye rats. Yeah. Yeah. It really. wasn't your friends anymore. So yeah, yeah. do you think that it tweaked your brain frequency simply to a level where you were kind of accessing lower dimensional? Exactly. Stuff? I think that's exactly what happened. Yeah. I believe it brought me to the lower planes, which, yes. you know, I'm grateful for now to see kind of like the many, the many different uh, dimensions and time and space, you know, that I was involved with. But yeah, absolutely. I think it brought my world to a, you know, to a lower realm indefinitely. And so... During this time, what happened with you? I mean, you're obviously you're out of school during some really critical years. You're not bonding and making friends doing during these times when girls really kind of like like to chat a lot and need each other. That was none of that was happening for you. No, no, no. In fact, the medication that I was put on uh, distorted my eyesight quite quite a bit. So I just I just kind of um, I just kind of hung out in the shadows. You know, I took solace and you know some kind of different state of consciousness, a lot of it kind of lost uh, memory in that time, but I just kind of got through and, you know, just did the best that I could. Um, and, you know, again, gaps and gaps in education and in How long did just go on. Um, you know, the actual institution wasn't, is, wasn't that long. It was just a few months, mm-hmm. um, but it was kind of coming out of it, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find that baseline. Yeah. Um, I actually even remember the moment, uh, you know, I was fighting and rallying, um, trying to, uh, even as a young person, acknowledge this as a special thing or a beautiful thing, um, you know, to kind of stand up for the other side in a mm-hmm. sense. And with nobody validating that and with nobody giving me feedback that that's an option, I remember that single moment where I just said, fine, have it. Then you'll be right. Mm-hmm. Then I give up. Mm-hmm. And I just told myself, well, maybe you are hallucinating. And so mm-hmm. it's just that shift in perspective. So when you got out of there, you were in acceptance that you were hallucinating? Yeah, yeah. There comes a point where you're dealing with a psychiatrist mm-hmm. and they're trying to look at the veracity because you say, basically, I'm not crazy. I just see things, right? Yes. Right. And she put you through a test. Yes. Yeah. Let's talk about that because that was really a breaking free point for you, wasn't it? A liberation. Yes, it was. I remember um, coming into the office of this beautiful benevolent woman, um, just uh, this doctor and 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 just kind of exposing my heart and just, I just remember crying, you Mm -hmm. know, uh, for the first session and and, uh, giving her my background of being schizophrenic and just fully assuming that I was still at this point Mm -hmm. broken, um, even though I saw things, didn't know there was another option. And she listened to me so lovingly and so patient. 
until she she gave me this news. She said, I don't think you're schizophrenic. I think something else is going on. And I didn't know, you know, I think, great. And another diagnosis, here mm-hmm. we here we go. I've been through so many. And uh, she said, I think you're psychic. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's that mean? You know, what's a psychic? <laughs> and I did, so I didn't believe it. I did a little research. And of course, I loved Sylvia Brown um, on Montel, you know, but didn't see myself that way. Uh, but she, she said, okay, if you don't believe me, I'm going to put you through a little experience, a little test. So she said, close your eyes. And I want you to tell me, what does my house look like? And I panicked, you know, I was so nervous. I'm thinking, I don't want to disappoint her. She's my first grace I've seen in, in a while. Right. And um, I said, I don't know what your house looks like. And she said, yes, you do. She's amazing, her confidence, you know, even at this juncture. And so she kept pushing me uh, a little bit more just to, just to kind of really trust my instincts. And I did. I said, okay, well, you live in a white house, two story. She said, yeah, I do. Keep going, Bonnie. Well, it's like a Cape Cod style, Cape Cod style. She said, that's exactly right. And so I started to get a little confidence to trust this. And I went on to tell her that, you know, about the cats. And she says, yes, I love cats. I have cats everywhere and the flowers. And, and basically she said, see, do you believe me now? Isn't that amazing? One person to see you and become your advocate. Yes. That's all it takes. After all that you'd been through with the mistrust and misdiagnosis. And it, it just, to me, so sad that people don't believe children. Yes, right. Well, and I think that's so changing. It feels like a foreign timeline at this point. It really does. Yeah. I mean, even then it was starting to change, but it right. didn't change in your neighborhood. Not just no, yet. No, not fast enough. <laughs> right. Okay, so now you get past this. Now you're alerted to the fact you're psychic. You figure out what psychic means. You've just proven it. How does your life change from this moment forward? Yeah, my life uh, changed drastically because I, I felt, you know, I thought about what she had said, although it was hard to hold that, right? It's such a, such, such an identity shift, yeah. you know, but I thought, well, what are your choices? You know, you can, you know, you can be broken or you can have a gift. Like yeah. that's really what you're up with. And it helped me to kind of reflect back to those moments of connection and love um, and sanctuary that I had in early childhood. So so I made this like active decision to embody this to the best of my ability and to bring it back. So I read everything that I could um, and listened to everything that I could and, and just poured all over these, you know, metaphysical masters that have come mm-hmm. before me. And I just remember thinking, now this makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. And, and again, just being so protected, you know, being able to uh, be embraced in this and then supported. And I just opened up practice in, in the office of the, of the doctor that helped oh, me. Oh, really? Yeah. She said, okay, go ahead. Just, I wouldn't call yourself psychic in the small town. Maybe say, so what did you intuitive? call yourself? We called it intuitive, um, intuitive reader or intuitive counsel. So did you sometimes even work together a bit? We did. Yes. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Man, yeah. what a yeah. wonderful woman yeah. that she not just helped you see yourself, but trusted you enough as a fairly young woman, it sounds like she did to be able to even assist it with maybe challenging cases. Yes. And she maintained, you know, her oath, you know, she didn't give me anything. Um, You know, maybe if at best I would get a first name and I would just feel and describe what I'm seeing and she would just take it in and she would uh, work with other clients. um, And she would sometimes bring me to their attention and say, look, 
you know, you can speak with this intuitive and maybe it'll help. And it even graduated to the point where we would hold energetic circles for those that were suffering. So this woman was renegade, uh, renegading in the mental health community. But um, yeah, it was in the back room and in a time still where people were very, very intimidated right, right. by this work. What a brave, wonderful woman. She was amazing. Still is. So from this point on, okay, you're helping in the office and so forth. Mm-hmm. And you're starting to also understand things about the soul. Yes. Because you've also studied a lot. You've done a lot of research and you're embracing some some master's works. Yes. So right. now how did your work progress with others? I feel like when I was given the keys to the kingdom in confidence, it in, in some ways helped me remember, you know, even prior unions with these higher sentient beings. Um, so, you know, the cavities of my own consciousness expanded mm-hmm. and I started to receive um, concepts and understanding mm-hmm. for the individual mm-hmm. uh, that would come and see me. Uh, but then also how it fit in a larger scale for us as kind of a unifying uh, species. So, you know, I don't know that I did anything uh, worthy of really opening this up other than, you know, just beginning to trust and stabilize and ground and hold hold sincere intentions to heal mm-hmm. um, and to help. So, you know, I, I quickly kind of outgrew that back room and I moved to um, to the city uh, into a metaphysical bookshop where, again, open arms uh, and I just opened up my practice there and it was just... And you say, you, the word you use for it is soul interventions? Yes, yes. So absolutely. talk about what that is. Soul interventions, I believe, is extracted from this concept that we refer to as the Akashic Records. And the Akashic Records holds this full spectrum uh, map of the soul. And sometimes, you know, when people lose faith or they lose sight or they become capsized with fear, um, they can't quite pick up on those milestones they're meant to meet. That, you know, they can't walk through uh, those specific experiences that are going to set them free. So when we get into this idea of soul interventions, that we would progress them to these moments of influence uh, or impact, sometimes it would turn out it was a familial pain, like an epigenetic cycle or a trauma from their childhood also. And so we would go there and we would re-acknowledge it or we would put light on it or look at it a different way. So often if you just give people the space and, you know, acknowledge that they're, you know, they're safe and they can return to their Akashic map. They just pick right up, you know. And this can be past or future or yes. present. Yes, all. it can be all of it. Yeah, it's almost like it's all happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. But we just need to find those wrinkles, those times where we hit, again, the wall of fear, or that shadow side, um, for whatever reason. So many different mm-hmm. reasons uh, that people can kind of hit that. I tell them they're out in the weeds, you know, we just right. bring them back onto that straight and narrow path that their soul knows instinctively. And you were doing this by being able to offer a psychic glimpse yes. into yes. what was waiting there for them that yes. they were about to touch but hadn't made it yet. Yes. So and it's not really interfering with their path. Correct. And, and Correct. You, you had to use a certain amount of discernment to not overstep, I assume. Correct. And I think that that's very instinctual to myself, at yes. least where I feel like true healing and growth comes when an individual recognizes their true self, yes. their light, um, or really a releasing of the, the illusion of fear. And so I would offer insights to things that I would see um, or opportunities in this, like, you know, um, really encapsulating their greatest gift, mm-hmm. you know, their talents. And 
often they would just acknowledge that, feel that, or remember, um, you yeah. know, their, their childhood thoughts around. So you were doing for them what that woman did for you. Correct. Well said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You were helping give them that validation mm-hmm. so they could have confidence in themselves. Yes. And so the point was to ultimately be able to do this work internally for themselves. Correct. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so what did that blossom into and where are you with it today? And let's look at the overarching kind of messages that you're looking at today and sharing with people. Yes. I'm so grateful for my background and it's led me through, you know, um, many different paths and mediumship, but, but it seems like when it takes that sum total, it's about helping people access uh, their records, these Akashic records and finding out, you know, where they belong in the here and now. Um, and one of the biggest um, messages that has been um, relayed to me from my higher guides is that we need to move into this kind of non-binary path or this non-judgmental, like we're so self-judging yes. of self and we, you know, we're so hard on what we think we haven't accomplished or, you know, the mark that we haven't met in the future. So I noticed um, with people, it's very powerful to help put them in touch with their now to help them see what cycle that they're working on in the present moment and why the root system of that runs so very, very deep. And I would assume that what you see with most people is they have not developed the ability to occupy the moment, the now. Correct. Yes. It's the fear of the past, the Mm -hmm. anxiety of the future that hasn't occurred yet. Yeah. And so how do you assist someone into coming into their presence now? where everything is happening now. And it's complicated, right? It's Just not to be, easy. And even meditation. I, I have so mm-hmm. many people that sit and, and try to meditate mm-hmm. and they give it like two minutes and they're like, I can't do it. I'm never doing it again. And my theory with that is when you come back to the present moment, I mean, you're met with no filter in a way. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, the landscape of fear, you have the mind, uh, you have your all that you've ever been. And so if you could think about the sheer velocity mm-hmm. of all of you without the filters or the framework, um, it's just sometimes more than one can hold. So my path with working with people is definitely to lead them into the stability of their own heart. And to know that, you know, the things that they're afraid of either exist in some, you know, version of an illusion or to help them see the purpose of their own path. Mm-hmm. Again, in my background, seeing how all of the bricks were laid, even to lead me up until this point. Mm-hmm. So finding that um, stillness and even mindfulness or uh, learning to uh, acknowledge that you're not alone. Right. That you have guidance. Uh, you have guides looking out for you all every the time. single minute. Yes, 24-7. I think that helps ease the transition into uh, the treacherous yeah. now. Yeah. I would think one of the problems at the moment is um, because we've been through this technological revolution and so many people, um, their brains are operating at a little different speed than they used to just because of the quick satisfaction mm-hmm. and interaction with technology, mm-hmm. that it's more and more difficult especially for younger generations to be able to sit still. Correct. Or think autonomously. Or think autonomously. Right, right. right. Do you have a lot of younger clients? I do. I do. And they seem to be absorbed into, you know, the flashing lights or the quick pace. Right. And I'm wondering, how do you bring someone back to themselves 
when the brain has been really becoming into almost addictive patterns of such quick gratification right and right. external authority we have to proceed at first with some kind of mental detox and i feel like that comes in phases you know it took us a long time to become to kind of go off the map in, in a way right so you know i ask these young people or anybody actually just to kind of make these small adjustments you know put the phone down midday and go outside and just do five you know if you can do five minutes of deep breathing um so we start with this kind of mental detoxing mm-hmm. zone good and then we move into an empowering lifestyle with communicating with sacred things such as nature or our higher self so i find the breaking point is when people can really sense again who their higher guides are when mm-hmm. they make that relationship possible yeah. or just make that connection when they can feel the hum the resonance in their body shift they're kind of hooked it becomes right. um more powerful than even social media for yeah. some yeah. hallelujah that's wonderful yeah. okay yeah. so part of this you do something called the brain bypass yes so mm-hmm. tell us about that so i think um one of the things where we've really gotten kind of confused is self trust mm-hmm. and it's so easy to chalk up our intuition or these things that will flicker in the back of our mind to imagination mm-hmm. so the brain i've noticed and through my studies and research uh that it just tends to be some kind of patterning organ so it has a hard time breaking free from its own little infrastructure and box um and and when we do start to separate and kind of go into altered states of consciousness our body starts doing these ab reactions you know and putting us sometimes into fight or flight so we have to kind of retrain our pathology uh, so the brain bypass suggests uh that we just go into this kind of free association of mind and that we practice asking a question and receiving an answer that doesn't hold a lot of weight you know sometimes with my clients i'll say just you know what is the first animal that pops into your mind if you were to ask your higher guidance show me an animal and i'll re- you know and they're just freaked out like how do i do this without thinking about the right answer and then they'll just have this image or this experience pop in their mind mm-hmm. and you know we use numbers but it's just this beginning infrastructure of trusting something beyond that small percentage beyond cognition beyond linearity like it's just this freedom of uncharted space and as you move into brain bypass i mean you can ask really you know high calibrated questions or for yourself or other people and you know you receive this kind of light language or this metaphoric feedback that you can learn to decipher it mhm mm-hmm. so tell us a couple more techniques that you use that you think are super effective right now with individuals and i'm going to yeah. ask you some overarching questions that sure. one would ask a psychic and say how come this okay sure yeah. absolutely well i think um returning back to the present moment yes that is such a difficult thing to do and i and i know this from experience because um somehow through my psychic development i knew that i had to be super present because psychic information only comes in the now exactly the future doesn't exist past doesn't exist in the way that everything only comes in the now only right now right. exactly yeah. so if we're evading that how will we ever get out of this pickle right so i noticed 
even in following the beautiful uh, teachings of Eckhart Tolle, every time I would try to be in the now, took me like three seconds and I was, you know, lost in conversation with someone or (laughs) chasing another psychic squirrel. So I developed this technique that kind of combines uh, the now and mindfulness. I call it the sandwich meditation. um, And I call it that is because I was directed early on in my psychic career to take a sandwich and eat it very, very slow, which I thought was kind of a radical ask. Mm -hmm. And as I did that, I remember thinking that this is excruciating. I mean, the seeds on the bun felt like furniture sliders and my teeth (laughs) and the lettuce was gummy. It was, it was quite an awful experience, but within just a few moments of being present, I, I noticed electricity kind of flowing through the air, almost like a mirage I could hear the birds outside, like you just, just turned birds it up. Mm-hmm. It was just like a like a hyper mm-hmm. state or a superhuman state of consciousness. Scared me to pieces. Why? Yeah, I think it was just an unknown. It was just, you know, my body was buzzing. It was almost an electrified uh, way of being human. It was just were so... You, it sounds awkward. like you were simply tapping into the electrical universe yes. in which we live yes and you're consciously aware yes. of that yes, exact that transmission yes a 100 percent. yeah i was in touch with the now and for me and for, for a lot of us it's those transmissions those um you know those guidelines of of where we're supposed to be mm-hmm. so the technique that i would give um would be to try this uh this method to anywhere where you're very unconscious uh, for me, apparently, it was eating. Uh-huh. Uh, but you can do it washing the dishes. You can do it while driving. So you take about 30 seconds to a minute, no longer. We want to retrain that right automatic response part of the brain. Mm-hmm. And for instance, if you're taking you know, the dish, set a timer on your phone, 30 seconds, and feel the weight of the dish in your hand. And just take a moment to breathe and feel that. Flip it over. Where was it made? Might surprise you, mm-hmm. you know? Probably China, China, you know, (laughs) smell the dish liquid, um, hear the water hitting the basin of the sink. And so essentially you're, you're practicing imploring all of those senses and allowing them to go up into heightened psychic states. And the more that you enter in and out of those psychic states or that present now, the more comfortable that you'll become and the less your brain is going to fight you as you kind of move outside of that Mm -hmm. box. So I think that's one of the more helpful techniques Mm -hmm. and you can do it while you're taking kids. No matter what you're doing. Yeah. Or Or watching birds. Yes. Yes. I love to watch birds. I'm just so absorbed into watching their interactions and hierarchy with each other and so forth. Yeah. But I mean, anyway, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. Brushing your teeth. Right. Feeling the bristles. Yes. You know, so to bring yourself into the moment with very, in very simple ways. Correct. Until you start developing essentially an, a knowingness of what it feels like to be in the moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And so that you don't shut down or go yeah. into that fight or flight response. Right. You know, right. and I think the only other thing that it would be such a great, you know, beginning if, if one was trying to enter into that psychic space is amplifying their personal frequency. You know, there's many different methods on how to do this, but, um, you know, when I teach it, it's all about how to get there the quickest. Mm-hmm. You know, we have busy lives. We sometimes don't always have all the time to go meditate. But what I've been taught by my guides is that everything follows the power of our intention mm-hmm. and will. 
And so if you can just even for in a 30 second time frame, close your eyes and think up or imagine uh, what it would feel like to levitate. Mm-hmm. I tell people just visualize a thermometer or any kind of beacon to be lifted up. And this is surprising because it sounds so simple. And just count to 10 slowly and just feel yourself being lifted lifted and Mm -hmm. you're literally changing dimensional quality Mm -hmm. so when you open your eyes Mm -hmm. the the light will be present in a different way um you'll feel kind of spacey and heady um maybe a buzzing but you've just left that dense swamp of the 3d right it's so simple that's simple and wonderful thank you for those those are all very useful techniques so getting into kind of the some of the general psychic questions Mm -hmm. people have because people, first of all, predictive, predictive psychic, psychic work yes. is always dicey. Yes. Timing mm-hmm. is always mm-hmm. dicey. And so let's talk about that for a moment for all the brokenhearted clients of psychics. Yes. It didn't happen. He didn't show up. I didn't get the job. When someone is reading, they're reading, theoretically, what is transpiring and has developed in that moment. Right. So really, it seems to me that we're looking at probability. Correct. So go ahead and take it from there so people begin to understand. Yes. And this is why I you know, tell people that I am an Akashic Records reader and how that might be different from a psychic reading. Although yes. I think psychic readings are so valuable um, for so many different reasons. But one of the obstacles that one can run into is that when they're reading someone um, or giving feedback about their life, perhaps sometimes that can turn into forms of mentalism um, or reading kind of just that 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 life stream that they're on currently. Right. Um, and there's so many different options. Uh, so in reading someone, I try to give this landscape um, of all that they the potentiality of mm-hmm. their soul, of their spirit. I try to really uh, showcase some things that are hard, some fears, some pain, some things that might be um, restrictive or really give them a challenge. And then I try to bring to them their skill, their talent, because everybody has, you know, the potential for mastery um, in a certain skill set or a talent. And then we just take those variables and we start to look at it as a whole. And I tell them, like, here's your your, your highest potential. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you willing to do to get there? So often, you know, when I go into work with a client, I'll say, look, this isn't going to be fortune telling. This is going to be more like extremely um, etheric strategizing of life. We call in your guides and angels. So we we really kind of create this predictive um, focal point based on the opportunities of choice. Mm-hmm. that one has and so to summarize I t- you know it's really this understanding between myself and my client that if they make these shifts that these shifts have to happen first to prepare them to be calibrated or aligned with those higher outcomes mm-hmm. and often if we're not willing to make those changes we'll never see right. anything outside of that you and know, that's that very different than a psychic reading than madame zelda and yes. so yeah. the other element is time, yes. because one thing, no matter how am- amazingly elevated uh, our guides are coming from other dimensions, it doesn't matter. Yes. The one thing that tends to frustrate and stump humanity is time, yes. because mm-hmm. 
these things are going to unfold in their own time and that Mm -hmm. can't be predicted. One intervening thought pattern from another person can change that timeline. Sure. So talk about time as you see it when you're, when you're looking at Akashic records and when you're trying to relay things to people without having them attached to a time frame. Right. So that's a great question. I think time and space have a tighter relationship than maybe we understand yet. And, you know, time, obviously we know it's not, you know, a linear experience. So often I tell people like, look, we can't give timelines. You know, I can give this approximation of an almost, you know, experientially dominoes following, falling. If you, if you do this, then then this will set you up for this. But or something can feel closer, yes. warmer versus yes. colder. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. So I think, you know, with that free will, it does skew um timelines. But I think what I've noticed um as a psychic, as an Akashic records, as a student of 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 the higher dimensions, it's less about time and more about integration. More about walking through the you know the lessons that we need to learn and not pass them so yes. i feel like there's a spiritual bypassing that sometimes happens or a quickening when people need that thing to happen so that they can survive so that comes up in a session pretty quickly that um we're trying to have this relationship come to fruition or this job change because we need it so that we can you know not capsize in anxiety and depression right so, you know, we need to work on those fundamental things. And, and just as soon as you do, it seems to expedite time. Right. Yeah. So it's a lot of, it's, it's, I think it's bigger than we understand. Yeah. And then the whole notion you talked about a, a moment ago, and this is uh, as we wind up the conversation, the notion of our desire yes. and our will and our intention. Yeah. So often people come to a psychic reading and say, well, I just don't want to know what I'm supposed to be doing. And I know my guides have always said to people, what do you want to do? What right. do you want to right. do? Right. You know, and what, but what am I supposed to do? And so <laughs> yeah. talk about that little dynamic on how important it is for us to simply have a sense of what we want. Yes. And I believe that that's part of this path of returning to the heart, mm-hmm. um, re- returning to our authentic self and to know, uh, you know, our spiritual edge. Mm-hmm. It's not, it, obviously it's not easy. And I feel like I run into people going, well, it doesn't feel good. So it must not be right. I'm like, Oh, you know, <laughs> that's never the case. Yeah. So I feel like where we are right now is to become lucid, to become aware, uh, to be willing to take the shadow aspects of ourselves and look at it and not run from it and to hold our inherent power without being ashamed or, chalking it up to ego and allowing this great return of, of all the pieces that we've ever been yes. to come home and living again in this uniquely whole position. Um, and I feel like that's going to be, you know, the shift of the ages. I think the earth takes a, a massive turn for the better if we could do that. I agree with you. And I do see it turning for the better. Absolutely. And I'm Me sure too. you do as I well. Do. Absolutely. <laughs> Bonnie, thank you so much. Thank it's you. just really delightful to hear how you worked with your own life and used all of what seems like tragedy to yes. your advantage and also to help you have compassion for and understand the journey of another. Absolutely. And Thank help you. them understand themselves. So, 100%. That's yes. what it's about. Yes. Thank you so much for having Thank me. Thank you, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Bonnie's book is titled The Other Side of Normal. Until next time, thank you for joining us here on Open Minds.
Okay. More drama. One moment, everybody. We gotta do the next one. Oh, that's okay, everybody. We're gonna we're gonna play something that's very interesting tonight. A little bit later, it's on um, it's on the great performances. Um, let me finish these first, but um, new, now hear this. Schumann's Genius and Madness. Visiting Scotland, Germany, and France to investigate the connection between Robert Schumann's bipolar disorder and his creative genius. Uh, I think there's a few of us around here going through that. Um, but uh, for tonight now, we're going to, um, the, yes, Star Knowledge and the Akashic Records. And this is, uh, could metaphysically assessing the Akashic Records change how, how we perceive our past and determine our future course of evolution? Expert medium. And spiritual guide Bonnie McCliss joins Beyond Belief in de- to delve into the nature of the Akashic Records, a technique for accessing them, and how the information can affect our lives, our decisions, and healing. Sharing details of a paranormal experience within the Dome in Arkansas, McCliss also discusses her extraterrestrial contact and how ET guides and their star knowledge have affected her life. So here we go. Uh, this is 44 minutes. Let's do it. Welcome to this edition of Beyond Belief. Bonnie McCliss is with us, a certified hypnotherapist and psychic medium who specializes in tapping into the Akashic Records. Bonnie, welcome to Beyond Belief. Hi, George. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And how are you? I'm doing well. I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Lots to talk with you about. Definitely. Tell me about your life as a psychic medium. How did that start for you? Sure. Yeah, it it, it definitely evolved. You know, it definitely evolved from this idea of psychic Um uh, and, and myriad of different ways, and it came to this kind of fruition of reading the Akashic records. So it's been it's been a it's been a journey. How old were you? I my earliest memories uh, with you know having working within the psychic plane. I was about two years old. That's it. Yeah, that's it. It's as far back as I could go. Yeah. Is it hereditary? Is it in your family? 
It, not to my knowledge. It's not hereditary. Um, I feel like it had something to do with the vibrational uh, beings or access that, that came upon me early on. And it's a bit of a chicken or the egg. I don't know if, uh, you know, I attracted this help by being psychic or if I came in, uh, kind of contracted into uh, kind of higher planes, beings and, and, and states of consciousness. So I don't know, but they've been around for as, as long as I can remember. Well, being so young to have this ability, were you a brainiac in school? Quite the opposite. Yeah, it was very much a, a problem, misunderstood. Really? Yes, yes. Kind of didn't process things the way that other people processed them. Uh, classic, she's a daydreamer, you know, we can't keep Bonnie's focus for long. You were um, in another plane of existence, I was right? classic, yeah. If anybody knew me back then, they'd say, oh, she's not here. What are the Akashic records? The Akashic records, you know, many people believe different things about the Akasha, but from my perspective, it's it's the all. It's the one state of consciousness. It's where all beings kind of come together and meet. Um, and through reading the Akasha, you're able to see people in their multidimensionality, you're able to see all they've ever been, all that they ever will be. And really what I think is unique to the Akashic records is that you can see their journey through each choice that they make. So if they make a decision, how that's going to roll out um, and how that's going to affect their their karma. Does uh, everything we do go in the Akashic records? Every single thing. Not only us, but any dimensional being. It really is a storehouse for life. It is the Atman. So we can't yeah. hide anything. You, no, everything's being uh, signed, sold, and delivered. Into this Who records it? What records it? It's a good question. I feel like we do. I feel like it's a product of... of We're our of own our, authors of the Akashic Records. Yes, it's like the, the matrix. It's the, all of it. And I think that when you get into the Akasha, it allows you to go deeper into your understanding of you know, beyond the paradox, beyond the duality uh, of being human and into this state of oneness. You so know? I had this vision of a spirit guide with a huge journal, long yeah. roll, yeah, writing, do. George did this today. And it, it's kind of perceived that way, like that old movie, uh, Defend Your Life. Right. You know, when you go after this incarnation, you go and you get to see all the things that you could have done differently. And I do think there's some, you know, there's some truth to that, but we come in with this code deep within our DNA, what we've come here to do, whether it be to, to you know, release our karma or this kind of just groundhog's day of, of our own uh, beingness, or, you know, sometimes people come back to help humanity exactly. as we evolve through this eye of the needle. So, you do your psychic readings a little differently than most. I do. Tell me what you do. I do. I think psychic readings at large is a very valuable tool uh, that you can get uh, from several different people. And you kind of just look at and witness the seed, you know, the beginning art of somebody's capacity. But when you get into the Akasha, where I, where I tend to hover, you see where their blind spots are. You see the purpose for their incarnation. You see their talents. You see past life uh, tremors and traumas that they can't seem to uh, release and evolve from. So in short, you kind of look at the whole chasm of an individual's evolution, um, which 
I think as an Akashic Records, you really have to learn to hold yourself um, in a certain lifestyle to be able to enter into that to begin with. So you tap into individuals, Akashic Records? Correct. Like you would yes. tap into mine or yes. somebody else's. And they're all linked, which is which is just a, a mind-blowing concept. What kind of mode are you in in order to do this? We would consider it a mode of channeling, which is a little bit separate from psychics and mediums because they are reading the energy before them. They're reading the trajectory uh, that are is you currently in a trance present. state. Somewhat, yes, yeah. It's like a half in, half out kind of energy. Can you space. show us how you get into this mode? Certainly, um, it's like a call and response type of uh, dynamic where through the power of your intention, you will yourself uh, through the heart. So with intention to be this conduit uh, to receive healing and information for the person that sits with you. And after your intention, you seem to be able to pick up on a signal. Uh, for me, it's, it's pretty audible. I could hear it uh, ringing usually in my right ear. And when I respond it like to tinnitus? that, it is like tinnitus. It is exactly like tinnitus. Um, you just kind of recognize it. Yeah. Yeah. That with like, as you could imagine, all of the air being sucked out of the room at the same time. It's a very bizarre energy. And so you just lean into that. You trust that and you, you meld with that signal and then you become a collective. Should a collective the person energy. that you're reading feel violated because you're tapping into their personal records? That's a good question. Um, we're not truly separate. So there is not the boundaries that we perceive so it's anyway. Public, technically. It's public information. It is um it's through the power of intention and alignment. So generally when people find me, we are already it's been written. It's already a part of their uh their walk, their journey for us to kind of cross paths. So it is just this really seamless merger. And I think that what I hear most as far as feedback when they leave uh, an Akashic Records uh, experience with myself is they don't remember a lot of what we talked about because it's on beyond the mind. And they'll leave feeling it's different. It's beyond belief. It's beyond belief. <laughs> they just feel different. They um, they feel seen or heard or I guess you could say um, aligned. Bonnie, give us an example of you tapping into somebody's Akashic Records and what do you say to them and how do you use it? Sure. Um, so as I begin, I tune in by, I love to hear somebody's voice first. I love to hear their frequency, their harmonic thumbprint uh, okay. sound is So you chat I, with them for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Ask them about the weather or their dog uh, and try to get that signal from them as well. As I'm pairing up with higher planes of consciousness. And almost immediately, I start to feel or sense their lineage, uh, their uh, their archetype, their patterns, their purpose. How long why. does this session last? About an hour. Oh, really? Yeah. That's pretty intense. It's super fast. And I talk fast and a lot. Maybe why they don't remember. Are you awake? Um, I awake, but I'm not always fully aware of what comes out of my mouth. Um, sometimes things... I say, it's news to me. Uh, it's fascinating to hear 
the vantage point of the collective uh, wisdom that runs through me and into the, the recipient. Do you pull out the good and the bad of the Akashic records? Um, you could say that they don't like to speak in any kind of binary way, but they will show where there is uh, fear or judgment or limited mm. uh, belief. Um, so I do tell my clients, you know, if I'm not a doomsday psychic. You're pretty safe with me. And the stuff that comes through is all about productive knowledge to bring you into harmonic uh, alignment with what your soul is trying to create and achieve in this particular. Have you ever found yourself, Bonnie, in a situation where you tapped into somebody's records and you figure, I got to get out of here? It's a great question. Um, Maybe just a few times. And I think that a couple of times where I've done that, uh, I have sensed somebody's life wasn't going to be much longer. Um, and so that's a, that's an interesting, that's an interesting crossroads. And there has been times where I've, I've met ET resistance in people, uh, where they would not allow me to access, uh, no matter how hard I pushed. Um, that's only happened a couple of times where I was kind of access denied, you know. No. As you're being psychic with all of this, have you stumbled into other encounters with extraterrestrials or other entities? Very much so. It's a bit of my wheelhouse. You know, I've been um, seeing them or exchanging with their uh, their sound currents and their knowledge or intentions for humanity since as far as I can remember. So you see that a lot in people. You'll see people who are here to help humanity rise right now, as opposed to perhaps people that have come to work on maybe a more individual karmic experience. Um, and often those people are connected to different races, different planes of the of consciousness. Um, the people often feel uh, they say they're lost or homesick or they don't fit in. Mm-hmm. So you get to have a lot of... Uh, variation with contact to beings and that's why i tell people i'm just a cosmic linguistic uh bonnie are these encounters with higher dimensions and entities more spiritual than others of course yes some definitely are are very focused on the uh the repair of earth and earth's resources um they care about us very much very much so and then others Others seem to be here doing some type of research or advancing their own um, status. Um, it's very, very different, uh, just like people. Some people are, you know, for, out for their own well-being and some feel driven to help the collective. What is a light being? A light being to me would be their, uh, the way that, you know, the way that they come across in their vibration, uh, the way that they cycle uh, light uh, and time, uh, time and how they operate in time and Are space. Are they angelic? Some people call light beings angelic. Yeah, I think yeah. William Henry does. Yeah, they seem to vibrate at a very high, high resonance. The different, different sounds. We've got some pictures to show you. You tell us what they are. The first yeah. is what we call the dome. Yeah. Explain that, Bonnie. The dome kind of built itself in a way. It it spoke to us step by step on what needed to come together. Um, it definitely started with the land, started with the fantastic elements of the crystal grids in Hot Springs, Arkansas. 
It's a geodesic dome created yes. by Buckminster Fuller. Yes, probably, correct. Right? Buckminster Fuller. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there's quite a bit of science backing it. But, you know, we we weren't led by the science. We were led by intuition, which brought to us kind of step by step what needed to happen to inhabit this. Is this built in a certain area? It's built directly on uh, crystal grid, natural form oh, really? crystal grid. Mm-hmm. Does that give it any special powers? It does. It seems to create and generate positive ions. Um, well, so let's go say. inside the dome now yeah. and see what it looks like. That's kind of cool. It is. Is that somebody lying down on the floor? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so generally people will come and lie down um, and we'll use sound. And different frequencies, different instruments to bring them into altered states. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the the geodesic aspect of the dome seems to help this kind of harmonic resonance complete because of the way it's shaped. Mm-hmm. Has quite quite an interesting acoustic aspect to it as well. Fascinating. Let's see what else is there. Now, what is this? So this is another, just another aspect of the dome when we're sitting there with the different, um, different sounds. And we, again, the way that we use sound and the crystal bowls is very intuitive. We use different lights, different colors, different instruments again, just to try to bring forward whatever energy. How about chanting? We do chanting, mm-hmm. yoga. Om. Yes, we do om. We do a lot of the Hebrew alchemic uh, statements like. Ihaya or Yehovah Elohim. You know, we, we reach back to some of the ancient properties and, and teachings from the mystery schools. And that's why we need the legend of, of greater things. You had an ET contact yourself, didn't you, during one of these sound baths? Yeah. What happened? Yeah. So it was, it was interesting. It wasn't necessarily like anything we've ever seen before, although a lot of people uh, talk about different encounters or beings that they'll come across uh, while at the dome, because we are really, you know, engaging in this kind of climactic, uh, you know, womb of resonance. And these sine waves seem to be doing something very, very different and peculiar. But one night specifically, uh, I think it was in April 2021, we had invited an astrologer to give a speak or to give a speaking engagement. And uh, he came out and he was on the outside of the dome. And the first thing I I recognized was strange was that uh, my electronic equipment to film him and what he was doing started to really kind of mess up. What's that? Go a little haywire. Yeah. The electronics went haywire. And I thought that was really strange, you know, but it's not untypical for the dome because, you know, we're out in the middle of a field and, you know, Wi-Fi is kind of crazy. But as the night kind of dro- drove on, um, I noticed other kind of strange aspects. There seemed to be uh, kind of an odd energy with, uh, with the people that have come. People were very, very still and almost sleepy. There was a fog uh, kind of somewhat descending like around, a mist. like a mist. With In prior ET contact, I know that that's kind of an element uh, that it comes. waves in first somehow. Yes, it Some, does. A lot of times it cloaks the UFO, for example. Correct. It does. It absolutely does. And it has a different um, kind of sound resonance to it, too. So that started to seem kind of strange to me. And then if that wasn't enough to top it all off, there was an owl that had come and, and landed on the banister on the other side of the dome. That's always an interesting sign. Always an interesting sign. So I just knew it was strange, and I knew something was was different than normal, but I 
truly didn't think too much more about it. Um, so when my astrologer concluded his talk, everybody ran inside for the second phase of this event where we were going to use sound and instrument and meditation sure. to bring them into an altered state. And that was a little bit strange too, George, because normally people will come up and they will talk and I have a hard time herding them into the dome to prepare for this next, um, you know, next part of whatever we're going to do. But that night there was no talking. They all just seemed to just run into the dome lay down, curl up in their blankets like little inchworms, uh, and just, they just got really still very quickly. Like vegetated. It was strange, which I've never seen that behavior. Now, tell us about these hooded beings. That's kind of where it kind of went to. Um, So right before we were going into our meditation, um, actually two people jumped up and left immediately. Uh, they just, one lady got in her car, drove all the way back to Nashville, um, and uh, my astrologer, he just took off and left too. So um, odd components. So we started in, and I'm the one leading the meditation. I'm a regressionalist by trade, right. and I was going to use uh, a certain meditation to bring them in. And it was very strange because my mind went blank at that moment. Really? Like I, you were losing control? Like I was losing my focus. I couldn't remember how to uh, set people up for for hypnosis. I thought that was odd. Strange. Strange. I started to get a little nervous. And something else came into my mind entirely. And I asked people to just begin to relax and release their body and vibrate into the light being that they truly are. And that was an odd command or ask. I'd I've never said that to and, anyone. And you had not seen the hooded beans at this point? Correct. They were not there. But again, it was just, you know, an odd experience. So after the meditation, I just kind of tell, told them to continue to breathe and to relax their bodies. And I sat down to play my instruments. And we used sound bowls, crystal bowls. And the first thing that happened was it wouldn't play. Another haywire experience. Another hay. Yes, the vibration wouldn't. It wouldn't resonate. It was almost like something was interfering. Huh. And I looked at the two people that I was playing the instruments with. They also had these singing bowls, and they they were experiencing the same thing. They, we were giving hand gestures like, we don't know what's going on. We're confused. So I continued to struggle with these with these bowls. And I even stepped over to the gong to start to get the, the gong vibration uh, to go and to, and to create a resonance. And it, and it sounded like you were kicking a tin can. It was a really strange thing. And when I turned around to go back to the bowls is when I started to see kind of a gray mist forming towards the right uh, hemisphere of the dome. And that's when I saw several, I, I think it was anywhere between 12 or 15 hooded beings entering the, the side. Did of, they look know. human? Uh, absolutely not. No, I've seen, I've seen these energies once before. And, you know, it's hard to see their faces. Now, your partner, Casey Johnson, was there, too, Mm -hmm. as a witness during this event. We've done a ton of sound baths at the Dome, and um, we do them together, me, my mother, Carla Shepard, and Bonnie. And uh, this one started off just like they always do, where, you know, we have quite a few people that come. The Dome's getting full. um, Everyone's coming in. People start to lay down. And so what we usually do is we'll have like a meditation and we have a, we do some breath work and we just really try to get people relaxed before we start playing. But this time when we start playing, it just, 
the sound was so off. It was the bowls weren't playing right. They weren't sounding right. Um, when we go to play the gong, the gong wouldn't even normally just echoes across the dome and it's really loud and beautiful. And um, that night it was making just this tin, like deadpan sound every time we'd hear it. It's like the vibration of the, the room was being altered. And then I felt like we had been playing for forever. And I just remember looking up at the clock and it was like time had stood still. It just kept going on and on and like the clock wasn't moving. And, you know, and then this lady stands up in the middle of the room and she starts making these hand movements. She like sits up and she starts doing all these different mudras and gestures with her arm and her hands, not saying anything, just almost like she was directing something. It was really wild. And, um, and then, we kind of slowly pull everyone up and we're just um, talking to people afterwards and getting their, their reactions to everything, just seeing like how it felt for them. And at least like 10 people who were there talked about experiencing um, that it felt like they were being pulled out of their bodies. That it felt like something was coming to get them and pulling them up. Like they, they all had the same kind of description happening. It was just a really kind of wild, intense night. And we haven't had it happen like that since. Like normally when we, you know, we go down and play the bowls, it's, it's fine. And we had changed nothing that night. So it was just a really weird, it was like something came in and had altered the energy of the room, the vibrational experience, of that space. Sounds like quite a night, Bonnie. It was. It was one for the books. A lot of strange sure. things. Yes. What do you think yeah. caused all these distortions with the electronics and things like that? I believe, I believe it was a bit of a perfect storm. You know, I believe that there was many different components. Often, I hear that dates matter. That these that these harmonic convergence will happen during certain phases of the moon or planetary alignments. Or, or dates. Um, so it could have been just this perfect thing that we happened upon, um, the right people. All of it together created this really interesting, I think, blip, uh, in, in the resonance, uh, and things came to check it out. They felt very much to me like, like an inner earth species. Um, I, there may have been other type of, of energies around, like but within the hollow earth, if we yeah, have one. Yes. Yes. Which is, which is pretty pretty in alignment with the beliefs for that land um, as it pertains to the owners uh, that have come before us. Now, you've been back to the Dome several times, mm -hmm. haven't you? Yes. Here's yeah. a picture of a different night. Tell us a little bit about this kind of activity. What is this? Yes, that's that's definitely a distortion. Um, I feel, you know, I feel like when we start bringing in the sound, and again, this is a really intuitive engagement on our part. We just set ourselves up as, again, these you? channels. That's me. Mm-hmm. And through intention, we're, you know, I can speak for myself, we're moving into, I'm moving into just altered states um, and using the sound to kind of really elicit this healing. So when I looked at this picture, I've, I, my first feeling was that kind of, uh, that kind of uh, distortion right there in the middle felt like an actual being or I could sense that there's something else going on uh, right there. So that's a bit par for the course. Was there much paranormal activity out there, Bonnie? Uh, quite a bit, actually, which, you know, people will come and, and give us different accounts. Uh, some people hear singing on the land. Uh, people are scared to stay there at, at, at night. Scared? Um, really? Were you? Well, no, but I mean, <laughs> I'm fascinated by this stuff. But they are, they, they, you can just sense it. When you walk on the land, you can just sense very sensitive people 
they know something's happening and you usually are, you know, kind of affected one way or the other. You either lean in and you want to be a part of something great and unknown, or it drives you the other way and you just, you shut down and, and you don't come back. So the dome and the land itself certainly has its own way of, of kind of dividing, uh, dividing and calling in people that need it. So Honestly, every experience that we have there is its own unique. Absolutely. You've got another partner named Carla Shepard, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and she talks about the UFO sightings around this property. The land has been in our family for generations. And several years ago, my father was talking to a great aunt of mine, and she had lived on the old what we call the old homestead. And it overlooks, there's a wooded area, and then... You have the old homestead, and then there's the dome beyond the woods. And she told my father that she was doing dishes one evening, and this had been this was many many years ago, and that she saw a UFO, and she saw it land right in the vicinity of where the dome was. And she said she had never told anyone because she didn't think that anyone would believe her. But she knew that my dad would in her older years. And so Bonnie and Casey and I had talked to my father about this. And my father, by trade, he worked in the x-ray business. And he had a side business at one point where he, where he would, they would extract the silver from the x-rays and they would make them into silver bars. And so for a long time, he had some of those silver bars and he said just very casually one day, he said, yeah, he said, I'll never forget when an ET visited me and needed help with this uh, spacecraft. He said that there was something wrong with it. And he said he needed some silver to repair it. And he said he got um He'd only got one bar. He didn't need much. He said, but, you know, I was glad to help. So we do have a little bit of history with UFOs and ETs that um, have visited us long before the dome was there. Fascinating. What else kind of ET activity, Bonnie, was out that way? You know, um, a lot of it was just, you know, stories from the family um, or even, you know, generations upon beyond generations and it's not it's actually kind of hand-me-down stories it was just hand-me-down stories correct yeah and even for that part of you know hot springs there's been mass sightings uh that you know news have news has covered over 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 the decades but um as far as you know um carlish's father he he did he would just tell you straightforward you know i've watched craft land here on this property uh they have a purpose he would speak uh, at great detail about the inner earth beings. He believed he could locate the actual entryway into the caverns. And I know I would have dreams kind of in accordance to what he was, was saying. Yeah. Uh, he w- even went so far before he died as to have this big boulder moved um, so that people could find a way to go into these inner earth caverns. And, like and Jesus be- moving the boulder. Yeah, he was, he was. Set on it. He knew it. Yeah. A lot of times when there's a lot of ET activity, the men in black show up. Did that happen here too? It did. You know, if we go back to that night where we had that kind of collective experience, um, and it was, again, people left with their own thoughts about the occurrence. Uh, Many people saw the same visions. It's only a few years ago, right? Yeah. April 2021. Really recent. Um, some people thought they had died. 
there was some, uh, there's a man in particular who was ex-military who came to me after the whole thing happened, uh, just sobbing. Uh, thought he thought he died because he'd seen the higher realms. Uh, it was wow. a really interesting situation. Now, so, some, something happened also before that, right? In March of 2020. Mm-hmm. What was that? So if we go back to uh, March 4th, 2020, and that actually happened on my property where I live. And that was a really peculiar night uh, for a lot of different reasons. But uh, the eve of that night, I had this very strong instinct to to really go into deep stages of meditation and to prepare for something, which is not my norm, uh, to meditate at right, night. Right. And so I did that and I went to sleep like, like I do. And in the middle of the night, uh, I guess around two o'clock in the morning, there was a really strange, uh, primal cry and sound. Like if you could combine just this, cr- like a crash sound with almost like this tribal scream that is shot straight up. In the middle of the night, uh, it was really strange. What was it? Yeah, I was trying to figure that out. In the beginning, I thought maybe I woke myself up with some really interesting primal uh, scream. So I was sitting there a little disoriented, uh, trying to understand. And just as soon as I was sitting there trying to reflect on what could have made such an ungodly sound, um, magenta sparks began to move into and throughout my bedroom. Like an energy wave? Like an energy wave. And and typically, you know, you can see those things astrally in your mind's eye. But this was different because it was just as clear with my physical eyes shooting through my bedroom. Um, So definitely could sense something was going on. And I I got up that evening and I went to my bathroom just because just trying to find some bit of orientation. And I was washing my hands and looking out my second floor window out into the property where I noticed uh, a very strange illuminated uh, kind of this illumination above the trees. At first, I thought it was just the moon and the reflection of the moon. But as I kept staring at it, it definitely looked like some interdimensional craft, uh, nothing solid uh, like the ships or, or, you know, the metal blips. Like a hologram? Like a hologram. Exactly. Yeah. It definitely looked like a hologram. It had a very partic- in particular or specific had a very specific um, Y shape on on the bottom of the craft. So I sat there for a few moments just looking at it. And if you've ever seen an ET, then you know you look at it and you're in awe. And then the strange go back about your business feeling comes over you. Like, okay, I saw it. Moving on. No big deal. It's a very bizarre energy. I freak out. Yeah, you, you kind of have a freak out. You kind of have an awe. And then you just have this... Let it all go feeling. So I left the bathroom and went back to bed. And again, a lot of energy in the room uh, to the point of nausea and vertigo. And all at once, an energy began to form in my room. She, I say she because it had a very female nature to her. She was very, very tall, um, very slender, very white, almost uh, like a bioluminescence. You didn't feel field. threatened at all? Not at all. Not at all. I've had a backgrounds with kind of many different interdimensional beings. This one was very solid and striking, though. Human looking? Human looking uh, somewhat, uh, but she had the larger eyes. And the eyes really stuck, stuck out to me because it was like you would see clouds moving at like a hyper speed. It was some kind of some kind a of dream. anomaly. Yeah, like a dream, something something 
was moving through her eyesight at just a, a rapid right. pace. So I made my way back to my bed through all of this, just sitting there trying to take it in and, and find some kind of alignment. And the next strange thing that happened is my husband, who was beside me through all of this, he shot up and ran and he stood outside. Why? I, you know, he's done that a couple of times. Is he during, awake? No, he's in. Like sleepwalking? He's like sleepwalking. And this has happened before where he'll just go outside and he stays out there with what feels like just an exuberant amount of time. Is he looking into the skies? He's almost like he's in an altered state. And he's not aware of He's this. not. It's like a bit like sleepwalking. He's unaware. Yeah. So this being went on to say, at the time, I thought it kept repeating the word Ashani, Ashani. But as I played this over in my mind, I now believe that it was trying to say the word Sasani, Sasani. What does that mean? It's a type of race. It's a type of being. Uh, it's a type of, 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 it's an agenda, actually, as far as what I can understand. So went on to give me some messages for myself and then for the rest of Do humanity. they tap into the Akashic records? I believe they do. 100%. They do. So they know all about us. <laughs> Interesting. Are you glad you have this gift? I am glad. It hasn't always been that. It hasn't always been that way. It's been kind of a long journey of, of confusion and disorientation and feeling alone. Has it ever backfired on you? I think it has in the past when nobody understood what was happening. You know, it, it would backfire. Um, people thought and a long time ago that I might have just been losing my mind. Um, but it's it's made me who I am. How many people do you think, Bonnie, have this ability and they just don't realize it? I believe everybody has a psychic ability. I do. I think it's a part of our, our human our human birthright. I believe it's how we're going to move through this next phase of humanity, of our own evolution. It's how we're going, shift to we're going to go through. Make it through the shift. Yeah, yeah. So right now it is that time that everybody's spoken about, the great awakening, uh, these, this capacity through the human, human center, human biology. When will this awakening occur? I think we're in the middle of it. I think we're starting. I think it's now especially when you look at all of the different prophecies and indigenous beliefs, as far as this goes into the Egyptian archives or into the Maya, right. uh, you know, they all collectively believe that this is the time of the great awakening. Were you picked for some reason? I believe I was contacted as, as a young child um, because two years old. Yeah. Two years old to to go into training uh to be to become someone who can help lead many others just like me and to really help us understand this resonance shift that the earth is going through that our human biologies are going through you know i believe that uh they've been training me since i was a child to help understand these getting you ready for something. resonances yeah well, do you know what that is i think so i think so on that night of March 4th, when I had that encounter with that being, she she gave me this whole deliverance of things that were about to come to earth. And Good she, things and bad things? Yes. She, and have any of them happened in, in the last two years? They have. They have. You know, if we look at that date, March 4th, 2020, that was about 10, 11 days before America really knew 
uh, what it was up against. Uh, it really, you know, before they understood that that Corona, the coronavirus was going to be uh, their journey as and well. And wars and everything and else. And wars, all of it. So this being said that there was going to be a push of terror on our planet. And at first I thought, you know, what a terrible thing to say, you right. know. And you think about terrorism. Terror, yes. Right. No way. You could take that in so many different ways that I I wasn't clear on 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 the purpose or how deep it went when she gave me that information. She said that this is something that they called the great return. The great solar return was happening to humanity. And that based on where we're going in these new resonances, where, where we're going in this new energetic cavity that Earth is evolving into, we had to drop our lower vibrational stories. So anything that we held in the shadows, our pain, our, our traumas, they had to come home. We had to face it. Uh, we had to integrate it. Right. We had to call back the pieces of ourselves that we just didn't have the courage to look at. Bonnie, let's go back to your husband again. Sure. Did you ever come up with any rationale on why he just went outside in this daze, staring into the heavens? I believe I believe that when he gets, when, when my husband comes into... Did they um, summon him? No, I don't believe that's what happened. I think this has happened before when he is in certain uh, fields of energy or when certain certain things are occurring with interdimensional beings... It's almost as it's a part of his journey to kind of step back. Remember, this is a very benevolent engagement. This is stuff that maybe I have a contract to understand, perhaps, uh, but he knows his place. So I think with some people, if if certain qualities of contact come through, they can't mentally house it or their body just can't hold what's going on. So often, you know, they, they just won't wake up. They won't remember as for him, he's a bit of a protector, and so it's in his deepest instincts to go check it out. So I think that there's some kind of variation. Well, he wasn't awake. He wasn't conscious. No, he was in some altered state, yeah. Why do you think they picked you? I I don't, you know, I don't know. It's just not just about me. I think that there are many people that have this capacity to work interdimensionally. So there's many like you out there? Oh, very much. Yes, I think certain souls, uh, certain people have come back at this time to help humanity rise. This is a really, really important time, very similar to uh, with Greg Brain's work in the Isaiah effect. Great guy. We could really have very, very intelligent researcher. We really could end up on two different variations of timelines. And so when you have a lot of these messages come through for humanity, they really are trying to help us stabilize in our mind without losing or shattering um, on the mental plane. They're helping our biologies uh, grow and to and to encounter some of these charged particles that are entering into Earth's atmosphere at this time. This cosmic shift that's going mm-hmm. to occur, will it be dramatic? I mean, will we all know that something's going on? Yes, I mean, we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the middle of it. You know, referring back to that being a part of what she said was coming onto humanity, even just a couple of years ago, she said that there will be charged particles, uh, cosmic radiation. I'd never heard of this, but she said the words gamma radiation entering into Earth's atmosphere. Sounds like an attack. Yeah, it does. It does. But I, 
our whole solar system's evolving. This is what the Mayan understood. This is why we're considered to be at a galactic center. So now. you're hopeful. Very much hopeful. Yeah, there are ways to align with the frequencies that are are befalling on Earth at this time. We just need to learn to listen and to be more still and into 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 resonance or in tune with what's going on with us individually and then collectively. Bonnie, how do people get a hold of you? People can find me through my website. Which they can is? find www.psychicbonnie.com. Psychicbonnie.com. Mm-hmm. B-O-N-N-I-E. B-O-N-N-I. Aha. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. important for people to know that. Yeah. yeah. Fascinating. Since you've been doing this, what's next for you? I'm going to continue to write about the messages that are coming through for humanity. I'm going to teach. I want to speak about these things. Higher beings are definitely wanting to deliver the how. Through you? Through me and through many others. Are you like an ambassador? It's exactly. It's just a messenger and an ambassador for this shift of the ages to help people understand how to hold themselves accountable, how to release stuff that binds them and step into their purpose because they're here. Can we get ready for this? You can. How? You can. I think uh, from my understanding, some of the best ways that you could ready yourself for this transition is to move into something that they regard as the unmanifest. To stop creating just, you know, these, this, all of this resonance uh, or to stop creating chaos unto ourselves. To get very, very, very still. And to slow down. So the slower that you become, the higher your vibration will rise. And they also say that, you know, we are making way too many actions as human beings. Right. So the less we do in some bizarre reality, the more we can accomplish and to trust your life. And you're not scared of any of this. I'm, I'm not scared anymore. No. I you think were. I was a long time. It's a lot to take in. When you see uh, these messengers well, enter into the middle of the night. two years old, right? Yeah. Bonnie, thanks for being on Beyond Belief. Thank you for bringing the story out. I really appreciate it. I don't know exactly what entails my Akashic Records, but I do know that the future of my records hopefully will be upbeat. Thanks for watching Beyond Belief. <laughs> my my all right the syrians this is the last one of this part of the show tonight how are beery how are beings from sirius related to ancient civilizations of earth like egypt and atlantis Mm. explore legends of lemuria and how humanity could be the product of genetic splicing by Syrian extraterrestrials who themselves might also be a hybrid species of blended DNA from evidence in Egyptian hieroglyphics to the star charts of the Dogon tribe from West Africa. Discover how Syrians could be one of our extraterrestrial forebearers. And this features William Henry, Adam Apollo, Matthias De Stefano, Debbie 
Solaris. Carol Corey, Desiree Hertak, Ph.D. Craig Campombasso. Mm-hmm. Campombasso. Uh, Eric Von Danigan and Matthew LaCroix. So here we go. This is 27 minutes. Let's mm-hmm. do this one. Oh. experts of ancient Egypt, the Sirius star system is aligned with the Queen's Chamber of the Great Pyramid of Giza and plays a significant role in ancient Egyptian mythology. It is also suggested that these beings significantly contributed to creating ancient Egypt, as well as other ancient civilizations around the world, where they served as the leaders and guides of humankind. What more do we know about these beings from Sirius and their influence upon humanity's evolution? Sirius became a major star of orientation for the ancient Egyptians. They replaced Alpha Draconis as their pole star, essentially. They started aligning their temples to Sirius. And Sirius, in fact, was the only star worshipped by the Egyptians. They revered Orion. We know that the three pyramids of Giza are a mirror of the three belt stars of Orion. And they revered Ursa Major, the casket of Osiris. But they worshipped the star Sirius. The reason why they worshipped is because they believed that creator beings came from Sirius and that Sirius ultimately conferred immortality. And that's why it was so important to the ancient Egyptians. The Egyptian annual calendar is marked by the helical rising of Sirius A and B on the horizon. Now, that happens essentially around July 25th, and it's also the first marker date of the Mayan calendar system. And interestingly, the tie there is that the Mayans talked about the four corn peoples of the earth coming from the river in the sky, which essentially they're referring to the Milky Way galaxy, the galaxy across the sky, and it's crossing with the ecliptic as a fundamental time system that is universal to all humans on Earth. I think it's important to recognize as we study these different ancient cultures and different memory threads that individuals have to different star systems, that there may be many different star systems that came to Earth around the same time, in the time of Atlantis and Lemuria. And so what we see around the world are reference points tying pieces together to different worlds and to different cultures. When you see Sirius, it's like the brightest star that we have closest to us, 
and it can be seen in both hemispheres. So sometimes you can see it in the north, sometimes you can see it in the south. And because it's the brightest one that is in the sky, it's also a guide for people that were traveling through the planet to know which season is coming. So that's why Sirius was also important besides the beings that could come from there and guided the constructions of pyramids. Besides all that history for humans, the star is very important. And it was related with the mother of the sky. That's why in Egypt was named after Isis, the goddess, because she was the mother of creation. It's not because the star created everything, but it's related to the flood of the Nile. When the star appears in the horizon, the Nile starts to grow again. That's why also Sirius was guiding people in harvesting and started the new year and it was the mother of life. It was related to the summer, to the harvesting and everything. That's why there are two different stories about this star related to the humanity. The god that came from Sirius, Ptah. Well, who's Ptah? Ptah is the ancient Egyptian god of smithcraft and alchemy. He fashioned the human body. He even has a double helix in his hieroglyph. And we're developing this picture. Well, wait a minute. That's a technology. You're saying a god being came from Sirius? A divine being came from Sirius and fashioned the human body? That means he didn't create the human body from scratch. He found a primitive being probably wandering around and merged some of the Syrian DNA and out pops man. That's what the Egyptians are saying. And then you ask the question, well, well why would Ptah do that? Why would he come from Sirius to Earth, tweak our DNA, merge their DNA with ours and create this new being? What is the purpose of that? Well, the answer is provided in the ancient Egyptian pyramid text And that is, Ptah came here and did this so that we could climb the ladder to heaven to make our body a more conducive vehicle for the ascension of the soul. That is fundamental to the ancient Egyptian belief. That leads to many questions about, well, what is the nature of Ptah? Is this an actual being? He's portrayed very robotic. He's got this tight-fitting garment on. He holds his Uaz scepter, and he's got this tight skull cap on. Very often his body is covered with feathers. It's feathered because he flies, right? He's a, he's a capable of ascension. And that then opens up. Again, is this a robotic type of a being? Is this a non-physical being? Certainly he took on physicality. But what we're confronted with is the belief that this is how we got how we are. How did we go from monkey to man? Well, it was, again, the top. In 1976, it was Robert Temple in the Sirius mystery who first proposed that it was beings from Sirius that, that tweaked our DNA. He was fascinated, as many of us are, by this question. How did Neanderthal suddenly erupt 35, 40,000 years ago with this activated neocortex capable of doing math and science and, and making music and creating technology? It, it happened literally overnight. And the Egyptian answer is, 
it was Ptah. It was being from, beings from Sirius who came here and did this. One group with direct ties to the Sirius star system are the Dogon tribe of sub-Saharan Africa. Scientists and anthropologists have long been amazed by the Dogon's extensive knowledge of the Sirius star system, including details that were unknown to modern astronomers until more recently. We know about Sirius as a binary star system. And it wasn't until the 1980s that we actually figured out the exact rotational flow between the two stars. One of the gentlemen who was working on the project, studying this rotation between the Syrian stars, had a friend who was an archaeologist. And that archaeologist friend had photos of a particular pattern carved into a cave wall in Africa where the Dogon tribe lived. And he saw this pattern from the cave wall and said, my God, that is exactly the rotation between the Sirius A and B star systems. And so we know that there's been knowledge about the physical rotation of this binary system going back potentially thousands of years. The Syrian binary star system may have many planets, but at the very least, we know that there's one. And how do we know this? Because so many people and so many cultures point to the Syrian star system. All of these different peoples around the world point to an origin, a connection with this system. They feel that their mythologies come from there. They tell stories about this place. And if we look around the world, we can track more and more and more of these different civilizations that refer to that system. Many of my clients under hypnosis remember being within the Sirius star system. And they remember being on a planet that's a water-like planet where it has dolphins and mer people and they can breathe underwater. And it has seven moons and they describe it as a beautiful planet full of love and compassion. And a lot of the Syrians would describe themselves as blue and they interact with humans all the time. According to the peoples who actually saw them, they can materialize and be known. So like many of extraterrestrial intelligences, they can appear and be in third dimensional reality, although simultaneously they usually work in at least the fifth dimension, the fourth being time. Matthias de Stefano has the unique ability to recall his past lives. Matthias remembers the time where he was a Syrian being, living on a planet in the Sirius star system. Sirius was my home once, so I am very connected to that place more than any other. I am emotionally related with the place. We were not very human-like, even though we had arms and hands and but we were like maybe four meters tall, like twice a human being. 
and we had this bit long neck with the head like very long egg shape. The skins were like gray or brown color, big eyes, like a leaf, and tiny nose, tiny mouth, but very long chin. We used to wear some very light clothes that cover some parts of the body, even if we didn't have like outer genitals like we have in this planet. They were kind of nude mostly with just some coverings on the top and no hair and no language. All the communication usually was telepathic. We were not that emotional. We didn't have laughter, for example. Like everyone was still and like this meditation looked like There was a lot of technology, buildings, spaceship with triangular shapes. And we would move around the planet with highways, bridges, and uh, all these structures. We had pyramids with three faces, not four like here. Well, all, all this civilization was kind of the same culture. The whole planet was kind of using the same culture, even if we had three different races inside the planet. In a scientific paper written by D. Benest and J. L. Javon, they posit there are both physical and dynamical indications, suggesting the existence of a third body in the Sirius system, or the possibility of direct detection for the suspected Sirius C. From what I've seen in the records is that Sirius C somehow got destroyed. I think it was maybe not through wars, but maybe it was just kind of an astronomical anomaly that created this destruction of Sirius C. Researchers have reported that when Syrians visited Earth in the past, they interacted with the primitive hominids living here at the time. They are believed to have imparted knowledge of culture, technology, and spirituality to these early humans, guiding them towards their evolution into modern Homo sapiens. The Syrian culture was so important for many places in different parts of the world because they would travel to these spots. Mainly, they were working with the old equator that if you take that the North Pole before was in north of United States, the magnetical North Pole, all of the territory. So that creates that the old equator of consciousness in this planet crossed Peru, where the Nazca lines are, Bolivia, the Amazonia in Brazil, going into Green Cape, Mauritania in Africa, crossing through Egypt in the pyramids, Middle East, Persia, which is Iran today, coming back through Pakistan, India, Indonesia, and crossing in the South Pacific Ocean through the French Polynesia, and then coming up again through Easter Island, and then Peru again. So this whole territory would be touched by them. So all the pyramids that you can find in the world basically are part of a design that the serious people have 
created. And they would come and give this information to the most ancient humans so they could walk around the planet and find the specific places. That's why all the cultures of the world would be guided by the star of Sirius. Indigenous to the central plateau region of Mali in West Africa, the Dogon are best known for their spiritual and mythological traditions. In Africa, there is a tribe called the Dogon. And the Dogon, they say they were visited by beings from the star a solar system of Sirius. The humans asked the gods, where do you come from? And they gave names, but the names mean nothing to us. The names are the names of them. To us, it's a word which has no meaning on the firmament. So we don't know where they came from, and we don't know where they went. Definitely they went back, and they promised to return. They are back again. So the Dogon talk about their experiences with the Nomos, which they refer to as their gods or as divine beings that came down to teach them about who they are. And these Nomos were described as beings that essentially had dolphin-like bodies, perhaps with some kind of advanced technology to be able to move out of water, to float in front of them. Some of the Dogon's complex masks and ceremonial gear point to perhaps some form of space suit, perhaps, that these beings would wear. The aquatic beings from Sirius can also be linked to other ancient civilizations, including one of the oldest in recorded history, the Sumerians. The connection we have with the ancient Sumerian people with the Sirius star system comes from the close characteristics and depictions of Awanis from their culture as their creator god to bridge with the Nomo of the Dogon, who they described as coming from the Sirius star system. When we connect the Nomo gods of the ancient Dogon people of Mali, Africa, with Awanis of the ancient Sumerians, and then we get into what those ancient stories that were recorded from that region are, which was the greatest library of recorded information that's ever survived because of their ability to encompass their entire history into what's known as cuneiform tablets, which we've recovered since the 1800s, thousands and thousands of these cuneiform tablets. And when we get into those stories that are depicted there, we find an entire story that goes back to not only the people that came from the Sirius star system, but how they were the seeders and creators of humanity. And if not the sole creators, at least the most significant influence that led to the rise of humanity. And that's exactly what the ancient Sumerians say in their tablets, was that these this group of beings came to Earth and then created humanity in their image, which is why we find that strange DNA 
in some of these Paracas skulls that doesn't seem to be found in any Homo sapiens in the world because it comes from somewhere else. In a cave near Nazca, Peru, a mummified female was discovered that had an elongated skull, three fingers, and three toes. The scientists examining this mummy gave her the name Maria. Might Maria be evidence of our connection to beings from the stars, like Sirius? The latest results from the DNA studies of the body have shown surprising results for Maria and Wawita. This means that according to the report from the DNA samples taken from several areas of the bodies, they were able to get approximately 23.8% from Maria and 25.6% DNA from Wawita of human-like DNA. But none of that matched to modern human DNA. The sample was analyzed to determine whether or not it contained human DNA, which was one of the hypotheses that could explain these strange bodies. That possibility was explored, and the results were around a 10% match in strict conditions, and even relaxing some of the parameters, we could not get a 100% match with human DNA. The analysis included a vast array of species. One of the software programs we use, in particular, performs comparisons with more than a million species, which allows us to approximate as much as possible the sample with the DNA of all currently known species. Some species were a higher match, some plants and bovine DNA, but still in very small portions. I have to say that this sample contains DNA that we currently don't know. It could be from an organism that has not been studied. Perhaps there was some microbiological contamination of the samples, but it could also be original DNA from these bodies. That means that these bodies could belong to a previously unknown species. The genetic results were also shown to William Brown, a biophysicist from Southern California, and his take on the tests were very interesting. Of the DNA that was isolated, uh, only 25% of the total uh, matched any known human gene. So that means that 75% of the DNA is not matching any known human reference sequence. And, you know, this is pretty uh, rigorous because um, there's like the Thousand Human Genome Project where they have done whole genome sequencing of over 2,000 individuals from every continent on Earth uh, and compiled kind of like a average human reference genome. Uh, and so you take these sequences, uh, uh, isolated from the, the sample with, with this uh, bean, and you go and you compare them to that human reference genome data, and only 25% match up. 75% don't. If DNA that cannot be 
matched with any known species in the database of human, mammal, reptile, marine, bird, and plant life is indeed of extraterrestrial origin, could it have a connection to the Syrian beings? Some people think that different star nations like the Syrians came to Earth, had an experience, and left and never came back. I strongly disagree. I feel that we have had a continual influence of different galactic cultures and galactic species on the planet in different areas of the world over all of the last many thousands of years. The contact experiences never stopped in the age of Atlantis. They continued on. The important thing to know about the Syrians is that they have designed our civilization, our way of thinking. They were working with our inner self. The Syrians were designing the way we move in the planet, the way we structure our world. So they have created the first ideas of a civilization based in architecture, in religion, in political aspects. That's why we still can see some symbolisms from them, like popes had the ancient Middle East hats, the pharaohs hats. You can see the symbolism of the Syrian people all over. Basically, they designed the way in which we are related to one another as a civilization. So to understand them, to know about them, helps us to understand why we have created these kinds of complex civilizations in the past, which is the basis, the fundament of all this. I think one of the most important issues about the Sirius constellation is that it's tied into the feminine aspect of creation. That's why the Queen's Chamber points to it, the King's Chamber points to Orion. So it's the feminine aspect It's a loving intelligence, it's a caring intelligence, it's a nurturing intelligence, it's a renewing intelligence that's present, connected with the serious constellation or the Syrian beings that come to this planet. Legends tell us that they have been around for many millennia and that they are positively here to help us. I believe very well could be one of those intelligences is connected with the Galactic Federation who are working to help humanity even today. The Syrians are kind of the politicians of the Confederation. That's why they help begins to build the pyramids and all the structures that opens portals because they are basically the politicians that tries to find communication and balance between each one of the planets that are becoming aware. Today, I think humans are at this extraordinary precipice of becoming an interstellar species. And as we're going into that initiation, the star families are here. They're watching us, caring for us, acting like adults, watching teenage kids figure out how to earn their first driver's license. In my studies of extraterrestrial races, I'm probably most fixated on the Syrians. I just have this 
innate desire to know more about Ptah. And part of the reason why that is is because Ptah is the original ascension teacher on Earth, in my opinion. And I, I'm very much interested in this idea of ascension and how humans can can transform and scale the, the ladder to heaven. And in my opinion, it's the, the Syrians that are most aligned with that. And so I'm, I'm most aligned with the Syrians for that reason. While remnants of ancient contact with Syrians can be found in cultures from around the world, perhaps nowhere is their influence more obvious than on New Year's Day and the 4th of July. Embedded within these cultural celebrations lay a hidden celestial synchronicity. On January 1st, Earth is directly in alignment with our sun and the brightest star in the sky, Sirius. Then again, Earth is aligned with Sirius on the day when the United States declared independence from British rule, July 4th. Both dates are intimately linked with traditions of ending one cycle and transitioning to a new one, exactly six months apart from one another. Might this be a coded nod to the influence of Sirius and those space travelers who left their mark with us? Join us in our next episode when we explore another ET race who has influenced humanity, the Pleiadians. Well, we made it. Rama, you're going to have to take that, I think, to Nelson and see what's going on. Um, just call on everyone to um, make donations as you can. Um, I know that <laughs> there's a way, and uh, we'll just call in the abundance here so we can... Yes. Continue forward. We will spend time writing a request for assistance tomorrow. All right. Well, let's do our, what is this called again? Stories mm. from the stage. Mm. All right. Here we go. And he says, whale shark, you need to get in the water now. And I do. Because my fear of wimping out in front of my brother is bigger than any fish. In that moment, I decided that I was going to take care of my sister and my mom forever. I was going to be strong and protect them. In our community, there's not a lot of opportunities for kids with special needs to feel like role models. So Jaden felt like he had a lot to teach his new brother. Tonight's theme is brothers and sisters. This program is made possible in part by contributions from viewers like you. Thank you. So there is no life like sibling life. It is filled with deep love and dramatic breakdowns and moments that are just downright funny. Some siblings are close and some are distant. Some are friends and some are enemies. Some are collaborators and some are competitors. No matter how much distance has been created between siblings or how much time has passed, if they're really lucky, they'll find their way back towards each other and fit together like pieces of a puzzle. My name is Drew Prohaska. I'm 
originally from Reston, Virginia, but I moved to New York City when uh, I was 18, and I just stuck around for 25 years, and eventually moved to the town of Beacon in New York, where I started a storytelling show called The Artichoke. And how did you land on the name The Artichoke? I actually did a one-man show about five years ago uh, called The Artichoke Queen, um, and it was about uh, a, a trip to Castroville, California, which is the artichoke capital of the world. And the artichoke was just a, a nice metaphor for storytelling. You know, it's this um, pointy thistle, and when you peel away the, the the leaves, you sort of get to the the tender heart of it. You know, mm-hmm. and um, so it just it sort of worked as a metaphor. You know, that's beautiful. Yeah. What would you say is your favorite part of storytelling? Well, I like making people laugh. First of all, um, that's my favorite part. But I also I went to school for screenwriting, and I have a, a real appreciation for for stories. I very much enjoy uh, crafting a story like you would a film. I believe that there are three acts that you should follow. You know, every story should have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So um, I really like the the mechanics <laughs> of storytelling. Yeah. You're a craft dude. I am a craft dude. Yeah. <laughs> so there were two movies I saw as a kid that made me terrified of being eaten by a sea creature. The first was Pinocchio when he's swallowed by the whale. The second, of course, was Jaws, which I saw when I was seven. Don't blame my parents. Um, now, uh, being afraid of marine life was especially pr- problematic when uh, you spend every other weekend on your parents' sailboat on the Chesapeake Bay in Maryland. Mm. Now, when I was nine years old, my mother gave birth to another kid, my baby brother, Matt. Now, up until that point, I had been the youngest and therefore most important member of the family, you know? And uh, to make matters worse, this new kid loved the water. He was an amazing sailor, an incredible swimmer. He would jump off the boat and swim around the Chesapeake Bay as if there were no such thing as a giant squid. Now, because my parents worked these crazy hours, I was often left in charge of him. But instead of his protector, I became his bully. Now, a few weeks ago, I messaged my little brother, Matt, to see if he could remember some of the things I did to him when he was little. And when he messaged me back, uh, I was driving my girlfriend somewhere in my car, so my car's computer read the messages back to me in that weird robot voice. You picked me up by my ankles and dunked my head in the toilet. You made a cage for me out of wicker chairs and poked me with a broom. And the messages kept coming and coming. And when they finally ended, I was looking over at my girlfriend like, I've changed, I swear. You know, Mm. Matt grew up to be a champion rower, a surfer. He got work on boats and he eventually ended up on the tiny island of Utila off the coast of Honduras, working as the head instructor at a scuba diving school. Now, 12 years ago, my family decided to spend Christmas with Matt in Utila. So, um, Matt told us that he didn't have much money for Christmas presents that year, so his gift to me would be scuba lessons. And so I start to panic because Matt knows that I'm afraid of sea creatures, but I had to accept because I was the big brother and I kept telling myself, an adult. So in the weeks leading up to this trip, I start taking online scuba diving courses, and I'm learning all of the things you need to know. Like, if you hold your breath and try to surface too quickly, your lungs could explode. Uh, What happens if a current suddenly sucks you out to sea? I learned about all of the pieces of equipment I would have to master, except for a dive knife. So I messaged Matt, what about a dive knife? And he's like, what do you need a knife for? And I'm like, you know, in case a shark comes at you. 
You know, and, and he says, dude, if a shark sees you holding a knife, it's just going to think it's a fish and bite your arm off. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I arrive in Utila, I am wetting myself with fear. Mm-hmm. And Matt is just relishing in it. And the night before my first dive, we go out for beers uh, just to calm me down. And at a table nearby, there's a woman changing her baby's diapers, and she's just wiping its bottom, and it's disgusting. And I give Matt a little nudge, and I say, hey, you know, when you were a baby, I had to do that to you a thousand times. And Matt just looks at me, and he says, good. (laughs) And that night, I didn't get much sleep, because all I had were shark dreams, you know. And in the morning, I met Matt at the dive boat with all the other divers, and I'm just red-eyed and hungover. And the captain guns the engine, and he takes the boat on this semicircle around to the uninhabited side of the island, because, you know, that's where the monsters always are. So we jump overboard, and we begin our descent. And it's hellish. And right away, I'm just in a panic. And the, the, the pain in my ears from the pressure is excruciating. But Matt just puts his hand on my shoulder, and he lets me know that there's no rush. And he's the picture of calm. And by the time we get to the ocean floor, Matt has become my Buddha, and I am perfectly relaxed. And that's when the circus kicks in, and sea turtles just drift by this colorful coral. Moray eels just poke their heads out from in between rocks. Triggerfish and cuttlefish just dance in the water around us, and it's glorious. And when we surface 40 minutes later, I'm looking at my brother in awe, like, this is what you do every day. This is incredible. And we're sitting on the edge of the dive boat eating sandwiches, and I'm just laughing at myself about how scared I've been my entire life of, you know, of, of, of sea creatures. And then the captain says something in Spanish, and people begin leaping overboard. And I look at Matt like, what's going on? You know, and, and, and he looks at me with a big grin, and he says, whale shark, get in the water. That's right, a whale shark. God has taken my two biggest childhood fears, mushed them together into one animal, which was now swimming directly towards us. So I look at Matt and I say, are you out of your mind? And he says, Drew, people dive their entire lives and never get to see one of these things. You need to get in the water now. And I do. Because my fear of wimping out in front of my brother is bigger than any fish. So I'm in the water, and it's just bubbles, and I'm, I'm fighting to get the water out of my dive mask. But when I finally gain focus, from out of the darkness, I see the mouth from my nightmares coming at me. <laughs> and I am directly in the whale shark's path. And I feel this tug in my arm, and I kick my flippers and float out of the way, just as this giant animal starts drifting past me. And it's just this giant blue leviathan with gray spots. It's as big as a camper van. And it's completely silent. But I'm hearing the flower duet playing from inside of my heart. Just, ah, ha, 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 And when I surface, I start swimming to the boat, and I I take off my flippers, and I I throw them onto the deck, and I climb the metal ladder, and just as I'm near the top, this hand shoots out to give me a lift up. And it's my brother, Matt, the guy I had tortured so much as a child. And his smile is so big, I can't see the little boy in him anymore. And I follow him onto my next dive, and onto many others, because I knew that 
with my little brother looking over me, I'd be safe. Outreach and Support Coordinator for Massachusetts Adoption Resource Exchange. And I understand that you're originally from the Philippines. I am. Can you tell us a little bit about what role storytelling played in your upbringing? My grandparents used to tell me a lot of stories about the way they grew up and just what was important for them and their traditions and to share what they experienced through their upbringing. Mm -hmm. So I understand that you work with Black and Latino adoptive families at the Massachusetts Adoption Resource Exchange. Can you talk about the state of adoption in the state of Massachusetts? So there's so many kids of color in foster care waiting for adoptive families, but adoptive families of color uh, are at an alarming low. So Massachusetts Adoption Resource Exchange is spearheading this new initiative for a coordinator to support and recruit um, families of color in the communities. I understand that tonight is your first time telling a story on stage. What has this experience been like for you? It has been such a learning experience for me. I am so nervous and so shy all the time. This experience is teaching me to feel a little bit more comfortable and confident in myself. Jose and I are 18 when I became pregnant with our first son. He just joined the Coast Guard, so we are new to Virginia. Jose and I have been together since high school. We met in Hawaii and quickly fell in love. A week into his first deployment, I am at the doctor's office and they are telling me there's something wrong with my baby, but they need to do more tests and ask me to come back on Monday. I did not know anyone in Virginia. I felt so alone and I was so scared. Seeing my fear, the hospital, the military hospital contacted Jose's commander and he is flown back to join me at that appointment on Monday. This is a day that I learned our unborn son has cerebral palsy. They tell us that our son might not be able to walk or talk or go to a regular school or work. I am so scared and my husband Jose has a hard time processing everything. The hospital social worker recommended we place our son up for adoption. We were just too young and we didn't have the experience to be able to meet his needs. I felt so unsure. All of the adults with degrees were telling me that I couldn't raise my own child. I did not know what to believe or who to trust. Jose felt helpless too. He is a fixer and he couldn't fix this. On June 20th, 2006, our son Jaden was born. He was born with a full head of black hair, just like mine. And he looked so healthy, I was relieved until we learned he was also blind and had significant brain malformation, which led to many more medical complications. Despite everyone suggesting we place him for adoption, we decided to keep him. But as Jaden grew up, it was really hard. Our lives were consumed of multiple medical appointments, lots of tests and lab work, and lots of therapies. But he is able to walk and talk. 
um, eventually. But all that talk about adoption stayed with Jose and me. We learned that despite everyone's suggestion that we place him up for adoption, that adoption would have still been a difficult path. Kids with disabilities in foster care or otherwise have a really hard time finding families. So this broke my heart. So Jose and I submitted our application to be adoptive parents. But agencies keep telling us that we're too young. We just got married and we have Jaden. That we didn't have the experience, so we were not suitable. Eventually, Jose is transferred to Massachusetts, but by this time, I've given birth to our daughter, Abigail. Jaden is seven at this time. He loves Power Rangers and loves anime. He's very outgoing and loves to be loud when he wants to be heard. His sister turns out to be the quiet one of the family, except when she's watching Disney and singing and dancing around the house. But as our family grows, we still wanted to adopt. But like in Virginia, agencies in Massachusetts don't contact us for years. We start to feel forgotten. I stressed myself out thinking maybe they read something in our application that made them feel we are not suitable. Could it be because of our age? Jose's job? Maybe because of Jaden? Or is it me? It keeps me up at night. Until one day, though, Jose and I were in the kitchen, and I get this phone call from a social worker named Neil telling us he has our application and would love to talk. Then I respond with, I submitted that years ago. He immediately apologizes and explains to me that adoption from foster care just takes a lot of time. And this is when I realized that it wasn't me all along. We immediately start taking classes and talking to social workers about the profile of the children we would consider. We go through a long list of questions related to age, gender, and potential health challenges. And we say yes to almost all of them, specifically kids with disabilities. And this is rare. We are told they are hardest to place. So things go from super slow to super fast. And the ink on our home study was still drying when Neil calls and tells me he has a little boy that he wants to talk about. I meet him at Panera, and he shares everything about this boy's background. His name is Emmanuel. He is four years old like Abigail, and he has cerebral palsy like Jaden. So I didn't even wait to talk to Jose before I said yes. I just tell him that night in the kitchen, and he says, okay. The first day Emmanuel visits our home, he went straight for the toys and immediately calls us mom and dad. And Jose smiles and looks at me and says, well, we definitely can't say no now. Before he arrived, we obviously told Jaden and Abigail all about Emmanuel. Jaden was surprised, and then he felt empowered when he learned that Emmanuel also has cerebral palsy. In our community, there's not a lot of opportunities for kids with special needs to feel like role models or leaders. So Jaden felt like he had a lot to teach his new brother. One of my favorite moments that I have with my children is when we are home and Jose is home from a deployment and we are able to share dinner together as a family. Emmanuel's our third child, but not our last. 
After we adopted Emmanuel, we started to host other kids in foster care. <laughs> and eventually, Emmanuel's older brother joined our family. Today, I'm a coordinator with an adoption agency. And when I meet potential adoptive parents and they ask me, what do you need to adopt? I tell them, you don't need a lot of acronyms behind your name. All you really need is room in your home and in your heart. Thank you. My name is Marian Emmerich. I live in Queens, New York. I am a social worker by trade. I currently work for a nonprofit, uh, Huntington's Disease Society of America, as the manager of youth and community services. So why is it important to share stories about Huntington's disease? Well, Huntington's disease is a rare disease, and unless you're directly impacted, you don't know what it is. So I think it's really important for people to know what it is. And, you know, there's 30,000 that we know of that are currently diagnosed and symptomatic in the country, and that's leaving 200,000 at risk for this disease. So the more people that know about it, the more people that can help. What are you hoping that the audience takes away from your story tonight? What I would love for the audience to get out of my story tonight is that whatever they're going through, whatever dark place they might be in, that there is light and that they're not alone in whatever they're going through. I'm 10 years old. Me and my younger sister, Samantha, are sitting in the doctor's waiting room, anxiously watching the door. Finally, our mom walks out. We jump up off the floor and run to our seats. We leave room for our mom to sit between us. As she walks over, sits between us, she grabs us in her arms and says, I love you both so much, big hugs and kisses. The words that she said to us every single day of our lives, except today they meant something different. Today, those words meant that she had Huntington's disease. So Huntington's disease is a rare neurodegenerative disease. It's easiest to explain if you were to put ALS, Alzheimer's, and Parkinson's disease together, you would get Huntington's disease. Except the average age of onset is between 30 and 40 years old, and it is hereditary. The night before, my mom told us that if she did test positive, she would just hold us and tell us how much she loved us over and over. As she was hugging us, I look over and my grandma hunched over her walker, crying with my aunt and my uncle. All I could wrap my head around was that my mom was going to die of this, just like her dad and sister did. I didn't cry, though, in that moment. In that moment, I decided that I was going to take care of my sister and my mom forever. I was going to be strong and protect them. I look over at my sister, who's eight years old, and she's crying. I try reassuring her that everything was going to be okay and that nothing was going to change. But things just kept changing. Within a couple of months, my mom's disease started to progress. She started to fall more. She became very paranoid and was calling the cops of different family members, saying they were trying to take her girls away from her. Six months later, she had to be placed in a long-term care facility, a place that me and my sister still call home. We would go see her every single week, and we would ride the elevators up and down. My mom had this really big personality and had this light that just grabbed everyone's attention, and she loved talking about her girls. 
she also used to carry around this bag full of photo albums with like really embarrassing pictures of me and my sister and show anybody that would look. She was so proud of us. Whereas I was just angry and frustrated with what was going on. I tried shielding the decline of my mom from my sister. I tried keeping that promise that I made to myself to protect her forever, but eventually it became impossible. Sometimes I couldn't even get my sister out of the car to come in. She said it was just too hard to see our mom so sick. I would get so angry and I couldn't understand why. And the more I pushed, the more Samantha wanted nothing to do with me. Samantha started using different substances to deal with what was going on in our lives and what was going on in her own head. I remember barricading the door. She couldn't stand, could barely talk, and she would try to push through me. And I would just scream at her, look at you, look at you. You can't even walk. You're not going anywhere. I wasn't her sister anymore. I was acting like a parent. We used to joke that my sister was adopted because she did not look anything like me and my mom. We we have very different ways of expressing ourselves. I can be very loud at times, whereas my sister is more reserved and calm, even when I know she's freaking out. She is loving and protective in her own way and has this beautiful blonde hair and green eyes. And something I admire most about her is that she is unapologetically herself and knows when to say no. I hated that my sister was using drugs, but I also understood I was spiraling out of control in my own way. To help, I started looking for things that I could control, like food. I used to count the Cheerios that I had for breakfast, 10. And I would have a half a piece of gum so my stomach wouldn't growl or so that people couldn't hear it. And for dinner, I would have a sandwich with one slice of cheese and I would cut it into 20 pieces. I was suffering from anxiety and depression, but most noticeably, it was my weight. You know, and once you start losing weight, people are like, oh my God, you look so great. How are you do? How do you do that? And then all of a sudden they're like, you look sick. Go eat something. It was so confusing. So when that started to happen, I just started to push them away. Everyone except my mom. I would go and see my mom whenever I could, climb into her bed and just hold her. Because no matter how I looked or how I felt about myself, my mom told me how beautiful I was and how much she loved me. I was 21 years old and I was at a dangerously low weight. I weighed 80 pounds and my dad forced me to go to the doctors. The doctor told me if I continue any longer, I was going to die. So I walked out. I ignored him just like I ignored my family and friends that tried to help me. Later that day, my sister sat beside me crying and started yelling, I'm watching mom die and now I'm watching you. I can't lose you. Please, please go get help. We pushed each other so far away. I didn't think she even cared about me anymore. So I agreed to start treatment. For her, not for me. A year later, I was still in treatment for my eating disorder and my mental health issues. And I was able to acknowledge the fact that I did have a problem. And I was able to say sorry to my dad and my sister for everything I had put them through. And finally, thank my sister for saving my life that day. A month later, our mom passed away. 
And I like to think that she knew I was on this healing journey. She knew that I was going to be okay. I don't think my mom ever knew about Samantha's addiction, but I know that she would be as proud as I am of my sister for getting help and being five years sober. My mom had this picture on the wall and it had a saying, and she used to say it to us often. It said, everything should be done with love. And that's exactly what my sister did for me and what we continue to do for each other every day. Thank you. This program is made possible in part by contributions from viewers like you. Thank you. The Stories from the Stage podcast with extraordinary true stories wherever you listen to podcasts. Consider supporting more great storytelling at give.worldchannel.org slash stories. from the stage anytime anywhere visit worldchannel.org for full episodes and digital extras join us on social media and subscribe at facebook watch to hear new stories only on world channel everybody just gotta no that's Just a moment, everybody. Let's make sure. Oh. Yes. Okay. I think this is it. Um. Look, it's right there. Young. 
nice to see you again. As I was saying backstage, I've interviewed you on, yeah. on Zoom before, you know, during the this, this is the first this time I've ever been in town. Yeah, this is a pleasure. Thank That's you. That's nice. Thanks. And we're both uh, Second City. Yeah, yeah. I messed up a couple of your sketches, so I apologize. Oh, did you? You yeah. did some of the sketches? I butchered it so bad. I did. I did some work at Second City. It was right across the street from a place called the Earl of Old Town at North Avenue. And, uh, it was, it was, um, a legacy. Uh, Stephen Colbert made his beginning there too and many others. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, great. All right. That's they were, they were the way they were. Um, the new TV series, Beef, okay, uh, about road rage incident. It sparks a fight between uh, you, ongoing fight, and like shenanigans on both of you and Ali Wong. Yes. In this, on a scale of one to ten, how rage-filled of a, of a driver are you? How do you react to like, yeah. being cut off, I guess? You know, I used to be pretty angry. These days, I'm not so much, but... I, I do this weird thing that I realized is when I'm driving and nobody's there, I'm pretty chill. Like, like no one's in the car with yeah, you? Yeah, no one's in the car. Like if someone cuts me off, I'm like, I understand. Like I've done that before too. But if someone that's like close to me, like my wife or my kids or somebody's in the car, then like I get really angry. And I was like, why is it? I was like, oh, I'm performing. Because someone I know saw me get slighted. And so I had to make a deal about it. Wow. Right? Wow. What does that say? It says you should live alone. I should. Yeah. You're much better by yourself. <laughs> yeah, that's true. How fast do you drive? I mean, um, keep in mind that like all late night guests, you are under oath. Uh, I am a consistent 80. <laughs> Not always. That on the highway, on the consistent highway. means like in a school zone. <laughs> In a parking lot. I'm gonna get in such trouble for this, but I'm a left laner. What do you mean? What's a left laner? I like stay the 80 so that I can stay on the left lane. What's wrong with that, baby? Because you're supposed to, aren't you supposed to like, I thought it was fine too, and then my friend was like giving me so much crap because you're supposed to go in and out. No, because no one's doing 80 over there. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Alright, I'm just like, you don't like crawl up on people's No, 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 no. I just like try to like go in the fast lane. Like that's, okay, it's cool then. I'm gonna, that. I'm gonna keep doing that. The, the show, uh, the show came out, uh, just last week, right? Yeah. To rave reviews already. People, people are digging it, saying this beef is juicy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this beef is juicy. Yeah. The CNN said, yes, uh, beef turns a road rage run, in, uh, road, road rage run in into one of the year's juiciest shows. Juicy. Alright. Beef is juicy. Beef is juicy. Okay. Um, so when you're, when, when something good like happens for the show like that, I'm just curious as an actor, you think like, Ooh, I got a long period of work that I can look mm. forward to here. Mm. Or you always just think about the next thing. I'm, you know what it was? This, this project, like, I'm just kind of on this ride. Like I had to share it with like really wonderful people that I love, got to work with people that I really admire. And the show itself was just like, ultimate facing all cringe and like going through that was liberating and also like it feels like what could you possibly like we're just i'm just happy for the success but like hate it or love it like i feel like it says something about you more than it does about me so i'm, I'm sure well what do you think it says about somebody if they hate it 
maybe they don't want to see their cringe. Like, well, yeah, they love it. Then they're cool with the cringe. Yeah. So it's pretty simple, actually. Yeah, just awesome. be cool with the cringe. Stop and yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you like the feeling of the cringe? I don't love the feeling of the cringe, um, but I heard this thing that says, don't kill the cringe, kill, kill the part of you that cringes. Wow. Ooh. That sounds deep. <laughs> T-shirts and mugs. Uh, <laughs> okay, okay. Your character Danny becomes part of. Uh, I, I think I got right here. Your character becomes part of a, a Korean uh, church's band. Yeah. Did you Did you uh, grow up? I did go to church. church. Yeah. Were you in the band? I was in the band. Well, did you play guitar? I did play guitar. What kind? What are we talking about? Like our father who worked in hell. No, it was not. like it was like slow like roll ups with my Taylor seven ten like acoustic yeah. guitar with like elixir strings like Ooh. doing the whole thing. Someone said, "Wow, who got the yeah?" That was good. It was like church praise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and we'd be like, you know, we just like played. It was just it was it was it was a time. Uh, I don't do that. Anymore, I actually don't go to church anymore. But uh, that was a time; it was cool. But at a certain level, it sticks with you. I'm, Absolutely. I'm sure. What's your? You have a favorite verse, if I may ask? I do have a favorite verse. Sure. Um, I was taught this in sixth grade. It was it's Romans twelve two. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test God's good and perfect will. Well, yeah. That was that. <laughs> that was taught to me at the time as to say like don't do secular things just do Christian things oh, and I was wow. like that doesn't seem at all like what the verse said and I've been unpacking it ever since you know we have to take a quick break but we'll be right back with more Stephen Young everybody stick on hold on everybody really quick <laughs> humiliated when I'm like feeling myself. <laughs> Whenever I feel myself, it's just wham, I just get it. Well, can, you, uh, can you name a time when you... Uh... Um, well, just recently on a brief, uh, on the beef premiere, when we were shooting some things, we were like, oh, having a good time. I'm like, yeah, dude, we made the show, it's getting out. And then I was like, trying to be all cool, walking out the door, bam, ran into the glass door. <laughs> so hard. And I was like, anybody see that? And they're like, we all saw that. Yeah. And I have like, if you see some of the interviews, I have like a slight knot. Like, it's yeah. gone now. That was oh, last yeah, week. Yeah. yeah. But, um, wow. You know, just, you can't, when I was young too, I, uh, I was like so serious about like making sure that I wasn't the odd man out, that I would make myself the odd man out on accident. Like I was part of the school orchestra and uh, we had this one night of Troy country fiddlers uh, uh, thing that we had to do. 
And everybody was like, all right, get your like Western gear and country gear and come and we'll do this concert. And I was like, mom, dad, I have to have Western gear or else I'm going to look so stupid. So I forced my parents to like take me to the gap and buy overalls and a checkered shirt, which was like more expensive than any clothes I've ever owned. Like we weren't rich or anything like that. And so I made them buy this for me because I was like, it's for school and I have to do this. And I rolled in and everybody's just wearing jeans and a t-shirt. And I'm in a whole, co- I look like a caricature <laughs> of the thing. I was like the mascot of the thing. And then the worst part is actually now that I think about it, the worst part is I was first violin, which is first, but I was last chair, which is like outside where everyone can see you. So it's just like everybody like doing their thing, taking it like chill. And I'm sitting there looking like a scarecrow doing a terrible job at violin. So that wasn't even good. Did you still play? No, I was trash. Well, um, thank you for sharing the credit. <laughs> yeah. Hold on, you heard it right, Joan Baez coming up here. champion for social justice for over 60 years. Please welcome to The Late Show, Joan Baez. Joan Baez, I don't mean to startle you, but you're Joan Baez. And this is the Ed Sullivan Theater. You're Joan Baez, and this is the Ed Sullivan Theater. Am I Topo Gigio? This really... Did you ever play this theater back in the day? Hundreds of years ago, yes. I yes. On, on Mr. Sullivan's show? I did. But you're Stephen Colbert. Stephen. That's what it's <laughs> right My friends and I watch you faithfully. And I sit there and I look at you and I think, why am I not in that chair? <laughs> I think so, that often too. I so, think that often too. Why is it Joan Baez in that chair? Right. Yeah, I'll bet. Well, um, I, 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 one does usually think of an airport as, mm-hmm. a, as an inspiring place. Newark. New, was it Newark? Yes. Well, wow. um, on Sunday, you met uh, one of the two Justins in the Tennessee Three. You met Justin Jones and Gloria Johnson of the Tennessee Three. Yeah. How did that happen? Where did you guys bump into each other? You know, I, I was pouting because I was in Nashville to do book things and I wanted to be at the Capitol. Saying, so, you know, I can, I couldn't go, I couldn't go. And then in the airport, my editor was sitting next to me and said, oh, I think that's, oh my God, that's, and 
by the time he turned around to me, I'd already seen Justin. I was flying across the room. <laughs> just, you know, it was so exciting. It was just wonderful. Well, you and Justin sang together right there in, in the airport, mm-hmm. and this clip went viral, Jim. They don't let nobody turn me around, turn me around, turn me around. They don't let nobody turn me around. Keep on walking, keep on talking, marching up to freedom land. This August uh, will be the 60th anniversary of the March on Washington. When you famously performed We Shall Overcome there. There you are, 22 years old. Mm-hmm. Here you are. Here you are, Bob. Same day, right? Same day. What do you, what do you remember? What do you remember about that day? Oh, um, there's sometimes when you know this is going to be historic, you know, sometimes you don't know, but with 250,000 people, largest crowd, certainly I'd ever seen, and then um, the people surrounding and around Dr. King, it was electric, and then, of course, his speech, he just took off, he put the notes down, and I just wept, you know, I spent a lot of time around Dr. King in tears. Because he was so moving and such an orator. You were uh, a friend of, of Dr. King's and spent a fair amount of time with him. Um, what do people not know about him? Uh, they don't know that he had great sense of humor. And I think it's because his job was so serious. And if he made a little mistake or made a little joke, that everybody would be on him. You know, people were looking for something to pin on him, something negative. They said, ha, 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 he's a joker. I think that's why he couldn't do it publicly, but privately he was really very funny. And um, we went one time, I was lucky enough to go pick up Dr. King at the airport with Jesse Jackson and Andy Young. And um, Dr. King, I was thinking, oh boy, I'm going to hear how they plan a march. Just even march the next day. They told jokes from the airport to his, his favorite little restaurant. He had fried chicken and okra. And the, and the waitress said, Dr. King, would you like a little bit of that apple pie? He said, no, I don't think so. And she said, you sure you would like a little bit of that apple pie? He said, yes, I believe I will. <laughs> well, are you surprised or how does it feel to be singing We Shall Overcome in an airport 60 years later, and it's still a fitting song to be singing with Justin Jones. What What, what is your emotional reaction to having been there yeah. and, and now 60 years later to be singing that in an airport in Newark? Yeah, with somebody really, really young, you know, and interested in nonviolence, that's kind of blew my mind. So we've written a book on it. Um, it was just sort of amazing that, that we... We connected like that, and um, it doesn't happen every day. Um, uh, you've got a new book <laughs> that's called Am I Pretty When I Fly? 
There you go. And it's, a, it's an album of upside-down drawings. That's correct. What do you mean? Do you hang upside down when you do I was just going to say, them? you would be the person to guess that. Yeah. I literally, that's what I thought. Do you, I know, people yeah. think that. No, I was not standing on my head and drawing. It's drawing so that if you are seeing it properly, I'm seeing it upside down. Would you okay. do one for me? Sure. I, I will show some. I will show some of these drawings while 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 you do this. Okay. Um, why did you start drawing upside down? I think as I was bored in school. <laughs> oh, so you've been doing this since you were young. Well, for a while, I just wrote backwards. <laughs> you what? You wrote backwards for fun? Uh, I I think so. I think I mean I think I found my little ways to keep you know keep myself in comfort. Yeah. And school didn't do it for me. Yeah. So while the teachers teaching all the stuff that bored me, I was starting doing something. No drawing. <laughs> drawing with my left hand, writing backwards, all sure. this stuff. And then I graduated to upside down drawings. Wow. So, so here, here's like examples of here's some examples of some of the drawings. And my understanding is that you actually do the drawing, then turn it right side up, look at it, and decide what the caption or the dialogue is going to be. And, and I usually turn like, turn around, have a little peek to see if it's going, see what it is going to be like. Yeah. But I don't really know yeah. until I'm kind of done like this. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's also there's also a documentary coming out about your life called Joan Baez. I am a noise. <laughs> what what when you did you learn anything from your own documentary about I you? I did. I did. I learned a lot. What did you learn about you, Joan Baez? Well, first of all, that's a quote from when I was 13, and I didn't remember that I am a noise. And I already knew it back then. Wow. You know, I just carried on. Let's see. Let All me right. see. Is people? <laughs> or do you want to caption it? What it's is? not very nice. <laughs> That's all right. That is Actually, you know what? You caption it. I caption yeah. it? All right. Here, here, here it is. Let's take a look at it real quick. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I know what you're thinking, but do something else. I... <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought this bathroom was empty. <laughs> That's it. Thank you, John. We live in time now when, oh dear, there we go, okay, where the changes are speeding up, good time to have a little bit of a sharing point. Um... So this is a message to light bringers. 
and it's from our sister Caroline Oceana Ryan. And it says here, this week's guidance, April 13th, this week's guidance from the Ascended Masters, Galactics, Earth Elementals, Fairy Elders, Angelic Legions, Archangels, and other divine beings known as the Collective. Yes, and Owen oh, in a few minutes. Make sure you communicate there, okay? For Rainbird. Um, today our writer has a question sent by a sent in by a friend. And this is a very relevant question for these times. Because you are all becoming increasingly empathic. Which may feel to be a very strange situation. Because you might be feeling, quote, Well, should I be releasing more of what I see around me? The pain of the world and the sadness and the struggle of human beings. Particularly those near me. Shouldn't I be calmer? And yes, because the light body is at a point of activation, and because your third eye is opening, and your heart space is opening, you're actually feeling a bit, a bit more, which can be a bit difficult some days. It really can. So Lord Sananda Kumara has come forward wanting to to address this issue and we happily bow to him and allow him to come forward now so that this interesting question can be answered. Particularly, this dear one was asking, how do I deal with an issue where a loved one... Uh, in a civil lawsuit. Judge White did not respond to our request for a comment. I don't know what happened. How did that happen? <laughs> All right. We just move over there. <laughs> okay. Um, Lord Sananda Kumara has come forward wanting to address this issue. And we happily bow to him and allow him to come forward now so that this interesting question can be answered. Particularly, this dear one was asking, how do I deal with an issue where a loved one is suffering, particularly when they are in physical pain? This is very difficult. And how do I assist without interfering? Maybe they haven't asked for help or they just don't think of wanting that kind of help. And they might resent any hand that is offered them. So all right, dear ones, we'll ask Lord Sananda to step forward. Turn the page here. Ascended Master Sananda Kamara. Greeting. Greeting. 
great light bringers and star seekers of all nations, of all origins, of all species. We bless and thank you for your presence here. And we are aware, very aware, that what this beautiful seeker has asked about is a huge issue. Many of you see loved ones involved in perhaps daily habits that are not positive for them. Um, whether it's drug or drink or not eating healthfully or living somewhere that is not good for them because of the toxicity of that city or that area. And others still simply see that their loved ones are angry, bitter, and going without the beautiful input of their spirit team, who may be calling to them and wanting to offer a lot of beautiful wisdom. And yet this is not heard or felt. Their loved one is unconsciously blocking it out. A very difficult moment. So we would just ask that in those moments that you turn to your higher self and say, is this something that I should comment on? Is this something that I should bring up with my loved one? And they may say to you, and this happened to our writer recently, they may say to you, yes, go ahead and present what you know of this information and this situation. Yet don't expect or need this person to change so that you feel better. It's still their path. And, whoops. <laughs> and have great respect for it. Now, one could say this for the world in general. One could say that it, it is a time in which you have to simply send light to hold any situation that troubles you in this beautiful, healing light. And there are different rays, different presences, different archangels, different ascended masters that deal with various issues. Certainly, you can call them and put your loved one in a beautiful ray of light and know that this is flowing through them and yet the path is still theirs and the choice is still theirs. So, we are going to bring in as much light as we can right now into any situation that you are stressed about. Perhaps for yourselves, perhaps for your loved one or several loved ones. It could be an animal or a human. It could be a group of people or it could be an environment. Just think of it. Hold it in your hands 
And we are working with it vibrationally to raise the awareness, the consciousness in that issue and to move it into levels of such awareness that new ideas, new solutions, new wisdom, new wisdom occurs to these dear ones. This, we would say, is more an intervention rather than an interference. We also seek not to interfere, all of us, in the Ashtar Command and the Collective. We seek not to interfere. We seek not to, to harm by trying to manipulate events so that someone's outer path is alleviated in some way that would make us feel better. Yet we do them a complete disservice. They've come in for these challenges. They've come in for these questions. It really isn't our job, one might say, to take that from them. And do we do so? No, of course not. We are not pulling you out of the third dimension. All of you upon the earth, now in physical bodies, you are doing it. You're anchoring the light into this planet. And the planet is herself a beautiful, sentient being who is taking, who is taking in all this powerful light flowing from your sun's all, which comes, of course, turn the page here, which comes, of course, from great central sun. And this beautiful gold dust that is everywhere in the world now, everywhere within your being, this is superseding all of the old training, all of the old programming, mental or genetic or emotional or auric or what have you. It is superseding all of the old rules, all the old restrictions, and it's bringing forth more of the light of your own soul. So, there is more of your soul power with you. And this is one reason why your empathic self is so aware and so alive now. And it's understandable that that would be difficult at times. Very difficult. You want to step Stop weeping for the state of the world or your loved ones. You want to stop feeling alone. You want to stop this feeling that they are left behind somehow. And they are struggling. And you cannot do anything about it. And so, 
You feel their pain. Yes, you do. You ask for that ability. And humanity has that very unique ability. And it's a beautiful one. As you're watching this water flowing by, dear ones, just be aware. Be fully aware that every particle of that water follows a particular path and has a particular purpose. And as we were to go in and change it, it would change everything. It would change the stream. It would change the banks. It would change the trees who are absorbing water. And do we do we have the right to do that? Any of us in the collective or anyone anywhere in the universe. You have already been interfered with. You don't need more interference. And so, there is, because you are in a physical body, there are these impulses that you want to act outwardly to save someone or to assist someone. And you can You can try. You can do what you can. Yet, as we say, check in with your higher self first. Many use many use test and will feel a bit of an inner nudge. They may ask. They may ask your body. Show me what a yes is. There was a beautiful webinar that our writer was in. This is a lovely idea that she and others were taught. Ask your body, what is a yes? All right. Go ahead and go ahead and ask it right now. And let it show you. It might show you with an inner feeling, or it might might show you with emotion. That motion might be learn, lean, leaning forward, leaning forward slightly, or nodding slightly, or being slighted, feeling more expanded. Now, ask. All right, my body. What is a no? What does a no feel like? Has your breath changed? Do the muscles tighten up a bit? Are you feeling less expansive? More constrictive? That would be a no. So, as you ask questions of your higher self, listen to what the body is saying. Because it is beautiful to what your higher self is 
in the way of wonderful wisdom. Turn the page here. Now, we do bring to you now a special light that fits you in these days, which are quite trying. And we do bring to you an awareness of your mastery, as you will accept that now. Even as you don't get images in your mind of being on a ship or being in the etheric, of being able to produce outer results, to manifest through projected thoughts, that's all right. As you don't have images of that, we are being forced the feeling of it now. Just open to receive. Your God or Goddess is making Your divine aspect is here. Ask it to birth. Fully through you. Just say, yes, I give thanks. One, dear one. And so, send you many blessings and much love. And please know that you and your loved ones are always looked after. And that all well. Namaste. Huge thanks to you, wonderful friends and fellow light bringers, for your loving All right, let the request go on. Ascension Times dot com. You can get there. Okay. I hope everybody can hear me good. I I get some feedback. I'm not sure everybody is hearing what I'm hearing. Uh, maybe Doug can give me some feedback on that, too. I'm not sure. Do you hear any feedback? I don't. No, not a thing. Okay. That is, I can handle that. Thank no, no, you. You're welcome. All right. I'm just going to read. This was yesterday. Yesterday's, uh, a little bit of yesterday's um, galactic um, aurora ray message. All eyes are on you within this moment in time. Humanity is the new civilization joining our galactic family. And there is cosmic anticipation of your imminent arrival. You look upon our skies and wonder when we might We look upon your planet and see you already arriving. Alexander Quinn. We congratulate you 
on the magnificent acclimation of energy that your bodies are successfully adopting, which are then alchemized by the chemistry of your cellular DNA. As your bodies assimilate all cosmic energy that has traveled through the space to your planet, you have been the experiences of physical exhaustion. Include been the experiences of physical exhaustion, including waking up in the morning to find that the extremities of your body are seemingly numb. Many of your doctors on your planet are glimpsing a higher than normal proportion of light workers visiting for consultation, upon which little or no issues are found. In some cases, your medical healers have appeared to find cases where the client is seemingly, di- seemingly dying and are yet completely healthy. This will be passed off by huge conglomerate institutions as something that is actually man-made of which you are already aware. This is the first time in a very long time you are finally beginning to have a relationship with your corporal bodies. You are becoming aware of foods that do and do not resonate as the physical vessel is beginning to give you intuitive feedback. That is undeniable. Even to those who have only just awakened. In an old energy, this relationship was not sustainable and the body would express pain and signs of stress, usually before or up until the point of illness only. Your new bodies are becoming hybridized. As you can imagine buying a fast car, its engine will need a higher, clearer octane fuel. This is you, dear souls. In the coming times, you will eat only once a day and need far less sleep as the light body and meridians of the physical vessel align and integrate pure light energy in a connected way that lines your energy points from head to toe. The new world will live, will live in will. The new world you will live in will be a glorious place full of changes that will aid the new human. Your construction industry will eventually do any do any way with heavy, dense materials such as wood and metal. I think that means that we'll do away with heavy, dense materials. Colossal structures the size of your tallest buildings will come into creation, and the walls that supply you with shelter will have their own consciousness as homes are built from crystal materials. Imagine having a conscious experience with the home you live in as it breathes and exists alongside your own consciousness in unison. unison. A home that is seemingly high. You are the forerunners now planting the seeds from the stars, intuitively changing jobs moving to new areas and starting lives that exist within the beginning of an ascended planet. Any of you who are finding the changes the hardest 
are the ones who will be coming back and staying to build the new ascended planet, whilst others will incarnate elsewhere and work out their soul purpose in different ways. This is because you are the ones choosing to wake up and put your feet onto the cold floor and experience the unknown, whilst others stay in a comatose state, even ever dreaming within a paradigm that has already collapsed. The way showers are running the longest mile as they are the ones energetically leading, leading the way and building the new and are feeling the change of pace the most. This is also testing your resolve and agreements made prior to arriving. The rewards will be yours, Lightworker and Starseeds. Have no fear. The flora and fauna of your planet have been priming themselves in preparation for the new Earths for some time also. Whilst humanity has aided in the t- in the untimely in the untimely extinction of many species of your planet, some of these changes would have created themselves within the natural world, independently of themselves, as new animals, fruits, and other creations come into existence that serve a new ascended planet energy. Over many generations, you will come back to observe new animals and fruits emerging and some animals retiring from the creation story, as has happened through that existence of your planet throughout the last four billion years. This perplexes the earth seeds and the souls who have only incarnated upon earth as this is all they have ever known, and still dwell with one foot in the old while learning to accept the newness that is coming to your planet. Change is not easy. The octave of this entire galaxy is raising its pitch by another level also. Do not think that the energies from our great central sun only affect Gaia. However, all eyes are on you within this moment in time. Humanity is the new civilization joining our galactic family, and there is cosmic anticipation of your imminent arrival. We look upon our skies and wonder when we might arrive. We look upon your planet and see you already arriving. We ask you to not to not drown in the last remnants of the old world, which your news outlets the news outlets will be announcing in the duration to the end of your solar year, culminating in what you call April. This is designed to draw your attention back to a crumbling reality and its timelines. Focus focus only now on timelines you wish to create for yourself and Gaia. Focus thought will manifest in reality, dear ones. We look upon you with the love that a parent has for its child, for its children who have just graduated. Take your time, coming of age, and enter the light with grace. We are your family. We love you dearly. We are here with you. And are your family of one? I hope you're a ray ambassador of the Galactic Federation.
And okay, Ambassador Caroline Rainbird, Caroline, Carol, Carolyn Rainbird, I pass this talking stick with Your Majesty's um, uh, Menahooties here and Sasquatch and Angels, Fairies, Feathers, and Rainbows. And here it comes. Lots of crystals. Here it comes. <laughs> and I got that. I like this. Oh, Carol, Caroline, I can't hear you. There's something wrong. Rainbird? Is this better? That's much better. There you go. Okay. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tonight. And, um, yeah, this is good. a good day. We've covered a lot. And enjoy every bit of it. Where I was awake. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I fell I fell asleep with the with the astrology. So yeah, the astrology, and I woke up at a couple hours later. <laughs> oh well, you got a nap. Yeah, I got a nap. Yeah, I missed the conference call. It went in. It went in. Yeah, it went in. <laughs> it was in it was in another world. Actually, I think I was really gone. So anyway, it was a good evening, and I appreciate it, and we all did, I'm sure. And so, lots of gratitude for you and everything that you brought. And I pass this talking stick over to you, Ronald. You got something to close this out with? Okay. Tell us what you have there. This is. Um, nice and loud. Rooney. Rooney. Uh, 